welcome to episode number 54 of Potterfic Weekly. In this episode, Ryan sounds like a Dalek. Rina is almost assassinated. I'm half dead. And Julia loses cats on the unsuspecting masses. Also, if you are sensitive to certain words, beware, as the language is slightly more colorful than usual. Welcome to the place where the story never ends. Hello, Clarice. Holy crap, this is so exciting! Julia, you are evil and you must be destroyed. Previously on Potterfic Weekly. And welcome back to Potterfic Weekly. This is Ryan. I'm Jen. I'm Lady Chi. And I'm Jen's mom. Hi, y'all. <laughs> How's it going? Oh my gosh, this is so exciting. We would never ever say Snape scathed. We would say Snape said scathingly. 640,000 years ago, that third of America blew up. Boys and girls, <laughs> there's a thing called erectile dysfunction. <laughs> Oh my god. Yeah, but there's also a thing called Petrificus Totalis. So Perfect Weekly, not only entertaining, but educational as well. <laughs> Who wants to see Hermione as a trial lawyer? As a tribal warrior? <laughs> I want to say that... Chief, like, please, I can't... Don't... You have to say only good things. I will cry if you say something negative about this scene. I love... I'm not going to say... Love I'm not scene. made of stone. I love how they plan to have sex at six. Yeah, six o'clock. I know. <laughs> My question was, when do they eat dinner? After picture, he's in the shower, and he's staring down, and he's just like, this is it. <laughs> he's having a little conversation with his friend. Today, I become a man. And then they go, is this happening? And he's like, yes. I don't think he said it like that. Oh, yes, he did. He gasped it I out. Think, I think all of his concentration is elsewhere at the moment. He's like, yes. No, that like completely ruined my mental manly image. He's <laughs> beating his chest. He's ravaging her. Not, no, he's not. not. Yes. He's a virgin. How many virgins can successfully ravage anybody? He's Harry Potter. Come on. He's a skinny, <laughs> awkward kid who we think has ED. No, no, no. We don't think that. You think that. Do you own a pig. No, but I do have a goat. Really? We don't have a lawnmower. What's the goat's name? Bernard. Oh my god, I'm not gonna lie. I have to I have no idea what's going on. Somebody explain to me what just happened. Have you been here the whole time? I've been here the whole time, but I can't remember what was just said. <laughs> oh, Vicodin. Nate, I love him oh. and he's good and we're gonna find out he's good and, and there Jen. is gold at the end of the rainbow, darn it! So, and everybody just looks at me like I'm retarded, but I laugh, and it's hysterical <laughs> to me. Poor Bernard was <laughs> struck and killed by a bolt of lightning. <laughs> okay, you guys are the ones who obviously laugh during people's funerals. I wore a really big hat. And I run after my car. <laughs> I've just finished taking a test on what's your seduction style. I have got to take that test. I don't know what that noise was that came out of Gambin's mouth. But I think it caused some women in the audience to become infertile. What happens is as people get older, their eyebrows fall off and they don't come back. Oh, I love the social intercourse so varied. It gets me so excited for the guy I married. This is like the Manhattan Project. Superman is Moses. Honestly, don't you people read? Okay. The two Superman is not Moses. Moses is dependent on Aaron. See, Batman depends on Robin. If you're going to do an Moses the guy that was lost in the desert for like 40 years? That just okay. not fire confidence and crime-fighting ability. There's like auditoriums with movies that you can go in and sit and watch. Not while on the toilet. There's no way we have wank. We don't care enough about the fans of to have wank. I swear to God, Ryan, if you ever, ever, ever make me cover a story with butt sex babies, I will kill you. Jen got pregnant on a boat. You know how hard it would be to impregnate yourself on a boat? Don't take offense to this, guys. You guys are the most dysfunctional people. <laughs> These 
these are really stupid people. Like, I have a lot to learn from these people. And Jen's like, yeah, I like looking at female butts more, too. So what? Women are beautiful. Doesn't make me gay. Sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, come here. I'm so sorry. Come here. <laughs> I just I just kicked my dog in the head. And now, Potter Fink Weekly. Melinda Leo. How are you? Hey, Melinda. Hey, Julie. Hi, Jules. Hey. Jules, this is so exciting. It's exciting. The last time I think we did this, you were camera shy, and I think there were four children crawling all over you. <laughs> yeah, I only have one this time. Just one? Okay. <laughs> can, you, can you? Yeah, she's right beside me, too. Oh, Jules, I'm having, like, yeah. flash forwards in my life right now. <laughs> flash forwards? Flashbacks. Yes. I hope I'm not having flashbacks. What's the etiquette if, like, I have to change a diaper or something? You know, my daughter. <laughs> you have got to do it right on air. You've got to do it on air. Oh, I should actually, I should actually um, share this with you. Um, I'm not, because obviously I'm speaking to two moms here. I'm not sure if you reached a point in, like, your first trimester when you found yourself, like, incredibly bored with life. But Jen has apparently reached such a point. Jen sent me a custom-made ringtone. Hang on, let me get it here for you. All right, this is what plays every time Jen calls me. Wow. So Jen is bored out of her freaking mind right now. No, she's very smart because that's so annoying. You pick it up really quick to me. No, can I just yeah, like, no kidding. You're going to fit in just fine. For Thursday, August 7th, this is episode 54 of Potterfic Weekly. Welcome to the place where the story never ends. Oh, will there ever be again a podcast quite like this? One brought us together and started its own forum list Where the hosts are all our friends All the stories told by Jen Will it drive lying round the bend Part of it we clean where the story never ends. Mm-hmm. And welcome back to Pick Weekly. This is Ryan. I'm Dan. I'm Jules. And I'm Melinda. We have never done that better in our lives. It's hard to believe we spent 10 minutes preparing for just that moment. <laughs> I asked everyone 4,012 times, are you ready to start? And we almost had a fifth co-host. You almost had Jules daughter Maggie with us, but luckily Spongebob Squarepants is available on DVD, Spongebob being one of my favorite shows of all times. <laughs> Not Never. mine. Jules! What? Hi! Hi! Well, you haven't been on the podcast in 25 episodes. I thought I'd greet you. I know. Hi. Jules, the last time she was here, was on her cell phone. No, you were here twice. You were here during the Arabella and Jenya interview, which right. was at like 7.30 in the morning and you were on your cell phone. Right. And you were here... During the, the Deathly Hallows, the Deathly Hallows ones with fourteen thousand other people, right? And right now your kids are away camping, so so you, you know your life is less hectic. Theoretically, yes. Yeah. Theoretically, yes. And I hear you have rum. I'm making this part up, but you know, sure. Rum, <laughs> rum like, 
if I drink orange juice, I get drunk, so I'm not sure how you do with rum, but I wish you well in the event that you do have some rum. Now, I wanted to start tonight with a story from Dan on why America, being a great country, has the stupidest criminals ever. Take it away, Dan. <laughs> I work the night crew at Acme from 10.30 p.m. to 6.30 a.m. And uh, the people who come in the store, I mean, you, you get people at 4 o'clock who want to buy a... Uh, a TV dinner, so you don't really notice the odd people too much. I mean, because odd just kind of yeah. is normal at that time of night. I think it's about two weeks ago now. This guy looks pretty odd, and he walks up to the cash register. Of course, I don't notice him because, as I just said, odd is normal. Uh, you could have Clinger from MASH at your counter, and you wouldn't even blink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he he buys a couple of things. I forget exactly what else he bought. Do you know who Clinger is, Dan? I do not. Please say yes. <laughs> oh, oh, no! <laughs> I noticed a time delay there. I thought it was a problem with Scott. I was just, I was just watching Mash tonight at dinner. It was the one where I Hen- love Mash. Can I tell you not to spoil, you know, people who are going to run out now and buy it because both Ryan and Melinda Leo love it. But I watched the one where the first commanding officer leaves, and I was watching the one where um where Henry arrives. Not Henry. Um, where uh, Sherman Potter Water. arrives. And Klinger walks. I didn't even get that. Uh-huh. Yeah, there you go. Hey, look at that. <laughs> and uh, and uh, Klinger is in the um, he's in the army and he's trying to get a, he, he's drafted during the Korean War and he's trying to get a Section Eight. He's trying to prove he's crazy, so they'll send him home. So he just walks around for the eleven year series wearing women's clothing. He walks into the new commanding officer's office to explain that he's nuts and must be sent home immediately. Colonel Potter, sir, <laughs> Corporal Klinger. I'm Section 8, head to toe. I'm wearing a Warner bra. I play with dolls. My last wish is to be buried in my mother's wedding gown. I'm nuts. I should be out. And Potter's like, horse hawking! I knew a trainee who pretended he was a horse. He walked around carrying a coat for three weeks. We just named it. Like, it's just... I don't know, but... I don't know why I'm telling that story. Please continue with your story about that. <laughs> well, the, the important item that he bought was a uh, pack of cigarettes. Now, this guy looks close to 18, so as per company policy, I, or well, per law. the law, I ask for an ID. Uh, he gives me a valid ID. I think he paid with a credit card or so, some way he paid, but uh, he paid. I go to put the slip in my uh, register. I look up, and there's a gun pointed at my face. Dang it. Uh, he's, nice. he's, he's, he's holding me up. Uh, it, I think it was around 2.15 a.m., which means that we had just switched registers uh, because, so if he had come 20 minutes earlier, he would have gotten away with $700. Here he gets away with 200 But the point is, he wasn't wearing a mask, and if you know Acme, Acme is like Big Brother. There are cameras literally everywhere. I mean, I, I think there are areas of the sort that have five cameras focused on him. His ID was valid. So the I recap, mean, he came <laughs> and robbed you, but left you his uh, all of his identification, his credit card number, and like a home <laughs> contact number. I, I mean, how stupid do you have to be? <laughs> What was the thing Tina was saying? The guy robbed the bank and he wanted to hide his face, but he thought a mask would look conspicuous, so he wore a large fern, like, taped in front of his head, like a potted plant, and he just comes walking into the bank, and they're like, hmm. <laughs> there was a time to lay laugh there. I didn't make the damn thing up. It really happened. Come on, laugh with me, everybody. Laugh with me. And there you go. All right. So I have a question. Was your reaction one of fright, or was your reaction one of, how stupid can you be anyway? It was mixed, because I figured he was absolutely stupid for actually giving me an, an ID to begin with. And then the second thing... That has to be scary. I mean, that has to be your heart well, so, staring at yeah, the gun. I, well, but the, the thing is, I, I've been... Uh, 
I've been mugged at Temple before, so it's not like I'm not you used mugged to... at Temple. Well, yeah, I, it, it was my first week at, at the uh, school, and oh, you oh, I'm sorry, your school. I thought you, I thought you. Okay, now I'm sorry. Oh, no. oh, I thought yeah, you I... went to pray. I thought it was like you, know, you went to pray and you got mugged. Like, that is awful. Did they catch no, uh, it? Oh, p- people God. make the mistake all the time. It's, it's hard when you go to a school called Temple University. <laughs> I just knew you hung around with Julia and you got mugged at Temple. I'm like, oh my God, that's a hate crime. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it, Temple's horrible. I mean, you step in one wrong area and you're literally risking your life. But. Uh, <laughs> It's a good school besides you should, that. But, uh, you, you, should, you should give tours. So, so I've already had that happen, so it wasn't like a new experience, I should say. Uh, I mean, I was still scared, but the thing is, I've been trained in karate, and they teach you how to protect yourself against a gun. So I actually thought about, you know, fighting back, and uh, I admitted this later to Linda, and she tore into me so hard. Yeah, not for $200, Dan. I figured in the end that it was better risking, I mean, giving him the money than risking my life. Well, I, yeah. think, I think you made That's the right call. I think you made the right call. In the future, you should never fight back unless you're inside of a tank to begin with. And I think we've learned now that, you know, no one should ever enroll in Temple University unless they're a black belt. And Dan has <laughs> fortunately not been, you know, mugged at Temple. He was at Temple, but not at Temple. That was an unfortunate typo there. We'd like to apologize to him. Um, well, basically the Jews we'd like to apologize to. Sorry. Dan, I just want to say oh. that when, when people listen to Pwncast from now on, they should know that their host kicks ass literally. So that should, <laughs> that should be clear clear from the start. Now, Jules, I'm not going to ask you how your pipes are. Hey, Maggie's up. I'm not yeah, going to... Sorry. No, hello, Meg. <laughs> Dan has such like a... He's like, hello, Maggie. <laughs> now, Jules, I'm not going to ask you how your pipes are because I asked that in the restricted section and people start giggling at me. So I will, I will try and phrase this in a less, you know, like, oh, he said Zach's way. Uh, Jules, how yes. is the plumbing in your home? Um, wet. All over the floor wet. What did you do? I did not do any, well, I fixed it. I didn't do anything. Did you Maggie ever- used an entire roll of toilet paper in the toilet and oh, Mag- it up. Maggie, well done. Well done. It was a science experiment. Jules is glaring no. at feet. Oh, my God. Well, maybe. I don't know. I think she, she you know, had a kid that's done that at some point. She just unrolled the whole thing. and Just keep rolling and rolling and rolling. I have, I have a woman that I work with. Um, her name is Andrea. And Andrea has a son named Will. And Will is literally the human personification of caffeine. Pull into the parking lot the other day. Now, Will's about four now. I pull into the parking lot next to Andrea's car, and I, and I get out of my car, and I'm like, that looks odd. I look back at Andrea's car. Every window has been drawn on on the inside with crayon. Oh, no. Every window in the car. I can't remember why I just told that story, but I think it has something to do with Maggie clogging Jules' toilet. Probably, yeah. Yes. And I'm going to have cats for the rest of my life. Kids so- are fun. <laughs> You're funny, okay. We didn't get to a ring. Jules! Ring store! Hello. Fire! So, my my husband is out of town, right? And every time he goes out of town, something happens. And, you oh, know, the car breaks down, or we have a hailstorm, or it's like a gen thing, you know? Oh, she's a Puffwanian, I can tell from here. <laughs> And that's okay. I, I think this is all just, you know, the way to test me to make sure that I can survive without him, I guess. I don't know. But I had this total panic attack on Sunday at church because I couldn't find my wedding ring. And 
this is a ring that I had lost a diamond in like 15 years ago, and he surprised me with the new one last September on the you know anniversary of our um, engagement, and I couldn't find the wedding ring. I didn't know where it was. This was not a happy thing. I was in tears. I was in church. I, I like skipped out before the sermon and snuck home. Well, I burst into tears, dug through every piece of paper in the trash can in the bathroom because I thought I'd thrown it away. And then I remembered that I had taken it off to make the meatloaf. The meatloaf. On Saturday night. You know, that was Sunday morning. So that's day one. And then Sunday evening, I was doing the dishes and all there's water pouring all over my feet from the kitchen sink <laughs> because there was a leak. I fixed that. And then Monday we had the toilet incident. So Let me happened. ask you this question because I haven't had kids yet. And if Danielle were here right now, she would be glaring at me like you keep saying that. But I don't have kids yet. But let me ask you this. So you have four children. I have four children. And for the week, you have one child with you. Right. Exactly. And, and you're like super mom. Like, I don't, I just want to stress this to <laughs> people. You were, up until this week, the head of Hufflepuff House. You're the sorting hat on Puffwa. You're an author, and you drive places, and you, and you do laundry. You, you do so many things at once, and you make everyone feel like they're the only person in the world. And you do all this stuff. So with one child, she still managed to flood the house. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> no, I'm saying I'm scared. <laughs> you have it way more together than I do. Like, I'm very frightened for my chances right now. Well, I was cooking dinner. I mean, you know, so I, I can't I can't be like right with her every second of the day. So if I get takeout every night, I might be okay. Maybe. Maybe. No, you're just gonna have to deal with some overflowing toilets on occasion, basically. Um, uh, Pretty much, yeah. This conversation is depressing the living hell out of me. <laughs> I mean, at least it was an overflowing toilet. I broke a toilet when I was a kid, so you know, this is like way better. How did you break a toilet? It's, if I want to know. It was running, you know, so I took the lid off, uh-huh. and the lid slipped out of my hand and hit the bowl and shattered the bowl. You broke so, a toilet. I broke a toilet. I was about 10. My dad was not impressed. Well, all I have to say is Jen siphoned toilet water during a podcast, so we all have room for growth. Ew. <laughs> well said. All right, so now that we've d- we've discussed everyone's toilets, I just would like to add something. Eat your heart out. I met Melinda Leo. <laughs> we did with Tina, too. Well, Melinda, this is all about me. Come on. No, we did. We, we, I, I met Melinda, and I met Leo, and I have to tell you, Melinda, Leo, Melinda, Leo, I get it now. <laughs> I got it. Just two of us. This is true. Leo is not what I expected. He wasn't. He wasn't. Leo is is literally probably one of the three funniest human beings I've ever met in my life. <laughs> he is funny. He was very amusing. Like, for example, uh, Melinda, would you care to share the uh, the Darth Vader story? Oh, you can picture this, okay? It's the group of us. We're all Harry Potter fans. We all have our own little sci-fi things going on. And Danielle fits right in with us. Or Danielle, like a Claudia. But Tina's husband, Mark, and Leo, they didn't quite mesh. So they, they, But they kind of bonded together. That was okay. So we're telling the story as we're leaving about going to see the Star Wars movies when they, they started remaking them, and it got to be Phantom Menace came out. So I have another friend who's also a sci-fi fan, so she and her husband and Leo and I, we went to the movie together. And Leo, he's probably seen the other th- the original three, just maybe a handful of times when I've made him watch them. He really wasn't even into it as a kid, which being a kid of the 80s was impossible not to, but he wasn't. So we're leaving the movie theater after watching Phantom Menace, and we're just ch- chatting about some things that happened or something, and I don't know what it was that it, somebody said, but the lights just came on with Leo, because he said, as we're walking out with this crowd of people who just seen the movie, he says, you mean Darth Vader was Luke's father? I am the father. 
No, I have to just remind you, he's a really bright guy. He's a very bright human being. He did not get that. And he, re- he reminded us of this when we were at the, we were at the bar and he told us the story and we're all, like, here's the thing. I am the dimmest light bulb in, in the box. And even I got that. Like, it was in the promos. Like, even <laughs> I got that. And we're all looking at him in disbelief. And he looks at us. He's like, what? I smoked a lot of dope in the 80s. What? What? <laughs> and I'm like, you were married to Melinda. Like, this is cracking me up. It was, it was, the mo- it was, it was so fun. I, I don't know. I, that, that, that's, that's all I'm going to go with. It was, I was trying to actually describe Leo. You know what it is? He reminds me, like, this is going to sound bad. He reminds me of Putty from Seinfeld, but intelligent and very dry, if that makes any sense. He just walked in the door. We're talking about you, Leo, with your um, Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker comment when we met Ryan for dinner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's a good guy. He's a good guy. Yes. And to keep Melinda Leo's maternal place in the fandom, I will not share the comment that, that Leo Thank made. Thank you so much. About what, what happened with Melinda at the porn podcast. Um, I believe it was the Halloween edition, special number six. <laughs> Something happened. We're going to keep it just between the two of us. On Thank the you so much, Ryan. No, <laughs> no, no problem, Melinda. Yeah, there you go. Nothing to love for it. So I met Melinda. I met Tina. Tina had a drink in her hand. I promise to stop the lush jokes, Tina. Just one more. And uh, Well, no, you got to tell about how we found Tina at the bar. <laughs> we're all standing outside the restaurant. Myself, Danielle, Melinda, and Leah, we're all standing outside the restaurant. And we're like, how are we going to find Tina? Because we've never met Tina before. And we've seen a picture of Tina. I'm sure we could recognize Tina. But, you know, it's you know we're like the internet people. Like, you know, you're supposed to meet at food court. Like, you know, like where are we going to find Tina? And I forget who it was, but someone's like, I bet Tina's at the bar. Yeah, that was me. That was you. <laughs> <laughs> so we walk up, and Tina's like, hey, guys, with a drug in their hand. So we found Tina at the bar. Tina, it's a stereotype, but it's the only one we have available. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was very fun meeting everyone, and um, I still am just blown away by, you know, basically, well, Leo, but and we'll leave it there. <laughs> so tonight we are going to discuss Lady Cheese with all my love. Now, I popped into last week's episode. Um, I actually popped into the episode midway, and my perception, without having listened to it yet, of what happened is that Rena ran a very tight ship, and then I got there, and we did nothing but talk about eyebrows for like an hour and a half, and then the podcast ended. And during much of the podcast, we basically made fun of Lady Chi without mercy. So, I don't know if it's been a train wreck yet, but we've probably been fairly close to it. So this is what happens, Chi, when you put your stuff on your own podcast. We will laugh about you. <laughs> but in all seriousness, I'm really impressed with with all my love. Like every other podcast we've had since I think Shoebox, we have had you know somewhat negative impressions going in. Uh, Viridian stuff, as you recall, Jen thought was Harry, you know, dressed like a cat having other men's babies. Uh, after that, we had uh, Covenant of Echoes, which actually was very well received, even though we had difficulty discerning what exactly the Covenant of Echoes were. Uh, Living with Danger, we thought was a bunch of werewolves howling for 45 chapters. And she, before we read With All My Love, said, I'm only 16, I was only 16, I was only 16, please don't hate it too much. Which made me want to run over and pick it off the shelf. So, I just want to say that I'm very impressed so far with Chi's you know, quality of writing. I think she's doing great things with Sirius's character. Really, all the Marauders, I think she does a very good job with. And the one thing I, I did stress to her, she called me and asked me how the first podcast went. I did just want to stress that the conductor on the Hogwarts Express 
is the stupidest human being on the face of the planet. Just throwing that out there for as a discussion point. Now, uh, you guys jump in there with your thoughts. What do you guys think? One character that I've got to say that I like the way that she's handling it is Peter. I mean, the trap is to fall into is to say, okay, well, Peter's a rat. Peter's uh, horrible. Let's just have Peter be this stupid marauder who never really fit in, who was horrible, and there was no evolution between Peter who was with the marauders and Peter who became Death Eater. And this, I, I, I have to say that I'm impressed with, with the fact that she's going through that evolution with the fact that he, he he's loyal to them, but he's questioning but with everything that starts to happen, he's starting to question himself and then everything else that eventually does happen. I like the way she's evolving his character. Even though he's He's part of the group. He's very much an outsider still, and you can very much get that idea that he doesn't quite fit, but I think they bring him in more. His own insecurities get him, I think, more than, than them excluding him. Right. Oh, I was going to say, I mean, as an author, I've written one Marauder fic, and um, when you're writing Peter, it's hard to not focus on what he becomes, you know, but he must have at some point had some sort of redeeming qualities that would made him their friend. He was with them for so long, but not only that, but James and Lily agreed to make him the sacred keeper, so they trusted not only their lives, but Harry's life too, and so he had to be a very good friend before all this happened. Well, the, right. the fanfic authors have a little bit of an out on that one, I think, because when you stop to think about it, you could write a story where Peter was essentially screeched from Saved by the Bell. He was like the outcast who every day got told that he was stupid and he began to resent it. The problem with that becomes if that was the way they treated him, well, I guess, number one, why would he become an Animagus and why would he, you know, be so deeply involved in the group in that way? But number two, like Melinda said, why would he be chosen as the secret keeper? You can actually rationalize the second one away very easily. You could say that he was the secret keeper because who the hell would predict that James and Lily would pick that dumpy kid they didn't even like very much as the secret keeper? He, you know, everyone would expect it to be serious, so serious his life would be greater in danger, and you know, no one would go after Peter because really, who would suspect him? The issue I have with that, the logic that works fine for me, but the, the, the problem with the first part of it is, you know, I always read into it the fact that you know it's hard to become an animagus. It, you know, some right. training has to be involved. It has to be difficult, or else everyone would already be one. The fact that those three just happen to be able to be animagus implies to me that it's not a natural ability, and it's something that everyone just can't do it. And, you know, that implies that they had to want to do it. And I always thought it was it was the power of their friendship, you know, that they needed to be there for Rima so they were able to harness that magical ability. So I can't see Pettigrew doing that if it's not something that he is able to do. You know what I mean? I know she's made comments on the podcast in, in the past. It seems like there's some characters that you may not really want to write about. Like, sometimes I know people right. leave Hagrid out of stories because it's difficult to get the accent down, or he's just hard to write. He is. I, I find he is hard. very difficult to write. The dialect is very hard to get, so I leave him out of a lot of things. Yeah. And house elves. I don't like house elves either. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a real big... I know Dobby's, like, everybody's hero at the end. Dobby is... But I'm still not a real big Dobby fan. You didn't cry at all. I did actually when Harry was digging the grave. I did. I thought that was very touching. But I was. I. I, I you didn't cried be- for Harry though, Melinda. That doesn't count. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> well, sorry, Dobby bugged the heck out of me. 
Oh, God. <laughs> well, thank God they didn't kill Neville over here, or Jules would have been no, in trouble yeah. for several weeks. For those of you who don't know, Melinda is the ultimate Harry fangirl, and Jules is the president <laughs> and founder of the Neville Longbottom Fan Club Society. Woohoo! That's right. You got some canon girls with you tonight. <laughs> and I'm a rogue guy. I, I, I like all the canon characters. No favorites, really. I just actually have a question now that I'm thinking of this. If Richard were here, Richard would be going off in a Harmonian bandwagon right now. I know he would. How did he get on? Or, or a Snape. Or a Snape. He, he's a big Snape fan, too. But we, and he, but we met him through your... to dig into Jewel and I both about that. But we met him through your mailing list. Yeah, isn't that funny? And How you know what? Richard claims to be a Harmonian. That steamy kiss, or however you want to describe the... Uh... You mean page 116? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know which page it's on? It's not on page 16. In- I have the British yes. version. <laughs> what page is it on? It's at Harry's birthday, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's before the wedding. Before the wedding, after the gold. Out of your page 99. There's the silver lining I've been looking for. There you go. <laughs> I hate Harry Fanning. Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm with you, Richard. I'm with you. She whispered, and then she was kissing him as as she had never kissed him before, and Harry was kissing her back, and it was blissful oblivion, better than fire whiskey. She was the only real thing in the world. I'm not listening. The feel of her, one hand at her back, and one of her long, sweet, smelling hair. (laughs) The door bang open, and Richard and P.S. crashed the party. (laughs) That would have went on much further. I would have burned the party down and been outside. (laughs) And yet, you chose a Harry Ginny where they nuzzle each other like a pair of unicorns. Hang on, stop. Stop, 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 stop. Why were you looking at Sink Into Your Eyes to find your fan fiction pics? That's where I get most of my one-shots from, and that's where my own fics are posted at. Mm-hmm. So. Are they? You know, that's kind Favorite. of ironical. What's your, what use of, what's your name on there? Same thing as it is on Puffwa. Three stories on Sink Into Your Eyes, a Harry Ginny fan fiction archive. Imagine that. His author name is Lonely Riddle, and he has three one-shots on there. And if he tries to tell you he doesn't like Harry Ginny, he must be lying. <laughs> He's winding us up is what he's doing with that harmonium stuff. I'm a believer in the type of storytelling that if you're going to do something, confront it head on and don't shy away from it and don't try and, you know, cut corners. And that's what I feel like she does in this fic. I feel like she, you know, addresses the fact, you know, why was Peter Pettigrew eventually a traitor? You can cut characters like Hagrid or Dobby or things like that because they're not central. But if you're going to write a Marauder fic and you want to make it authentic, you have to have yeah. Peter in there because he's the Marauders are four. They, they weren't three with Tagalong. There were four of them. So you, you have to include him in all that. Um, what I'd like to see in a Marauder story that I don't think I've seen, we, we've addressed Peter in a couple of them. Uh, Shoebox did it, and, and this one I think does a good job of including Peter and in, in, in where he got to where he ended up. But I haven't really seen one that addresses Remus because... I think a lot of us in the fandom have a soft spot for Remus, but Remus was the one on the outskirts with the Marauders at the end. I would love to read a story of how that happened because they suspected he was the one that was a traitor. So there had to have been something that happened there within their friendship to have made them all suspect that he was the traitor. I actually love the fact that Remus became a suspected traitor because I think with all good stories, if you took the trio and you had the story set 10 years later and nobody trusted Ron, for example, that wouldn't, to me, 
come across as bad storytelling, that would be fascinating to me. If you really believe in the author and you believe in the story, what could cause this relationship to turn into that relationship? I agree. I think that would be just a really great way of going down. It'd have to be, you know, just a tremendous earth-shattering event. It had to be involved. You know, it could be wartime. It could be in wartime, people drift apart. You know, they get tired. You know, they're, they're strained. They're under. I mean, it could be something as simple as that. What do you think? Do you think it was, you know, a wartime thing, or do you think there was a specific event that... I don't know. I, I really, because from what I pick up, they were all very close. They all do about this very little problem. <laughs> The only thing I can think is maybe once, but this doesn't even count anymore, because now that we know that they worked with the Order of the Phoenix, that they didn't have jobs, I thought maybe the others had gotten jobs and that Remus couldn't get work anywhere and he maybe had gotten a bit bitter and pulled away that way. But we know in canon now that that's not actually what happened, so I don't know what it was. It's almost like they stopped trusting him. And Yeah, but yeah. why? Unless the werewolves all went for Voldemort. And they didn't know if they could trust him. Well, let me put it this way. I could believe that it's a combination of war just stresses you out. And, you know, maybe because they were more distant from him as a result of war, you know, they got to a place where, because the werewolves are all turning in one direction, they begin to question perhaps, you know, Remus will as well. And it kind of turns in that direction before they know what they've drifted from him. I mean... Or it could be process of elimination. They could think Peter's too stupid to switch sides, and it's definitely not serious, so Remus is the only one that's left. Maybe after he left Hogwarts, he didn't have the place to go for the full moons anymore. Mm. So I don't know if the Ministry had things set up. Maybe he started getting involved with other werewolves or, or seeing other werewolves or something and maybe just got pulled a little in that direction and then that's what made them suspicious, maybe? Maybe he got pulled into the wrong crack. He was hanging around on the wrong side of the tracks. Perhaps. Something. But I'd like to see a story that tries to explore that a little. Well, perhaps Lady She will write one after she's finished with, with discovering Lily. I'm not sure if everyone's aware of this, but she has not finished discovering Lily yet. I say this because Jen brings it up every 27 minutes. Just saying. Yeah, there's still, we've got no resolution on that one. Yeah, it's, it's very upsetting to me. It's very disconcerting. <laughs> very disconcerting. The one thing I noticed about the earlier chapters, the one you covered last week, mm-hmm. where were the boats to get the first years into the castle? There were no boats. How can you have the students arriving at Hogwarts with no boats? There were no boats? There were no boats. I can't recall. How did they get to the castle? <laughs> I don't either. Did they just jump them over to the castle? It or? didn't mention the first years getting to the boats there, for that to getting into the castle that year. Yeah, they just ended up all of a sudden they were in the castle. Well, was there like, you know, like the asterisk, asterisk, asterisk segue to the castle? Or was it just like they were walking, 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 walking? Oh my God, we're in the Great Hall. They were on the train on the roof, and then all of a sudden the next thing they were at the castle. Well, they could have jumped ahead. Yeah. Well, did the head boy and the head girl bring them across? Because you only go over on the boats your first year, correct? And, and, right. And when you graduate. So... The first years need boats. Well, maybe they just weren't with the first years. I mean, they were. <laughs> I mean, they were seventh years in Melinda. She can't tell us everything that happens. I guess. All right, that's true. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> See that? I just I calmed some fandom west. <laughs> <laughs> and when we started, I know what Wank was. Now I'm putting out fires left and I'm putting out fires right. It's good. Yes, I'm gonna cure for Wank. One could argue otherwise, but yes. For tonight, let's go with BFW, the cure for fandom wine. We're on chapter eight, right? Yes. One little reminder thing says that this is after Sirius and Remus kissed and make the, made up. That's what I, you know, so that I knew where I was in the story. Was that it's after they kissed and made up. Well, my funny thing was I was listening to the chapters and I had difficulty telling because of the way it was coming across my headphones who was speaking at one time. When Willie is very upset after having spoken to Remus and Remus essentially declared his love for her 
and Sirius is the guy who's been broken as a result of leaving his home and being fighting with his parents and him trying to discover who he is. You know, they're, they're just both very upset. And I thought during my first listen of it that Sirius was declaring his undying love for Remus. And I remember thinking, oh, that's nice. She is, there's a slash ang. Oh, she, well done. That's wonderful. But then it wasn't followed up on. I'm like, ooh, she, a dangling plot thread. You shouldn't be doing that. And then I realized at the end, I'm just not. If she went that way, I would have been fully supportive of it. Alas, not so much. I'm not a puppy shipper. Don't lie to me. This might have been carried over from the last time, but I was a little surprised when Remus revealed so many of the major secrets to Lily like that. Yeah, the one thing... I, 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 it, it shocked me a little bit, just because that's what he was so mad at Sirius about, was that the potential of when he did that with Snape, that that could reveal about his being a werewolf and letting that get out, but then he did it almost almost the same thing without putting anyone's life in danger, but I, still revealed that they all were secret anima jai. I was just kind of shocked because I didn't I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of how Remus and Lily got so close to do that. That was one of the things which is difficult for me in this fic. The Marauders there, very little of it is actually canon. We got literally, like, a few moments from, um, you know, the middle of the fifth book, and we got an 800-word index card. So it's difficult to get a feel for it. So she's essentially walking us in on a fully formed Marauders universe on year seven. This chapter sort of started, all the marauders were now aware that Lily knows all their secrets, but I'd like to see their reactions when they found out, oh yeah, I told Lily everything that we've done, you know what I mean? Oh my god, guys, my coffee, I'm sorry, my coffee just kicked in, I just got the fact that Melinda was making boat comments about Lady Cheese Fick, I'm sorry, Dan. (laughs) Wow, I can't believe that went over my head. Play back the tape, everyone. Where were the boats to get the first years into the castle? There were no boats, how can you have... The students arriving at Hogwarts with no boats. There were no boats? There were no boats. I don't recall. How did they get to the castle? <laughs> I was so serious. Like, guys, I hate to tell you, but I think Belinda's being kind of bitchy here. I didn't think that was that much of a deal. I just got it. Wow. All right. Wow. Dan, please. Yeah, that was That's supposed awesome. to be a joke. Obviously, it didn't go over well. Wow. 27 minutes later, Brian, like, jumps up. Wow. Look at that. Delayed reaction just a little bit. Because <laughs> I'm thinking about it. I'm like, what? You were very dry with it. You're like being Leo for a second. I'm like, what? That's kind of bitchy. Alright. Oh, whatever. You know? And I'm like, isn't it funny that Melinda was being bitchy on cheese? Oh, never mind. Alright. <laughs> okay. Wow. I'm excited. Alright, Dan, please carry on. I can't imagine that after Remus was so mad and serious about having his secret revealed even though Snape was in danger, that uh, that they would be fine with Remus just casually saying, oh yeah, well, I'm a werewolf and these guys are all... uh." And imagine, I mean, definitely would have been nice to have that segue chapter in there where that's dealt with a little bit. Because, I mean, they, they just seem to, okay, well, she knows about it, so that's fine. This is the only section that I, I don't want to, now, now that you say it, I'm being bitchy with the other stuff I don't want. This is the only section of the thing that I had a little problem with. <laughs> it's okay, it, Melinda, that was my fault, please. He was so upset with Sirius because Sirius basically revealed so many long-held major secrets. He was so upset with Sirius when he put Snape's life in danger because it exposed this secret that they've kept all along. But I just thought he was kind of casual when he did it all the same thing. He revealed everything. I mean, he didn't do it as a malicious joke or anything, but he 
still did the exact same thing that he was still yelling at Sirius about doing it. Just the timing of it to me seemed kind of, I, I was okay. kind of surprised by. My opinion's a little different than yours. I can see that, but I'm kind of thinking that, um, I, I guess maybe it's the nature of what Remus was saying versus what Sirius was saying. So, you know, Sirius, when he did that, it could have caused serious problems for Remus in the end. I mean, that, that's something that. Exactly. Remus could have gotten in, he, he could have killed somebody. Right. Could have killed but somebody. But in turn, by, by Remus telling that the other three became illegal animagi, yeah, yeah. they could get in serious trouble for that. They could be arrested. You know, that's, the, the, yeah. they didn't register. They, it's kind of like giving one of their secrets away very casually. Right. Here's my reaction to that. Um, I thought you were initially saying you would have liked to have seen a scene when that was dealt with, and I agree with you on that. Yeah, that was my second point, was afterwards, just the Marauders all knew we did it, but we never actually saw the the reactions to it. All right, let me make two comments. One of them is just on, on um, on the pacing of the story, which she would like me to remind you now as part of a disclaimer. She was 16 when she was <laughs> uh, very well. She seems like she's like, you know, getting a doctorate when she's writing this. I'm not sure what. Like, I never would have guessed she was 16. Although No, like, I wouldn't have picked this yes. scene written by a teenager either. Written by the woman, you know, said by the woman. There was an issue I had with background of the characters and pacing of, of the story together. And it's a little bit like what I was saying earlier. I had difficulty because I felt like I was coming into chapter seven of a story when the story began. That I felt like I was supposed to automatically know their full history at Hogwarts. And while we do know a lot about their fifth year and sixth year, it's left somewhat open at this point whether Lily could perhaps be Severus Snape's best friend. We've seen that. She could be someone who absolutely despises James. She could be someone who's been a, you know, a quote-unquote honorary marauder for you know several years now. I mean, it's it, it, there's many different ways that authors can go with a marauder. So I was, I, I felt like I was on chat, like I felt like I was supposed to know more of the backstory than perhaps I did. The, the difficulty I had was because things were so different in year seven, it didn't come across, you know, on, on page that they were so different because we didn't get the previous six years. So like, for example, it was my impression from reading the first few chapters that the Marauders had been a clique for many years from, from first year on. And that Lily has never been a part of that group. The specific references to Lily, she's not in with the cool kids, and she's not in with you know the Marauders, who are essentially the geeks. She's not in that group, and she's not in the cool kid group. And she's kind of like she's pretty much Gorbachev. She's like a, a mammoth <laughs> of the country, except without the little thing on her forehead. I mean, that was the Lily I saw, and there and there were the references to the fact that you know she's going to sit with the Marauders tomorrow, and that's a big deal. And she really feels herself become a part of this group, and that's a new thing. So that was what I was really understanding the story to be. So then when Remus is spilling his soul to her and all of her, you know, his secrets to her, I was like, okay, maybe they've been close. Like, maybe it was, maybe it was like too delicately worded. And like me, the guy who didn't get the fact that Melinda Leo was making a boat joke just <laughs> right over my head. I don't know, but that was my problem with the story. I didn't get how close she was supposed to be with the group in that short period of time. In the event that Remus is very close to Lily, or even if Lily is just that kind face who's the outsider who you just need to talk to, it felt very real that he would open up then, because this awful thing happened to him. He almost became a murderer, and you know he has this awful secret, and he doesn't know who he can trust anymore, and his best friend you know, is someone he can't talk to anymore because his best friend's responsible for this and he's 16 17 it's a confusing time enough not even you know if you're a werewolf and not even if you've had this awful event happen i totally i thought that was one of the best scenes in the first um seven chapters was the scene where remus just you know 
tells everything to Lily. And as for them getting in trouble for being unregistered anime guy, yes, that's true. Although in these chapters, uh, there's a Death Eater meeting at Hogwarts, and everyone gets off with a very stern warning. So, <laughs> well, see, see the thing with the uh, group of Death Eaters getting off. I Dumbledore seems usually seems like the guy who wants to see the best in everybody. I mean, so I I don't think he'd hold that really against the group of students. I think he'd just think, you know, what they're trying to fit in. If it, maybe I can get to them and warn them at least once, and they'll stop. You know, kind of naive. It seems almost too naive for Dumbledore, and it kind of reminded me like of that. Yeah, that that seemed like a big deal what they were doing up there with, with Peter. So that, that that seems like a big deal. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it almost seemed like the scene from A Christmas Story where the teacher catches the fact that someone put Flick up to putting his tongue on the, on the pole outside. And she comes in and she gives them the whole talk about how I may not punish you, but your guilt will be far worse of a punishment. And all the kids are like, yeah, right. Thank you for not punishing us. I mean, it seems like he lets them off with a light warning. And they, like you said, they kidnapped a student, essentially. And were engaging in, you know, quasi dark magic. They were forming like the circle of death or whatever the hell the damn thing was. And that just to me seemed like a big deal. So I don't know, you know what it was. And it's funny because she and I usually have the same opinion of Dumbledore. For that one scene, Dumbledore just reminded me too much of Jimmy Carter. That's all <laughs> I can say. I'm like, huh. I would love to see, you know, fan fiction right now of Dumbledore in a boat beating the, see, Melinda Boat. Dumbledore in a boat. <laughs> Beating the crap out of a rabbit like Jimmy Carter did that one time. <laughs> my little point that I was going to make back there earlier was that it's always been my impression that Lily and Remus were friends. And I don't know why I think that, but that's just something that I kind of always thought. And so I didn't have a problem with that at all. You know, it just seemed like, for me, a natural part I mean, of the you think that they were friends before James yeah. and she decided, do you really? I, I do, hmm. kind of. Yeah, and I think maybe it's because they were um, because they were um, prefixed together. I don't. I mean, I don't oh, know if that's right. what. Yeah, you they know. were prefixed, but I, I just I don't know. It, it's entirely possible. It could be. We don't have enough. I have no reason to really necessarily think that. It's just in my head, and so there you have it. Is it canon that that uh, Remus was a prefix? Yes. That's okay, and then and obviously you can only have two from one house, and James being head boy, so everything she because he her. became head boy without being a prefect. And got to- okay, that makes sense. okay. You know what? I can actually buy into this a little bit more. So if you want to assume that you know Remus had that working relationship with Lily all those years and admired her almost from afar, and you know the fact that James definitely isn't Harry. Like Harry is the kid with with 14 different, you know, mental health issues as a result of his childhood, and he's, like, the shyest person alive. And then you have, you know, James, who obviously isn't. So you could see, you know, depending on who you write Lily to be, you could see James and Lily having that type of quasi-adversarial relationship for years, which does make Seventh Year a little bit different now that they're working together. The one thing I do like that she does is she doesn't make serious gawking over Lily in every scene, because that would have been too much. That's more of a shoebox kind of deal. Well, maybe I'm wondering if Remember, I asked earlier about what caused the rift with Remus. Maybe Remus did have feelings for Lily, only James wasn't aware of that till later. Maybe that's what caused James to get a little upset later on to find that. I would be more comfortable with Remus having that, you know, those feelings for Lily, and maybe he separates himself from the group, but doesn't, tell the, way. Group, but doesn't tell the group why. So maybe they're left to come up with their own reasons why, and maybe that's why they stop trusting him. Maybe they think he's becoming like a junior death eater in training or something. I don't know. But one thing I just want to say too, 
to get to the Death Eater scene. Obviously, we leave the last set of chapters. My husband's on the phone, sorry. I have to sneak out. I haven't talked to him in a week. Jules had to step away from a moment. Jules is... Be- you have to love Jules. She is literally changing diapers, raising children during this podcast. Part she hasn't talked to her husband in ten days, so Jules is stepping away for a few moments. Um, but what the hell were we just talking about? Something about... We were going to talk about the thing with, with Peter. Yes. Um... So with he, the Death Eaters. So he start Chapter 8 begins with Peter Pettigrew. He's doing his... It's like a very special episode of the Brady Bunch. Here's a story. He has been challenged to a to a fight by the school bull. So Peter Pettigrew does what you know Bobby Brady would do. He he you know anime guys himself into a rat, and he charges up to the astronomy Wait, tower. Peter Brady would that imagine himself into a rat. Well, Bobby Brady likely <laughs> would not. Peter Brady, as you recall, flooded the house when he tried to wash his own pants. So I don't think we can really count on Peter Brady. You little fink. Bobby Brady, unfortunately, as I recall, became a quadriplegic later in, in the show, but that was unfortunate. Um, okay, why am I stop calling him Bobby Brady? Why am I actually calling him Peter Pettigrew? Peter Pettigrew, you know, charges <laughs> up... didn't to- go for his more confident friends or tell them what was going on. He decided to handle it alone. No, and you know what? That means he's a character in the Harry Potter universe. <laughs> I'm fine with that. Like, really, if we were still covering Living with Danger, I would be very comfortable with that comparison because you know, the other <laughs> marauders don't seem to have, you know, any common sense when it comes to, you know, crime prevention. He goes up to the astronomy tower. Now, all I can think of is, I know this was written before Deathly Hallows, but can you meet me at night on the astronomy tower? We'll always have, like, kind of a, like a weird connotation. Like, yeah, that's like meet me in the cemetery at midnight. Um, no. <laughs> No, no, no. The astronomy tower is much more usually associated with restricted section stuff, right? Well, this is true, too, although I'm picturing Dumbledore <laughs> flopping back over the side of the, of the main wall, which, as I pointed out in a previous episode, now that we know Dumbledore was gay, that was actually when when <laughs> when, when Snape did shoot Dumbledore on the um, astronomy tower, that was now, unfortunately, a hate crime, but, you know, we'll leave that one for a moment. So, I'm picturing him charging up there, and I'm just like, Okay, this is not going to end well. And when he, you know, opened the door and was shocked by what he saw, I was somehow picturing that the bullies would not show up. Or Dumbledore would be there, or Severus Snape would be, someone would, it would be something weird, and it would somehow indoctrinate him into the dark arts. And he opens the door, and they're literally having, like, what I can only describe as, like, a Death Eaters AA meeting. It just cracked me up. And I like the fact that they refer to the leader of the meeting, that she refers to the leader of the meeting as, you know, somewhat incompetent. Because he's literally running it like it's a board of trustees meeting. Like, he's, like, recognizing people to speak. Like, it was just, like, the, the guy did not have organizational skills. He did not ever take a management course. So I was curious where the scene was going to go. Now, the first thing I thought, was that James and Lily would check the Marauder's map, and they would see him up there and assume that he was a Death Eater. So even though poor Peter climbed all the way up those stairs to prove himself a man, he was labeled a Death Eater, and all of his friends shunned him, and can't beat him, join him, and that was what turned him to the dark side. But then that wouldn't make really much sense, so it couldn't have been that, because then they wouldn't have made him the Secret Keeper, so it had to be something else. But you know. I liked how this attempt got foiled, though, because I think it would have been harder to accept that he got involved with the Death Eaters when he was still in school because he still has the security of that little group there rather than them approaching him later on. I mean, they've made contact with him now, so he knows that they're there. So it makes it easier, I think, for him once he's left school and is more on his own yeah. and not 
with that group as his protection anymore for them to pull him back in. Well, seventh year, so, you know, I, I wasn't that against it as an idea because because you're dealing with seventh year. Things are changing. I mean, this is like the Harry Potter story that we would have gotten if not for the fact that Harry had to go off and, you know, find all the horcruxes. I mean, this is the story of 17-year-olds whose, you know, hormones are raging. Thank God it's not shoebox or else they'd all be naked the whole time. You know, they're, they're dealing with all oh, these... Yeah, Half-Blood Prince. What happened to Half-Blood Prince? <laughs> no, that's just... That, that's the impression of Half-Blood Prince, isn't it? That's the puberty... Well, that, well, puberty. That, that's what the uh, director well, of the movie is. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought there were naked marauders and, and Half-Blood Prince. I'm like, Melinda, I know you read these things more carefully than I do, but please point to a chapter in section. Thank you. But, um... Yeah, I mean, that, that's exactly it. So I'm picturing, it, it's, and that's the time. Things are changing. You know, James changing. Lily's changing. Remus is changing. Everyone's serious. Everyone's changing. So Peter has that opportunity when everyone starts to almost pair off, or everyone starts to, you know, you know, serious and Remus have to resolve this fight that they've been having, and James and Lily, you know, need to resolve the fact that they're both idiots and need to date each other. You have Peter, and what will he do? And I like the way that she tells that story. He doesn't become a bad guy, and he doesn't, you know, get captured by the Death Eaters and resent his friends for not rescuing him. You know, it's not a misunderstanding. It's the fact that they do everything right. The Marauders come and charge to the rescue, and as a result of doing that, they make him feel powerless, and they make him feel like a small child. And he makes the choice that he doesn't want to feel that way. And you can see that choice is what leads him to becoming the man that betrays William James. You know, it's, it's like you always expect it to be like they're jackasses to him, and they're like, you know, calling him a jerk, and they're in there just being utterly awful to him, not realizing he has that potential to hurt them. And they're not. It's like after the you, after it, you see Peter thank James for saving him, and James comes back with, "Well, you would have done the same for me." And he means. Yeah, I thought that was one of the most heartbreaking lines there when it's when 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 you know he's assuring him that if the situation reversed, you would have come for us, and and really you actually know what happens when the situation's reversed. So I thought that was I liked that line, even though I thought it was very heartbreaking. Yeah, it was, well, it was heartbreaking too. But even if you think about it without, like I didn't even read into it, like I should have, but I didn't even read it. It's we can tell I'm a little dim today, but I didn't read into it with that future context. I read into it the fact that you know you would have saved me, and and and, and re- I'm sorry, and Peter's first reaction is not no, I wouldn't, no, I couldn't. I couldn't do it. And then if you actually want to think about it looking forward, does he have the power to, you know, in any way save, you know, let me even back up. Does the fact that he never saves them in the future and betrays them, is that because he wants them to die? Or is that because he convinces himself he can never save them, so why even bother? So, I mean, it adds, like, another layer into that there. One of the things I really liked in that chapter, uh, while I didn't was the uh, fact that if you when he when uh, something is really echoing? It was that kind of scary. That was kind of. There was like weird. That was very echoey. There was like a ghost on the call. That was frightening. <laughs> <laughs> your voice sounded like it was coming really loud, but really far away. It was that was strange. like that was like your dead great grandmother <laughs> was trying to tap into the call, and you're like, Dad. 
Yeah! I'm like, oh shit, are we getting this? All right, I think we did get in Prisoner of Azkaban. Peter did make a comment about you don't know what it's like trying to resist Voldemort or something. So that ties in a little with what I think he was saying, Ryan, was, was that he couldn't or he was too weak to resist. You almost wonder if he convinces himself. He either finds power using dark magic or he convinces himself he could never do it, so why bother Trump? But even even after, I don't, he didn't strike me as anyone who, he seemed kind of mousy, you know, mousy, yeah. But not not that he got a lot of power out of the Diacrats. He was, he was, you know, running around pouring wine for Snape and buffing Voldemort's shoes. Yeah, but what right, but gets he, him to that point, I, I guess is what I'm saying. We're in seven years. What gets him to that point four years ago? You would think that if it was true that he saw himself powerless to stop everything, that he would feel guilt about it. But the, but the thing is, like, when, when Voldemort's returning, he, he's the guy who's, who cuts off his own hand. He's the guy who, who cuts Harry and bleeds him into the, into the pot. So, so it leads me to, to believe more that, you know, he, he kind of, what I think was important in this chapter was the fact that, I forget the guy's name who's leading the junior Death Eaters, but. Me he, too, dude. You notice I called him the stupid leader. I'm like, oh. Nielsen or Niel- <laughs> Nielsen. But um, he t- he goes on about there's no difference between the uh, dark arts and and the and the light magical arts or wh- whatever you want to call them uh, the good and the bad and you see this whole internal conflict with Peter about well you know my friends told me this but how do I know that what they're doing is true I, th- I think I think that's what the, what the important part in this is that he's starting to doubt what he believes and I think that just yeah. manifests itself later on in that he goes for the total reversal even though he doesn't have any tr- thing to believe. Uh, Voldemort necessarily something might have something might have happened you know that made him say well maybe they lied to him about something and they and he thought well okay well if I can't believe them on this then maybe they've been lying to me about a lot of other things too maybe I think the most interesting way to do it is it's something that she started here at least for the record as always I've read up to the chapters of the episode and I haven't read further um, but one of the things that she has led up to Peter Pettigrew he doesn't become you know, if we've seen the genesis of him becoming a Death Eater, he doesn't become a Death Eater because James and Lily and, and Sirius and Remus pissed him off. It's not because they, they kick him because he's down. He doesn't become a Death Eater, you know, because, at least as far as we can see, because he's afraid and, and the Death Eaters yell at him and they scream at him and they, when they order him to do it. I mean, we actually saw him in that position and he, and he holds out. He, he prays that someone will come and find him. But he holds out, and he does say the right things at that point. The reason he does it is because he wants to be better. He wants to be like James. He wants to be like Sirius. He wants to be powerful, and he is willing to take steps to do that. He wants to. He wants to be more like them. It's actually, you know, from a motivational standpoint, it's it's a personal choice that he makes when he doesn't when his back isn't to the wall. I mean, sometimes. When your back is to the wall, you make the argument, well, you know, if they only hadn't screamed at them that one time, maybe, you know, Pettigrew wouldn't have done it. Or, you know, it almost puts the onus on, you know, the Marauders for being crappy friends or, you know, school security for not getting to him on the Astronomy Tower in time. You know, if only someone else had, had intervened, you know, Pettigrew wouldn't have gone. I like the fact that it's his personal choice to do it, and here's, he doesn't have to do it. You know, there's no one putting a gun to his head, but here's why he does it. I think that's infinitely more... You know, interesting as personality choice. And it's, now I'm not by any stretch a Star Wars fan. I would like to be. I've seen each movie once and I know them better 
than my, I'm not even going to touch him on this husband for a second. But <laughs> my favorite episode I wasn't in was the one I think Rena was in it with, uh, Tina and PS and Mike. And they're trying to get out of Mike what Star Wars episode he just watched. And he's like, the one with the old guy. And there's, <laughs> there's this, there's, there, there's, there's sand in it. And, um, there, there was an X wing, I believe is what you people call it. And it was ridiculous, but you know, he does almost have some, personality traits similar to Anakin. And when you look at what he does in his chapters, he you know, he, he he has this huge smile on his face when he helps Lily, you know, with her homework and she and she says he means something. You know, he's good at something. He's good at herbology. And I can't tell if she's actually just humoring him there or if he just actually is pretty good at herbology and it's just something he never would have thought. You know? The description is even that, you know, he doesn't look scary or he doesn't look weird with his features. He actually looks good, you know, in that, you know, he is, he, he, because he is able to, you know, feel someone else's gratitude. He's a, you know, it, it, it does good things for him. And in even the point where they, you know, they're having their customary, um, you know, the kids get, I'm gonna laugh. I want to call it the, the customer. The kids get drunk scene, but they're all drinking butter beer or whatever. Um, you know where they joke about the fact they're they're joking and making fun of Lily for the fact that she's lightweight. And Peter's like, "Well, well, I'm a lightweight." And he tries he he's trying to stick up for his friend, and that's and that's a big deal. And what sets him off from that? I like the fact that it's personal choice he makes, and I just I don't know. I think I think she's Peter is is a kid. That could have turned out very well, if not for something, and if not for these traits he has that makes him potentially dangerous. If there's not something there to hold back. Hmm. Wow! I just like put the room to sleep. Yeah, Go. you did. No, you didn't put to sleep. I'm thinking. I'm thinking about what you're saying. Uh oh. What the hell is that? You okay, Jules. <laughs> Jules may have put us on mute. While Somebody was coughing, I think. That was kind of, that was kind of frightening, actually. <laughs> this is, like, weird. I'm feeling like there's, like, a sixth... Oh, God, I figured it out. I think we are being haunted by Bernard the Goat. <laughs> <laughs> Either that or she's got some kind of listening device to see what, what we're all saying. Has everyone seen... Um, Scott's new banner that he created for the ball. Yes. That's me one. I don't think so. I think I'll put it up for you. Um, I, I love this banner. I think this banner is absolutely awesome. When we meet James's parents, do you automatically assume that that means their death is imminent? Yes, I thought I they were actually... I that in, in, a, in a Marauder fic. I actually, I actually thought they were going to die before, like, in the team. Like, before, like I was waiting for Chi to actually say... Harold, you know, poured himself a cup of coffee, and he, you know, with great gusto, you know, drank in the caffeine and felt it hit his system. Unfortunately, that's when he was shot with the Avada Kedavra curse and died. Like, I was waiting for, like, like these people, like, because that was after the scene where, and, and just to, to go in order, so you have, <laughs> so you have, so you have, yeah. Okay, Melinda just actually got the... Um, I got the goat being struck to lightning. Yeah, Scott, Scott our, our frequent guest host, has uh, created a, a banner honoring Bernard the goat. It's actually, you see his death 
on screen. It's very graphic. <laughs> it's, it, it's like it's and like the it's like me being there during the Gen sex video. It's just it's, it's very graphic, very graphic. <laughs> but um, you know, to go in order, you have you know, there's fourteen thousand Death Eaters in training up in the Astronomy Tower in Little Peter Pettigrew. You know, age eight. You know, not really, but that's what you're picturing. You're picturing this little guy. And James and Lily, you know, this is the thing, this is what I love about She's writing here. Like I said during the Living with Danger series, I love the fact that, that Sirius Black wrote trashy romance novels, because really, why not? And I love the fact that Minerva McGonagall wrote them and sent in fan mail. Like, that's what fan fiction is for. So I like when things are done differently. Now you have James and Lily go up to single-handedly take on you know, the, the Junior Death Eater Society, you know, at their board of trustees meeting, where Sirius and Remus go and get adults to help. Nowhere... Sirius in, goes to get adults Sirius to help, yes. goes to get adults <laughs> for... No, nowhere, nowhere in the Harry Potter novels, to my knowledge, did they ever, you know, oh my god, we're about to be attacked any minute. Quick, notify someone who's of age. They never do that. They're always like, well, Hermione. Hermione does. But, well, no, but Hermione good. says we should get help, and they say, shut up, Hermione. And Hermione says, no, okay. like with the broomstick. She she went and got McGonagall with when Sirius gave Harry the broomstick. I know, but that's not like, you know, imminent, like imminent attack. Like, I'm talking, <laughs> you know, when things get bad, the kids charge into combat. And, and I just love the fact that Sirius Black is like, I need to find an adult. I need to find an adult. I thought that was great. So, so you know, of course, for the he respects felt so much because he, he he just thinks they're wonderful. Although I would have loved a little homage to Shoebox with Sirius declaring his undying love for Minerva. To McGonagall, I know. I <laughs> so, and I don't know what was with him first. I mean, she could. So they charge up onto the onto the astronomy tower, and things look tense because he's like, drop your wand. So they're up there, and they're side by side, and at this point, James becomes Captain Kirk. And if anyone's ever seen a classic Star Trek episode, what always happens is there's the computer running the planet. Computer on. Record. Recording, dear. Computer, you will not address me in that manner. Computer. And it's enslaving all of the people. And Kirk talks to it for five minutes. And he, and he like, blows the computer's mind with endless monologue after endless monologue. Like someone else that you know. What is a man but that lofty spirit, that sense of enterprise, that devotion to something that cannot be sensed, cannot be realized, but only dreamed the highest reality. Endless monologues after endless monologues. And then sparks shoot out of the computer, and the people are free. So that's like 17 Star Trek episodes. So James charges up, and he defeats them with words. Or at least he confuses them enough to get them under Petrificus Totalis and, like, remove all of their wads. So James captures, like, 18 Slytherins. So he takes them all down, and he, you know, Regulus sees this, and Regulus is angry. I did like how Lily unflinchingly backed him up, though. She wasn't the, you know, cowering, screaming girl in the corner that, that a lot of the well, heroines sometimes tend to be. I like that she was right there backing him up. I know Chi's personal preference is she doesn't like Mary Sue. 
Lily, like the one that all the guys love and is perfect, and she has the study skills of Hermione and the courage of Ginny and the looks of Lavender, and you go down the list, she's the best of everything. I like the fact that it almost reminded me of Ron and Hermione going up there, and, you know, like, she, you know, is in, you know, women's lib moment, and she's like, how dare you suggest I follow you, and and he's like, you're a crappy shot. (laughs) I liked her line about telling him not to crash into her if he falls down the stairs. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be like Jerry Ford, but he lands in the heap (laughs) at the bottom of the stairs. So they capture them all, and, 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 and this is all witnessed by Regulus Black, who is, you know, captured moments later by his brother. So we get to that point now where the Death Eaters have a reason to hate James. And then we get to meet James's family. So yes, Melinda, the minute we met James's family, my immediate thought was, they're all going Oh, to they're going to die soon, yeah. <laughs> and, her, and, she, and, and she's so cute, and she loves her son, and he's so happy, and they have coffee in the morning. And then, you know, she puts her arms around him, and he has his, you know, his expanding belly. I'm like, oh, you're going to die. I'm so sorry you're going to... Well, then I'm doing math in my head. I'm like, all right, these are perfectly lovely people, and of course they would raise Harry, because really, you know, with with people like these around, Lily's obviously going to leave Harry to Petunia. So, you know, they're obviously going to die. And then I was thinking at the end of the story, when they're going, when they're getting off the train, you know, there was going to be a line about, you know, James looked stricken. His family was dead. End of chapter 15. <laughs> Yeah, I was waiting for Well, uh, the only Marauder's Hicks I've ever made, I've ever read, have had, you know, pretty sudden violent deaths of James' parents. So this one, this one surprised me. But, that, but when, when I first read that as soon as they were there, I was like, okay, here it comes. And I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. And then they, they, they lived through the whole chapter. I was surprised. I know. Now, well, no, it is. Now it's like the dumbbell and it's hanging overhead. It's swinging back and forth. And they're just like be- beneath it, like spooning. And it makes me feel so bad. And I'm like, all I can think of is, she, you bitch. <laughs> Why would you do that to perfectly lovely people? I just actually realized something. Dan had to leave for work where he will undoubtedly kick crap out of, you know, anyone who tries to steal his money. Jules is still on a conference call with her husband. Melinda, this is just you and me. This is like the lowest, like, this is like since episode, like, 11. I don't think we've had this few people on an episode of the Perfect Weekly. Yeah, what happened to Rena? Do we know? Rena is um, actually going to be coming on. We're going to be done. We're going to be done. Melinda. Oh Hi. How are you? Look at this. We can get so much work done. We today. really should should talk about something else in between now, shouldn't we? We to make sure we don't talk about the thick the whole time. Okay, can I just point out for a second? Dave from the forums Skype message reads, and I quote: "Perfect Weekly has no content that doesn't include canned spinach." I have no idea what that means. Oh, have you noticed mm-hmm. mine? It doesn't. Include King's Mitch. Uh, what does yours say at the moment? Linda Lito told a funny and I missed it. <laughs> like, you just see me. I, like, jumped up. I had coffee in my hand. I think I went to couch. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, and I'm thinking, all right, this isn't going over well at all. Let's just move on. And so I let it go. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Linda told a funny 27 minutes ago. Oh, my God. You're going to need a bigger boat. This is true. You know what we should do? We should, like. Now I'm alone here on the podcast. I'm still here. Hello? Oh, Okay. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Marvel <laughs> Quickly. I'm Melinda Leia. I wonder what house Trelawney was in. Ooh, 
I smell a one shot coming. <laughs> now I'm thinking about you know that. what I could actually see? I could actually see like sparks shooting out of the sorting hat. <laughs> so Jules, how's your husband? He's fine. He's at the top of a mountain. Did you tell him the story about the ring? No. <laughs> oh no. Will, will you ever? I will. No. Yeah. That, that's I just... journaled it actually. It's in my live journal. So yeah, he'll read it when he gets back. Danielle stayed over here. Um, like she came over for the night, like a couple years ago. And she drove home late at night. And the next morning, like, I woke up and, and we had, like, fallen asleep in bed watching a movie or something. I woke up the next morning and I had bought her, um, a clatter ring. Um, she wanted a clatter ring, so I bought her one for, um, for Christmas one year. And I was very concerned she would open it and say yes. And I'd be like, okay, we're getting married. But she didn't. So I gave her this clatter ring that she loved and she left it on one of my end tables next to my bed. And, like, the next morning at, like, noon, I looked over and nosed it there. I'm like, I wonder if she knows that she left it here. So I called her. I'm like, and I asked her a question about the clatter ring, and she was like, <gasps> I'm like, I have it. She's like, oh, my God, I lost it. So it's, it's kind of amusing. So I, I'm, I'm, he's at the top of a mountain? He's at the top of a mountain. Yeah, See how I transitioned it back to Julia? Yeah, right, I'm back. Very smooth, right? Very smooth. Well, I was just thinking I went mountain climbing once, and I called in sick. I called out to work because I had to work later that day, and I'm on the top of like Mount Manhattan in in New Hampshire. I'm like, I'm not coming into work, and my boss called me back to fight with me over the phone. I'm like, I'm hanging on to the side of a mountain. Oh, I think we have Rena. Oh, we have Rena. Your husband is there with the three boys. Uh, no, the two younger ones are with his parents. He and the older one are in 21 Boy Scouts. We're adding Rena to the call. Rena. Hello. Hello. Rena. Hello. I am so sorry I'm late. Don't worry about it. Say hi to Rena, you'd be so proud of us. We've been really on topic tonight. Yay! Can I just tell you, Melinda, um, Melinda has proven to me tonight that I am literally, as you would say, dumber than sawdust. <laughs> How dumb are you? Dumb as a box of hair? Yes, exactly. Well, the, the thing I love, I was actually thinking, the thing I love about Rena is you could do one of those, like, clip shows with a thousand and one, like, ways Rena has of calling someone stupid. It's like, are you dumber than a box of hair? I, I swear to God, y'all, it's like looking at hammers all day. It's like she just goes down the list. Um, did you actually, I know, Rena, you were catching up on some episodes. Did you ever, do you, are you familiar with the boat incident? Of the seventh horcrux? Vaguely. The boat in okay, you read the seventh horcrux, right? Of course. Okay. Yes. Of course well of course. It's 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 required to read it. Well I'm so, sitting right here like she's gonna say no. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Maggie's still awake, huh, Jules? Yes. Oh, <laughs> she wants she to sounds me very happy. Melinda, she talked to her dad. Oh. So um there was do you remember the scene when they were in the um they were in the cave? from Half-Blood Prince, and Harry and Ginny had taken the boat over to, they were doing something, I can't remember, they were doing something with the locket, they were getting the real locket, they were exchanging the locket or something with the locket, and, and Ron and Hermione were fighting off the Death Eaters and Snape at the cave entrance, and then yes. they took the boat back, and the boat flipped over, so they were hanging on to the top of the boat, which Harry, I believe, propelled into a speedboat, and like, the inferior smacking against the side of it, and they're propelling their overturned boat. Do you remember the scene? Yes. Okay. She and Jen spent 25 minutes on that scene. Compl- <laughs> now, they were drunk, mind you. Complaining about the poor writing because it's very unclear what happened with the boat. 
They couldn't understand it. If the boat was overturned, they must be... If they were holding on to the bottom of the boat, they must be underwater. But if they're underwater, how are they speaking? And, you know, Melinda just, you know, it, it, was, it was just so confusing. These two drunk women could not possibly understand it. And every time they got off a topic, one of them would be like, you know, y'all, I, I'm sorry. Can we go back to the boat for a second? Because I just... This, this, and they would not... And Melinda's, like, crying, like, with her head in her freezer listening to this. And they, they were just so drunk. So we made the promise that, you know, when Melinda got to review cheese stuff, she would be just absolute brutal. Right. And tonight she made a complaint that in the early chapters, there was no scene with the seventh years... First know, years. With the, with the first years getting on the boats, going to Hogwarts. That was Melinda's complaint. And my reaction in my mind was... This is bitchy of Melinda. I mean, for seven years, I mean, you don't have to include everything in the story. And it's and then, and then I, I go off in the monologue about how the head boy and the head girl don't have to actually march him over to the school. That's what Hagrid does. And I'm like, Melinda's a really good author, and she, she should know that you don't have to show everything you can imply it. And I'm like, that was rather bitchy of Melinda. Literally 25 minutes later on the podcast, I, someone's in the middle of a brilliant point. I'm like, oh my god, she made a boat joke and I missed it. <laughs> so, it obviously wasn't a very good joke. Yeah. Melinda's like crying <laughs> the joke she worked on all days. Like she tried it in front of her husband and kids to try it out. They all think it's, it's like she got dead air on the podcast. So I am apparently the stupidest person ever. <laughs> All right, so we have talked very much about Peter Pettigrew. We have talked very much about the fact that, you know, the boats do not play a huge role in the story. And we have talked very much about uh, Remus telling Lily that he is a werewolf. Now, Renee, you had the point you wanted. Yes, okay. <laughs> this is my point. You know, I, I have said before, I, I am not a fan of Marauder Arafix. I am not. I have nothing against Lady Chi. I have nothing against other people who write these kind of stories. I just cannot get into them. That being said, I know we have talked in the past about how people can draw parallels between the characters. You know, we've talked about drawing parallels between Sirius and Draco, about having the family background and, and making the choice and stuff like that. We've talked about other characters making parallels. And, you know, people make the parallels between, of course, Neville and Peter Pettigrew. But I think, and I don't know if this is a common thing in Marauder Era Fix, because like I said, I don't read very many. But I mean, okay, they even gave Peter a, a like, mad herbology skills. <laughs> and it was just like, let's beat people over the head with the fact that we're <laughs> trying to make this kid into Neville. But you know what, to be honest, Ryan made that comment a little earlier, too. <laughs> I didn't get the... The impression that he actually really was good. I I had the impression that Lily was just trying to make him feel better, so she she kind of latched on anything to say that he was good at it. But I didn't really get the impression well, that he actually was. That's true, but but you also hear Lily <laughs> talk about dead plants all over the common room. <laughs> <laughs> He's like watering the dead ones, <laughs> well, like the dead know, branches. But Lily also says, you know, I had no idea he knew so much about these kinds of plants, and you know that that to me at least indicates that he did have some idea of what's going on. But I mean, I just, I remember when I read that part, I'm just like, Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Is it possible? <laughs> he's so dim that she was humoring him and he missed it. It is possible. I, I guess, but I don't know. That's just, that was the immediate. Well, I saw a lot. Of there stuff. are a lot of comparisons between Neville and Peter. Yeah. I mean, the, the <laughs> thing that really struck me was that, you know, when he's up on the astronomy tower, you know, fighting off 14,212 Slytherins who all promptly surrender when, you know, James' father arrives, is that 
he reminds me very much of Neville because Neville is described pretty much with the first four books. You know, Jules brace yourself. It's someone who cannot do any form of magic. He's practically a squid. Even McGonagall, like, even, like, makes, like, the, the comment teachers aren't supposed to make, which is basically, I know you're a screw-up, just try really, really hard to hide it, if at all possible. <laughs> like, so, you know, there, there's strong comparisons there, and I think the difference between the two characters is the choice they make. I mean, if, if you want to take what she wrote over these chapters as the canon, since we don't really have a really good canon description of what happened, they both became powerful, and they did it very differently. And Peter became powerful because he wanted power, whereas Neville became powerful because he cared about his friends. And, you know, one was very selfish, one was very selfless. I mean, and you could argue that's the difference between the two characters. The similarity, of course, is that there's a possibility both of them can water plants. So I don't know. That just struck me right off the bat, especially because it was the first chapter we had to read for this evening. It made me laugh when I thought about it. I was like, wow, can we draw? Because people constantly make comparisons between Pettigrew and Neville and, you know, stuff like that. I just, you know, it hasn't ever been anything quite so much like, hmm, how can we make him more like Neville? I know. We'll make him the resident herbology guy. Well, I like, I just to jump on the other bandwagon, I like how she writes Lily. I made a comment last week. I like the fact that Lily is lazy and hasn't started her, started her new preparations yet because when we read shoebox she was like a carbon copy at times of hermione mm. and like and you know she's to the ring the you know the people have already taken them you know on their future i mean she's you know correcting all the gonagall's papers i mean she's you know really on top of these things so i like the fact that you know lily can you know take excellent notes for remus when he is in the infirmary which is really a hermione kind of thing but she can also <laughs> you know, herself need help with things. So I like the fact that she walked. It seems like the, she's making many, many efforts to walk a tightrope and not make Lily into a Mary Sue, which I definitely appreciate. And that's just one of the areas where it came out. Who else loved the story of how Remus's parents met? I thought that was cute. I, I did. I thought that, although it did... I'm sorry. I'm, I'm going through this whole mess with the Postal Service right now because <laughs> I'm trying to get it. You're like, I hated it! <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't hate it. I just, I thought it was unusual the way that they did that. But like I was about to say, I mean, I'm going through this whole mess with the Postal Service right now because I'm trying to get a passport. And it, you know, you hate mailman it doesn't right surprise me that someone who worked for a post office, like a muggle post office, wouldn't really catch on to the fact that <laughs> the post office her husband works at isn't quite right. <laughs> because, like how this is the you know, third from, time Parvick Weekly has taken on the post office and just. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just saying, you know, there's, you would think for a government agency, they'd have a better idea of like, you know, they don't always know what's going on from, you know, one to the next, but that's just me. So you're surprised the government agency didn't, you know, know what was happening? Well, and it's more like, you know, you'd think, I know across the government, things aren't always, you know, 100%, but you'd think from, like, across the city. I'm sorry, Melinda right now, I can tell, is banging her head into her desk. <laughs> <laughs> we won't put politics into this, but yeah. She hates the Postal Service? <laughs> well, no, she's voting Republican in the upcoming presidential election. <laughs> Thank you for just voting me on that, Ryan. I, well, I, I could have voted you on worse things, Melinda. Okay, you are voting Republican in this election, aren't I you? I don't know that now. Okay, you totally put that as one of your status things. No, it is. I have a McCain bumper sticker on my car right now. Melinda has seen it. There's a McCain... Well, it's actually... It's a window decal, which I thought was a bumper sticker, so it's duct taped to my car, and it's 
Jay's head's awful. But if he picks Mitt Romney as his running mate, I'm tearing it off my car. Melinda Leo be damned. It was a comma there. <laughs> Melinda, comma, Leo be damned. This is like not yourself. <laughs> Jules is like, oh. <laughs> Jules, are you here? Oh, your baby's place. I'm just amused by the fact that, like, I'm like, who loves the scene? Moment of silence. And Renna's like, I thought it was very nice. I hate mailmen. I don't hate mailmen. Oh, my gosh. You are totally going to put that on the podcast and be like. <laughs> it's going to be the title of the podcast. This, it just in. Rinna hates mailmen. And... Anyway. Now you said it, so I have the sound bite. Thank you. Rinna hates Oh, God. <laughs> Can I just tell you, I have, like, a ringtone saved somewhere of a Melinda describing big, grassy balls. Like, I can... Oh, you do not. I do. I'm selling it on the, um, Puffa store. Have you seen it? Get out. No, I have it right here. Hang on. I'll send it to you. (laughs) Oh, God. I'm not making this. Why would I make up Melinda? I don't know. I got it right here. I made one for... I'm selling it on the store for, like, 25, um, galleons. No one's squired it yet. Good. Well, why honestly would anyone want that? Got it right here. Just to say that they have it. <laughs> Renee, Renee didn't hear the uh, ringtone that Jen made. Seriously, I've been going round and around trying to get this stupid passport because my sister moved to London last week and my parents are trying to organize a trip for us to go over and visit her. But I don't have a passport. Everyone else in my family does because they took a happy little family trip to London and I wasn't invited. And so... I don't have a passport. And so I'm trying to get one as soon as possible so they can go ahead and make the arrangements because I can't leave the country. I have to have six months between the date my passport is issued and the date that I leave the country. And so, but when I was born, you put a rush on it though, won't they? Although I think they charge you extra for it. Yes, they do. But I was born in Louisiana before they offered, before they issued actual birth certificates. Are you serious? Yes. Which is so like when you're when people are We got we got copies of birth certificates. So my brother and sister were both born after they started giving out actual birth certificates. So we didn't have one for me. And so now I've got to try and contact the Louisiana Department of Vital Records. That should go well. Yeah. (laughs) Is that why you don't like stories that involve government agencies? Is it possible? Yes. Okay. Because I've been beating my head against the wall trying to get my freaking birth certificate because when you got your birth certificate, you weren't issued a social security number yet. So it's not like I can just say, okay, here's my social security number. My name is not the same as it was when I was born. But so now I have to like fax them notarized copies of my driver's license, of my like any identification, like I don't have any other ID besides my social security card, but they can't use that. So I have to like fax them notarized copies of my college ID, <laughs> like, and my driver's license. And I have to like swear out an affidavit that I am who I say I am and all this mess. And Did I not know you're a very successful podcast host? You know, you'd think, you'd think they'd know that, but apparently they just, they missed the boat on that one. Apparently they only listen to the year like none other series. And, and they, oh. <laughs> That could possibly be the source of your oh. problem right there. Okay. So you remember me telling you about that fabulous fanfic I found with the butt sex babies and the breastfeeding and This is Harry doing the breastfeeding. Yes. Oh no, 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 no. I don't want to hear about that. <laughs> no, okay. First of all, to give you a little background on this this story, you have to okay, this is 
This is one of the first paragraphs of this story, okay? Please, Michael, stop this now before our child is hurt, Harry begged, trying to hold his eight-months-pregnant form from getting crushed on their living room floor was hard enough with Michael sitting on him. It became even harder when he had pulled up his hair. Michael just snorted and started to lick the outer shell of Harry's ear. I may have created it, but I don't want it, and accordingly lay no claim on it. You, on the other hand, my dear husband, are mine to do whatever I want when I will. This is the first paragraph of the story? Yes, yes. He then bit the ear, not enough to make him bleed, but enough to bruise. Where do you find these Okay, that's nasty. Okay, no, it's it's better. Like, the one, it was like, I I need to dunk my brain vinegar. (laughs) Yeah, I'll send you some brain bleach. No. Oh, oh. Yeah. Well, my Honestly, why do people want to write this? That kind well, of thing. No, here's the thing. I can understand. Like, I can wrap my mind around somehow around you know, Harry. around a month pregnant Harry. You don't have any problem doing that. I'm breaking it down step by step. <laughs> I can wrap my mind around Harry being gay. I can wrap my mind about Harry, you know, being married. I live in Massachusetts. Right. All right. I can do that. Um, the part about Harry being pregnant, I have seen, um, you know, if it's good for the governor of California, I can, I can rationalize there may be a magical, p- I mean, at, you know, after the end, very well received story, and there's a scene in there where serious breastfeeds, or there's the potential for serious breastfeeds. So I, I can, I can see things. I can get that. I've, I've seen summaries of fix where Harry literally is a cat. I can't go there. There, there's some levels that just disturb me. I don't know. Not like an animagus, like he's an actual cat. Okay, no one really has comments on the cat thing. No, no one has a comment on the cat thing. Oh, good God. We're way off course. Okay, and then, of course, yeah. here's the the very first line of Chapter 3. The next no. morning, a Sunday, <laughs> Severus went I'm into really the infirmary go and clean. walked in on Harry breastfeeding Ian. It was easily one of the most beautiful scenes he had ever witnessed, especially since all the bruises had been covered or healed in the night. All right, can I just say one thing, Melinda? If you're still here, if you haven't gone for your juice because of you know blood, you know sugar issues, <laughs> this fic, if if Melinda, if if um Brenna is describing the same one, involves Snape, who does yoga regularly, who wears Hillary Clinton's peacock pantsuit. The yellow, the bright yellow. He walks around wearing it. And he's like, this is fabulous. Like, that is the snake in the story, so. Yeah, basically. <laughs> for you. He gets tired of black all the time. Exactly. It's like, you're like none other where he tries green. So, Jules, you're back with us? I apparently am back with you, yes. Okay, we're, we're glad you made it back in time for Harry to be, um, you know, having rough sex with yeah. his husband while pregnant. So we're glad we got you in under the radar there. Um... <laughs> Okay, so Chi right now is like, why aren't you talking about my fic? I wrote it. Um, what other scenes do we have? One scene I just wanted to point out from the fic, I really enjoyed. Well, and let me even back up. I loved the story about Sir, uh, Remus's parents meeting because it's a Puffwa story. That is what is likely to happen. You know, picture this as a Jen story. She's trying to hide from people that she's a witch, and someone apparates into the middle of the room. And <laughs> owls flying everywhere, and, and and they're being, you know, she's beating them with brooms, and owls don't like that. And you can imagine, I'm not going to get to second base. Like that's the thing that's going to be going through your mind. So I really enjoy that story because that's a poofless story. It, it really hits home for me. 
and I, I am just... Well, I like your whole attitude first with when the app ran it in, was just t- trying to pretend that she didn't notice that. And right, yeah, you just I didn't know it. a few people that would actually do that. Yeah, just to try to pretend it actually hadn't happened. I didn't see that, yeah. Like, I didn't see it. <laughs> I, I can see that, too, though. It's, yeah. it's when you're being attacked by owls that you're like, crap. <laughs> I have nothing. I have no excuse for that. I like um, the interaction between James's parents in the morning. You know, when when she gets the letter from him, when they get the letter from him, and she's trying to wake him up. Oh, and they didn't die. Yeah, yeah. But we had a conversation <laughs> about yeah. that. As soon as they introduce James' parents, I always expect them to be dead. 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 Like, dead yeah. Yeah. Dead. The next day. And I'm reading it, and I'm like, okay, she still hasn't killed them. Oh, look, she made them cute, that bitch. Like, why are you making me like these people? But um, Yeah, I'm just ignoring that future part there for right now. This is true. One thing I really liked, I almost just went back and forth. I almost just started talking about, um, I really enjoyed anything with Remus and Lily. I just thought it was great. You know, mm-hmm. Through the story. Because you know what? I'm that kid who like would tell the girl I liked her, and then she'd be like, oh, that's great. I don't like you. And I'd be like, oh, awkward. And then you, you have to like, you know, you're like, oh, look, you know, the sun. And I like she, being friends. Yeah, which, oh, I loved that. Can I tell you, when they tell you, oh, can we just be good friends? The answer is no. I've been there. Well, that, that well, unfortunately, when I first asked Danielle out, she gave me the exact same answer. So it, it's a little, it's a little vulnerable for me. It's a little sensitive. Aww. But, well, she... Well, she misinterpreted what I was asking. She didn't know I was asking her out. If she had known I was asking her out, she would have said yes, but she didn't catch it. So she just kind of smiled and, like, patted me on the head and then kept reading whatever she was reading. And I'm like, that bitch. And then six hours later, we figured it out. It worked wonderfully. But um, I really right. liked the um, the whole conversation between Regulus and Sirius in the Great Hall. Oh, yeah. Well, because she always says that, what was the thing? She always gets comments, like, she's trying to make some, ana- like, analogy to, you know, World War II or something like that. I just thought, the one thing she plays up a lot is she plays up the, the differences between, you know, the Muggleborns and the, you know, and the, and the purebloods. And she plays up, you know, the marriage laws. She plays the ways that pe- the stereotypes between, you know, the different, you know, blood groups, I'll call them. And then, you know, the, the the, the common answers that you get back, you know, well, of course, Muggleborns can do great things. Here's examples of five people who can, but that you can't beat prejudice with stereotypes. I just, I thought the scenes were great because I thought she, it did strike me a little bit much like, you know, an after-school special on the, on the, you know, the importance of not being, you know, discriminatory or racist. But I did enjoy seeing, you know, the differences in the characters. And you've got, you never really have a lot of interaction, you know, Obviously not on screen, but not really. You don't get a lot of reference of Sirius and Regulus. There's the moment where you know he's on the map. You just don't get a lot between the characters at all in the canon. You know, besides a few references here and there. And I like the fact that they. You could tell, unlike other parts of the stories, uh, unlike other parts of the story where I really couldn't tell. You know, I didn't get a sense of the history between the characters. It seemed like they just got off the boat on their first year. I did get the sense of the characters this time that these brothers have had this fight a thousand times. And I kind of like the fact they're having it in the middle of the Great Hall, and, like, Remus and Peter are just kind of standing there watching the whole thing. I just, I don't know, that the, the whole art, I like that. I like the fact that Meg, um, Lily's friend, you know, is essentially betrothed, and she's going to hopefully get pregnant on her wedding night so she doesn't have to have sex with him anymore. This is Kim from Gilmore Girls. And, you know... I, I I like the fact that she added all those different layers in about the about the stereotypes and stuff. I just thought that was really cool. 
Yeah, I, I like the whole little Meg side of storyline that went on there anyway. Oh, now I have a question. Rena was here last week. She has mentioned that she, for, for better or for worse, inserted herself into the story as a character. And last week, we all assumed, I can't remember her name, I think it was Kristen. Was it Kristen Lily's roommate? You know, the kind of bitchy girl who was the roommate. We're like, oh, that must be Chi. And now this week I'm reading it, and I'm like, I wonder if it's Meg. So now I'm like, I feel bad if I made the bitch Chi. No, I jumped it's not Meg. It's not Meg? Are we sure? You haven't read it all the way through, right? No. Oh, no, God. it's not Meg. Okay, it's not Meg. Something happens with Meg. There's more to Meg's story. That's just, yeah. Okay. Because I would have felt terrible if I'm like, oh, she's moody. That must be cheap. <laughs> Record it on the broadcast like for people to listen to. Right now, don't laugh. Like, it's, like the, <laughs> it's like, oh, look, she's moody. That's bad. You know what I want to talk about is uh, head boy and the head girl. She has her own room because she's the head girl. But how come Jane still sleeps in with the other marauders? Does he have his own room? I'm sorry. Because didn't she say that Kristen was her roommate? Or was it like her roommate at the past? Earlier I thought, but then I thought this this chapter, I, I just called it out because that's always one thing. Like, I noticed a lot of fix to it, but I've never seen anything in canon that says that the head boy and the head girl get ever- their own room. I actually had reviewers that took me to task when I didn't do it just because that they get them. But I don't think it's ever been official that they so did. In this story, though, was it specifically stated that it was her own room? Because the uh, thing that got to me was that James was going there, and I was waiting for the scene where he was so tired, he, like, slid down, like, the chute because he couldn't go up that far. Yeah, I thought it was... Yeah. I, I had the impression that it was her own room that they were going yeah, to. Yeah, I did too, but I, I think this may have been before we knew about the chute. No, because there's, a, there's like, a throwaway line. It looked like it was, like, a, a period before, and she added on a comma, which is a power that, like, she made an exception, like, the head boy can do it. So, for all we know, she was going up to Lily's group room, the seventh-year girls, and he was banging on the door, and he's the only guy who could get up there. Hmm. Maybe. Well, I guess that's a possibility, too. That, that, that's probably a possibility. I don't... Yeah, I'm just well, trying to follow up the chapter here in front of me, see if I can... Yeah, unless she just... Uh, well, usually when we read these stories, like, have you ever, like... Sometimes the authors are so bad, like, they do the thing where, like, Ron and Hermione or Head Boy and Head Girl, and they have to, like, share a bed. <laughs> right. Oh, look, no, it's usually Draco and Hermione. Yeah, and they have to share a bed, and it's like, oh, yeah, because that's realistic. Although, while Melinda's doing that, um, Lavender Brown's book that we get to. Uh-huh. Now, if you read this, like, obviously, Ron and Hermione have sex in, like, every chapter. And there's actually a chapter <laughs> where they, they just had sex, like, in his dorm room, and they... No, I'm sorry, in his room, and then they went into her room. Or, no, I'm sorry, they, they got their clothes on, and they were eating breakfast, or they were doing something completely innocent, and McGonagall banged in the door. And this is, like, five minutes after they, you know, got cleaned up. And Ron made a comment saying, oh, thank God, you know, we just got cleaned up. That could have been awful. And Hermione's like, Ron, she knows. And he, he looks horrified. He's like, what do you mean she knows? He's like, look, we're being hunted by Voldemort. You know, Dumbledore is dead. You know, we're the first line of defense. You know, you're a seer, all these other things. She's like, I just think she figures she owes us one. <laughs> like, you know what? I'll look the other way just on that. Like, I just thought it was, and Ron's like, oh. He's like, Etai. He's like, oh. <laughs> it's right when, um, because it begins with Peter going up to the astronomy tower, and this is him waking up to go get Lily. Says he, lo- he knocked on the door. To Lily's room at one o'clock in the morning. Uh, well, but then it says a unique privilege allowed to him because he was a head boy. So that could be, yeah. It could be just a regular dorm room. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite is the one where um, Lily turns out to be the Slytherin head girl. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. 
I saw that one coming. I just want to say this. I mean, like, overall, we've been bouncing around the story tonight. Um, I really am enjoying this fic because I think that, you know, after you do a podcast with someone for long enough, you can, you kind of, like, I know she. I know what she likes. I know what she doesn't. And I like the, you know, you're dealing with five specific characters. And like Rinda was saying before, these are characters, they're either carbon copies of, of, of you know, the ne- of the next generation. You know, Lily is a, comb- is a perfect combination of Hermione and Ginny and, you know, James is, is like, drunk Harry, and Sirius is, like, Ron with a little bit of the twins mixed in, and, you know, Peter is Neville, and no one really knows who Remus is, and, you know, <laughs> you can, like, go through that list where you kind of just, it's like that Saved by the Bell Remus episode. Remus has a little Hermione in him, I think. Yeah, it's like that Saved yeah. by the Bell episode where you see, like, the next generation of kids watching the time capsule tape, but they're exactly like the previous generation. Like, there's a Screech, and there's a Zack, and there's a Slather, and there's a cheerleader and there's a book more. It's like the same kids. They don't- you watch entirely too much TV, Ryan. <laughs> I watched that like 15 years ago, Melinda Lugo. <laughs> Miss who's watching Battlestar Galactica and apparently doesn't like... Well, actually, you have to like Starbuck. Come on. I like the old Starbuck. Yeah, I like this the new Starbuck's Star- a girl. Something is... There's... Well, no, there's so much stuff that happens that I can't... Like, to give you an idea, the guy who plays Adama at, 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 almost is, an, is a scene in an episode where he's flying um, a raptor down to a planet, and they put this thing in front of him that, like, it shoots pressure at... I don't know what it does, but the pressure difference is so great, it, like, takes the folds of your skin and, like, pushes them into your body like you're on, like, a plane that's being dropped from the sky, like, like your face, like, builds up. And it's this very dangerous device to use on the actors because it could cause, like, an embolism or something. It could cause, like, a brain, like, like a stroke. And he's like, oh... Can I have one of those for my house? Like, he's, like, this, like, absolute, like, he's, like, the coolest guy. So, like, I, I love his character because he does really cool stuff. I just, I haven't even finished the first season yet. I just, like I said, the, there's not a particular character that I really, you know, there's nobody that I really care I, about, you know. You know who Some I of the storylines are interesting, but if any of them die, I really don't. You know who I care about? I care about Bill. Not- I really like the president's aide. I like um, Juwala, the black um, woman who works in CIC. I really like Colonel Ty. I'm so, I just love Colonel Ty. I love Starbuck. I like Adon. I mean, the only character who I don't really like going into the show is Lee Adama. He's the one that's supposed to be Apollo, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's not as... I, I like the old Apollo better than I don't yeah. like him well, either. Yeah, I don't like the new Apollo. I don't like any of them. I, there's none of them that I really just just yeah. want to I mean, cheer for. Yeah, I mean, if you don't like the characters now, you, you can really stop watching. But <laughs> um, they do really neat things with the character. But um, okay. anyway, we'll, get a, we'll do... An exchange. In there. Let's do Harry Potter. Yeah. Let's do Harry Potter. <laughs> I like the commentary she makes in the characters. I like the fact that Lily is her own person. She makes these characters very real. They're not carbon copies of what's to come. And it's interesting for me because as someone who has read, you know, this, you know, I've read Melinda stuff. I've read, you know, Swish and Flick stuff. I've read, you know, Jules and stuff. I've read everyone's stuff, and it's, you know, after a while, you know. No matter how gifted of a writer, and you're all very gifted writers, it's difficult for me to read, you know, a 50 or a 60 or a 70 year story again because it's it's the same ground over, and there's only so many ways you can do it a little bit differently. So this is interesting for me because this is showing me that I can go back to this old generation and find different people, but who have those connections to the future. So I know that there's a future that involves Harry. And that involves, you know, Peter Pettigrew and that involves Remus. 
but in serious, but they're different to me. They're not, you know, this, this is, you know, James is not Harry. And a lot of times office, you know, forget that. And he, you know, he's just a very different character. And I like the little idiosyncrasies that you see in the character. Now I'll admit the fluff stuff. I, it wasn't my personal thing, but uh, I like the fluff, but okay. I like fluff anyway. So yeah, yes, <laughs> I'm breathing. I'm like, Oh, look, they love each other. That's, Wonderful! <laughs> I'm like jumping to the to the seats. I'll, I'll admit, like I like this. Some of the um, stuff with James and with Lily, I could have done without. But the, the Lily Rima stuff was much more interesting to me because they were friends. And the serious Lily stuff was much more interesting to me. I mean, what she I think managed to do successfully in these chapters is come up with very different characters who are real people. Remus feels uncomfortable around James. He feels uncomfortable around Lily because he admitted to the girl that he loved her, and the girl does not love him back. And I, you know, they've got these real problems, but at the same time, they're breaking up, you know, criminal guild rings, and they're, you know, preparing to graduate. And I don't know. It just, it's, it, I, re- I'm really enjoying the fit. Okay, here's something that kind of, like I said, and I will quantify this again and again by saying I don't read a lot of these stories, so I don't know if this is a common thing or not. I feel like it has a lot to do with the movie, but I I don't know that I necessarily buy that everybody was in love with Lily. It's funny you say that, because that's the thing she always bitches about. Um, what was the thing that J.K.R. said, that there were two things in the Prisoner of Azkaban movie that, real, that were real foreshadowing? And is it naturally assumed that one of them was the Remus-Lily thing, or was that just a guess before... TH came out. I think it was a, a guess because it still didn't. Yeah. I mean, we we never got any canon proof of that. True. I mean, it I was Snape Lily that, that yeah, exactly. which you didn't see in the book. I mean, actually, I haven't gone back and watched that. I, I've thought about that. I want to go back and watch the, the Prisoner of Azkaban movie and see if I can pick something out now. I mean, the thing here is that the only two who have a thing for Lily are Remus and James, and I'm okay with that. Because Sirius clearly either doesn't or he forces himself not to. In Peter, it's a, it's a very different, it's a very different thing with Peter. If it's like everyone loves Lily, it's going to bore me to tears. I just don't think that's what we saw. I think it happens a lot in the Marauders fix just because you have so many male characters and then you have Lily. There really isn't an, I I mean, even in this one, they didn't give her another female friend that, that any of the others were interested in. Do you know what I mean? That it's, she is the only female counterpart, so I think that's why, where a lot of that stuff comes well, from. Well, that and, you know, anybody tries to bring in another female character, and it's like, let's just go ahead and stamp Mary Sue on her forehead and not even yeah. worry about it. And I mean, yeah, and I understand that. I just, I don't know. I just don't buy it. I really don't, that everybody was in love with Lily. Because, first of all, I think that would cause way more tension. Could you imagine, the- The, like, the five of them being dropped on a desert island with no hope of rescue, and they're like, guys, we're going to have to start to reproduce. <laughs> and they're all looking at a little, I don't know. That's, just, sorry, I guess. that's <laughs> And James puts, like, one arm around her and glares at the- Serious? I don't know. I just, the, I don't. Lily is, is James's girl. So Sirius got that. Right, and, like, and that's okay. I just, I don't know. That's, that is what I don't buy is that everybody was in love with Lily because well, I just, I can't see all of those guys falling for the exact same girl. Well, say, especially when they're given such different personalities. Well, look at She's Lily for a second. She's Lily has the sensitive side that appeals to Peter and Remus, has the, you know, the obvious personality traits that really connect her with James Potter. 
And like I said, um, back in the Living with Danger series, I always see Sirius as someone who falls for that person who's more shy than he is, more bookwormish, more, you know, authoritative, who can kind of corral him into place. So that the character of Lily, depending on the way you look at her, has traits that would make her, you know, in at least some ways compatible with all of them. Plus, I think it's the thing where they're, like, I've always seen the Marauders as, like, they're the geek club. You know, the, there's two steps above having pocket protectors. And they like it that way, and they have their own language. Like, they're William Shatner. The Marauders? Like, really? You, you see them as, yeah, I, I see the them cool as the kids. cool kid. Yeah. No, I, always, I, I never did. I always thought, well, here's the deal. I mean, they obviously have that ability to do the, the, the whole deal with, well, it's, it's different. I, I shouldn't say they're like the geek club. That implies there's like, you know, the cool kids over there, and they're at the other table. It's not like mall rats or anything, but... You know, I mean, James is, is, depending on who you ask, either a seeker or a chaser, and, you know, they're, they're a little bit above that. But I always see them as, like, the quirky group who speak to themselves, like, in their own language, kind of like, you know, like William Shatner and the Ferret commercial, like, they click at each other and they all understand it. And, you know, like, look at the twins. The twins are obviously popular, but they're inclusive, and they have that own language with each other. Maybe a better way to say it is not so much the nerdy group, but they're a very inclusive group, and they stick to each other, and they don't mix well with others, maybe is a better way to put it. And because Lily kind of penetrated that sphere, <laughs> she's like the only girl. So they all are like, ooh, well, I like her, because she's the only one there. From a storytelling standpoint, yeah, she's the only girl. So I don't see that in canon, and I only see that in fan fiction. True. I mean, in, in most of the... I mean, that's absolutely true. That's the way I choose to view them. Like, if I wrote fan fiction, that's how I'd write them. But yeah, I don't think there's anything... There's, you're absolutely right. There's no canon basis to it, other than the fact that they were the Marauders. You know, Pat, they have, like, you know, their code names, and they became in a Magi together. They did so much together. It implies to me that they were very inclusive as a group, and they, they weren't, you know, just like the, the cool kids who had 50 million friends. They were very much into each other and kind of shunned everyone else. It's just my impression. There's so much discrepancy when it comes to, I mean, even from canon, how many people go to Hogwarts? How many students are in each year? You know, how does that really work? It's completely possible that... Those four were the four Gryffindor boys from that year. <laughs> They're and, all there you know, is. We don't know that. And but we also, you know, one of the things that we do see from canon is that the people in Hogwarts tend to stick within their year. Mm-hmm. And they tend to stick within their house. In their house. In their house. Yeah. And so it's not necessarily that they just do everything together. I mean, it, for all we know, I mean, I have never been to boarding school in my life. And for all I know, that's just the way it goes in boarding school. So, I mean, I, I really, I don't know that I, that I immediately see that as odd. Because we see that, I mean, in canon, you know, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, yeah, they start to include Ginny later on, but for the most part, it's them. Well, let me ask, let me even bring up another point, too. Obviously, you know, like, when you look, like you just said, look at the the trio later on, you have Harry, Ron, and Hermione. You know, they, they, they obviously have, you know, they're friendly with Dean, they're friendly with Seamus, you know, they're friendly with Lavender, but... When you could easily, in a really bad retelling of, of the, um, well, this is what fanfics were, I guess, you know, you could even, you could easily see a situation where because they were so close together, Ron and Hermione may each have had the thing, I'm sorry, Ron and Harry may each have had a thing for Hermione. It didn't go that way, but it could have. I mean, I think you, you tend to look to the people you're closest with, you know, especially when the hormones start flaring. Like, you know, if you're a guy and you have a really close, 
friend who's a girl, and all of a sudden you turn 14, you instantly are like, do I like her? Should I date her? Like, that's just kind of the thing you do. It's the Dawson's Creek moment. It is. It is. It's the Dawson's <laughs> Creek moment. But I mean, I just, I don't know. I, I, I just don't necessarily think that, I, that that's odd, I should say. I mean... I don't know how I ever really saw the Marauders because, I mean, I'll be completely honest. I never really gave them that much thought. I know that's horrible for me to, you know, like the story and really not give a crap about <laughs> these other characters. But no, really- it's fine though. It's a, it's such a wide canvas of characters that there's no way to, for everybody to love yeah. every character. You know, we okay, all right. have certain ones we'd like to and focus so, on. I guess part of the reason why I don't like Marauder era fix is because. People have kind of established these stereotypes within fan fiction, and we don't really know where they came from. I mean, the big one is that Sirius is some kind of ladies' man, bizarre sex god, kind of, I'm going to nail anything in a skirt that saunters my way, or if you read the other side, anything in pants that saunters my way. But, you know, we don't have any evidence that that's how it necessarily was. And we don't mean we don't really have any evidence about any of these characters. And and that's, I guess, kind of why I don't like, I mean, I know people like them for those reasons because you get to play around a little bit more with them. But I guess to me, just the way that they've been portrayed over and over and over in fan fiction, that's kind of become canon to their characters. It just, I don't know. It just doesn't seem right to me. I think it definitely gives you the ability to, like you said before, like I really like the way she writes these characters. I I really enjoyed it when we read them in shoebox. I can, it's not my first type of story to pick up because, like, because you can write them, it's kind of like living with danger. Because you start from scratch and you tell us the story of these characters, it's hard for me to tell if you're effing it up or if that's just your unique interpretation because you make all the rules. I mean, if you write Hermione as, you know, sleeping with every guy in Gryffindor, that doesn't seem right to me. She's not supposed to do that. But if you're creating the character and all you have about her is the fact that she went to school, you know, with Ron and, and Harry, you could say, well, that's my impression of her. And you could be like, okay, I don't like that. So I think you definitely have more leeway as a writer. But yeah, you, if people don't like what you're writing, you can't say, aha, because there's no blueprint. There's no Bible on the character other than like a few scenes you got from the camera. Right, right. What other, um, do anyone have any final thoughts they definitely want to get in or? Did y'all talk about Peter's mom while I was gone? Peter's mom? Peter's mother. No, we didn't. Go for it. Sorry, it was just her her whole blood purity spiel thing kind of made me, with the way that she wrote her and then wrote Peter, it makes me see, I guess, kind of how he could be susceptible to that kind of thought, you know, when with the little junior Death Eater party up in the, up in the astronomy tower. Yeah, I mean, does that make sense? You no, know, it does. I mean, you can easily make the argument that, you know, what is Peter's motivation? Why is he become a Death Eater? Why has he betrayed the other Marauders? And I like the fact that she makes it Peter's choice. It's not like, you know, he, he was going to be good anyway, but because, you know, you know, Remus and Sirius told him to get lost one day, he decided to become evil. I like the fact that she removes the responsibility, you know, the potential blame from anyone else at this point. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the character of Peter, he is trying to rationalize ways for him to be a good guy and when you know when when james tries to do the good thing and you know you know metaphorically puts his arm around him and says you would have come after me if i were in trouble peter's first reaction is i couldn't have i i am of no use so he tries to find a way that he can have that power to be good like his friends and it just he completely loses control of it i like that i like the fact that he can be like huh maybe the thing my mother said had some merit to it 
and maybe what he's saying has some merit to it, and maybe I can be powerful, and maybe I'm going out about it the wrong way, and I can be just like my good friends, you know, <laughs> James and, and Sirius Remus, and it, it, it blows up in his face. I, I just think that's kind of cool. Anyway, that, yeah, I just... That scene kind of struck me, <laughs> and this is going to sound really weird. There was an episode of Family Guy. <laughs> oh, thank God it's not just me. <laughs> There's an episode of Family Guy where Meg almost joins a cult. I don't think I saw that one. And the leader of the little uh, junior Death Eater group kind of reminds me of the guy that was the leader of the cult. And there was one scene in particular where, you know, all the youth cult members were supposed to kill themselves. Mm-hmm. And the cult leader guy comes in, and he was voiced by the guy who played Elaine's boss on Seinfeld. Okay. Yeah. So this is the voice, and he comes in for the hour of ascension, and all the kids have already killed themselves. And he goes, well, this is just great. Haven't you ever been in a cult before? (laughs) Of course, they're all dead. He goes, I can't ascend by myself. You know, it kind of, that kind of reminded me, and that's what I thought of when I read that scene with the junior Death Eaters meeting. He's completely incompetent. And know what the thing is, too? When the door opens, he's like, welcome to the junior Death Eaters meeting. I'm like, okay, number one, you don't announce it actually as the junior Death Eaters meeting. (laughs) Like, did he put, like, the sign, like, did he, like, go to, like, Professor McGonagall, Professor, I'd like to reserve the astronomy tower for the junior Death Eaters meeting on Friday from 630 to, like, it's like... It's like, you know, is this an officially sanctioned Hogwarts activity? It's like they all have the name tags. Hi, my name is. It's like, you know, (laughs) it's it's like the social hour. It's like he's a really bad. It's it's literally he's running it like a board of trustees meeting. He's like, oh, hold on, hold Peter there. We have to read the minutes of last month's meeting. And then Dumbledore, aka Jimmy Carter, comes down and it's like, um, that was very bad. I hope you learned your lesson. (laughs) That was very wrong indeed, boys. Very wrong of you. I'm very disappointed in you, all of you. And, like, the kids are, like, shaking and peeing themselves. I'm like, that's it? That made me mad. Yeah, it's like... That That really made well, me if mad. I were, you know what? It, it was like, I know a guy who used to work in a department store, and someone stole a TV. And he chased them, like, 14 blocks. I don't know how big the TV was. Maybe they were in a car and he was just running. But he chased them and, like, fought them and, you know hit them and kicked and dragged them and the stolen TV back to the store. And the store manager was afraid of getting sued, so he gave them the TV. Oh, no. So my thought was, why the hell would you put any effort into your job as, you know, the theft prevention officer if you're not going to get backed up by your boss? Could you imagine being James and Lily taking on an entire Death Eater armada? single-handedly, while even Sirius Black goes to find an adult. And you do this whole thing, and you drag them down, like, practically tied up to Dumbledore's office, and Dumbledore releases them on personal He just taps them on the head and sends them on their way. If I were James and Lily, I would be giving liquor to every one of the Gryffindors and saying, have a fun year. It's like, why Yeah, am see I- you later, man. I'm phoning it in from now on, because, you know, obviously, you know, the old man is not going to back us up. So I just thought that was creative. You know, that made me... I mean, it made me kind of mad, because... You know, it's so difficult to figure out how people are going to portray Dumbledore, you know, because some people think that he's this evil dictator and some people think he's, for lack of better words, a pussy. And, you know, I mean, people kind of they waver back and forth. But, you know, I, I kind of expected this is not doting, almost senile Dumbledore that we have in canon. You know, this is not that Dumbledore, this is 20 years earlier. This is, or more than that, you know, this is, he was younger. I'm sure he would have been a little bit more 
on the tick about it. You know, I mean, it's it just younger, younger. He's hundred and twenty. Well, yes, but hundred and twenty is a lot younger than hundred and forty. I mean, come Do you on. Listen to yourself on this podcast. I would like to have seen that as a plot point. Them just like giving the butter beer to the, the first year, saying go for it. <laughs> all right, so that's okay. it. I think that's all I have. Again, I I love any scene with Remus. I love Remus and Lily. You know, just talking in the, in the hospital thing. I love Remus and Madame Pomfrey saying, would you like me to rotate you so you can sit at that wall for a while? That was <laughs> I love Madame sweet. Pomfrey. Yeah, it yeah. Was, I really, I really like that interaction between Remus and, and Poppy Pomfrey because, you know, you don't think about it or I never thought about it before, but you know, I'm sure they were, they did have a very close relationship, almost similar to what Harry and Madame Pomfrey have because Harry has spent so much time in the hospital wing. He gets wing, there but, a lot, too. Well, no, yeah. Remus, obviously, has been there a lot. He's been and, there when he's been conscious. Well, Lindsay, did you write the scene in one of your fix where Harry's walking by the... I don't, I don't think it was you. Harry's, like, walking by the hospital wing, and he stops in just to say hi because he misses Madame Pomfrey because it's been so long since he's like... Yeah, that was Curse of the Dams. Yeah, it's like, I, I just wanted to say hi because I see you so frequently. And it's like, <laughs> I brought you some roses. Here you go. And it's, I thought that was great. Hey, you gotta admire that. I'm, I'm picking up on things tonight. After the boat incident, I got really sharp as a tank. But, um, yeah, it's... And the one thing I really did enjoy, too, is sometimes writers tend to write, you know, lycanthropy almost like you know, a bad case of acne. And you're very uncomfortable. <laughs> or it's like you have PMS or something. It's like, you know, oh, for that week, oh, you, you don't want to be around me last week, but I'm feeling much better now. It's like, okay, he, he becomes an actual werewolf. <laughs> like, you know, there has to be some type of psychological scarring. I like the fact that James even says, I know you want to be independent, but you may need me because he changes this week and he's not the same Rena's. When she reacts... You know, the fact that I don't think the Remus I know would have said to me that he loved me. He says Remus is much deeper than that. He's a much different, there's more to him than that. That's the, the Remus that you know is the Remus he wants you to see and hopes to be. I mean, that was very profound. This is the fact that Remus, he goes through hell literally every month, even though he has, you know, the Wolfsbane potion, I'm presuming he has. I mean, that's, I don't know, I thought that was really cool. Now, did they have Wolfsbane potion then? I don't know, actually, now that you say it. Well, I don't no, think you they can't. did. You can't because with the Wolfsbane potion, someone just—you told me, Brenda. Um, they just—he becomes the wolf and just like collapses, and curls just, up like, into a, a ball and sleeps. Most of the thing is, yeah, that's what it. He didn't. Yeah, he that's why they became the Animagia, right? They, that's that's why to keep him company and 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 because he because he can't hurt. He doesn't hurt other animals, so they keep him away from humans as animals. So they couldn't have had the Wolfsbane back then because they played. I like that too. Oh, we play together. We play. That was that was, really, that was that was funny. Did anybody else notice that? Like, did I miss a scene, or did did Peter? Like, I know he's going down the road towards you know never coming back. Did he turn into a jackass in like the last chapter? <laughs> did anyone catch that? Like, he he made like a comment about Lily or something like that. He was. He, oh he, yeah. He kind of became an asshat, and he did. You know, I I don't know. It's like the morning Melinda wakes up and her cute little son is like, yo. <laughs> it's like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> That's not going to happen. I want, no, I want to make sure you that line that of me saying it was an asshat because Lady Chi and I got into a discussion about how people don't call people asshats quite enough, and it's such a great phrase. It is a great phrase. Oh, man, I am so excited. I may vomit. You know what? I just found out, and I'm so excited about this. I live right across the street from where I go to school. Mm-hmm. Well, where I will go to school. Our classes right now are being held on the North Little Rock VA campus. Mm-hmm. which means that I had to get, like, military clearance mm-hmm. 
to go to class. You know, I had to have, I had to have a background check and all this kind of stuff so I could go on to the VA property for this class and to do all this stuff on there. Well, they're moving to the medical school campus, which is right across the street. But I was under the impression that they're moving to this building that's like on the very back side of the campus. And I was really upset about that. And now I just found out today that they're moving into the building that's like directly across the street. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I could like, seriously, I could go outside and throw a rock and hit my classroom building. I'm really excited about that. <laughs> I just want to point out the gas is $4 a gallon. Three ninety-two. Melinda, well, next time we get together, I'm driving to you. Cool. There you go. Okay, can I tell you how mad I am at my TiVo tonight? I was watching a movie, and it decided that I needed to watch the um, Olympic swimming trials instead. (laughs) It's like Dave Letterman. He's like, I decided to watch, you know, Get Smart, and it informed me that I really wanted to watch Armenian race car driving. (laughs) I saw that. I remember that. That cracked me up. When it was he like said the other that. way around. He was watching no, Armenian race. It was Jay Leno. He was watching ra- a race, and his TiVo decided he needed to watch reruns of Three's Company. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I mean, not that I mind watching incredibly attractive men in in very small amounts of clothing <laughs> in a pool, <laughs> but you know, I was watching a movie. Come <laughs> on, come on. Oh, I found out that some of my. Uh, one of my husband's former fraternity brothers and his wife listened to the show. Are you serious? And I found out completely by accident what because I was at a nod to that. I know. I was at a wedding, like for some random guy who was friends with both of us, and I ended up having to hand out programs at the wedding because I guess whoever it was didn't have anybody to hand out programs. And so I was standing there talking with this guy and his wife, and this was right before Deathly Hallows came out, and they were saying, you know, they were talking about, because they knew I'd read the books, and they were like, yeah, we're really excited about it, and they said, you know, and the wife was like, you know, this is really geeky, but we've been reading fan fiction, and I was like, yeah, I've been known to do that myself, and we're talking about it, and they said, actually, we listen to this podcast, and it is so good. They talk about all these, they talk about fan fiction stories, but it's not just like, we're going to talk about one at a time. You know, they really get into it. I was like, really? Sounds interesting. What's it called? Well, it's called Potterfig Weekly, and I just about <laughs> fell out. I was just like, oh. Did you tell him? You're like, that's interesting. Have a good wedding and run the other way. I was like, wow, that's interesting. I'll have to check it out. Are you serious? Well, that happened to Melinda. Melinda's at the mall, the people in front of her are talking about the seventh horcrux, and she like ran away. Are you serious? I did. Oh my god. It was in, um, what's that? Newbury Comics. But it was, it it was like a Harry Potter display, because it was shortly before Deathly Hollows came out. But it was a whole big group. Until, I mean, if it was two or three people, I might have, like, said something. But it was a whole group of them discussing fanfic. And they were on to the, the seventh Horcrux. And I was like, at first I kept thinking, did I really hear that? And then I convinced myself I didn't really hear what I thought I heard. Well, this thing blows oh my-, my mind away. Because you have, like, probably thousands of readers who, like, read your, like, you actually encountered someone who listens to the podcast? <laughs> yeah, I, I encountered someone who listens to the podcast. And likes Although, it? Hey, let's, let's realize, we do have quite a few people who download these episodes. We do. We have like a thousand people. Yeah. Episodes. I mean, still, it's really crazy that, that I found probably the only other people in Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't. Were you were in, were you in the, de- oh, you weren't in the Deathly Hallows one. No, that was when Rena, Rena wasn't no. in the yeah. Because I was going to be in the one where we had, or I was supposed to be in the one where we talked about what we thought was going to happen, but then I read the carpet book, yeah. and you kicked me out. I did kick you out. What's the carpet book? 
The carpet book was the leaked copy. And it was real, though. It was actually... Yeah, it was, it was, it was photographed actually, on a carpet, right? Yeah, if somebody got it. It was a, I guess it was a librarian or somebody who worked in a library because they were able to get the copies ahead of time so they could catalog them for libraries. And somebody sat there with a digital camera and took pictures of every page. Wow. And posted them on the internet. And I was curious to see what was going on. And so I, I read the carpet book and well, I didn't read all of it because some of the pictures were not very good and I have horrible eyesight on a good day. And so I read parts of it. I read the entire epilogue and then I just read bits and pieces from other chapters. And, and I will be the first to say, I thought it was a fake. I really, really thought it was a fake until I got my copy. And then I was like, holy crap. (laughs) I just tried to stay away from the internet completely for a few days, even before that. I just didn't, I so didn't want to be spoiled that I was, even if there was rumors that there was stuff, I didn't even go and peek at it. Well, you have to imagine too, like I've said this before, all of us are like, we're bashing, we're not even bashing, but we're, we're saying we don't agree with the fact it's totally unrealistic that Lily would be you know, loved by all of the guys she's around. But Harry, you know, Crucio's people in front of McGonagall and Hermione's putting the Imperio curse on everyone. And they're like, oh, yeah, that makes perfect. Okay, fine. Joe Rowling obviously wrote this. Oh. <laughs> that was a good point. People should have that was- <laughs> Okay, all right, I'm just kidding. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm, sorry. I'm, I'm attempting to navigate this website from the stupid Louisiana vital statistics. Oh, for the love of God. Okay, that's a good point to say that we're ending the podcast for the evening. She, I loved it. No, I'm not saying that because I'm your friend. No, I'm not saying that because Melinda made a boat joke. I actually enjoy your <laughs> thing. It's opening she, my he, eyes to yeah. marauders. Marauders everywhere. I continue to think they're, you know, probably seven steps above the pocket protector people, but I am enjoying the thick and it, I hope you kill Peter's parent. I'm sorry. I hope you kill James's parents soon because they're very cute, and you're pissing me off by letting them suffer. <laughs> Grow a set and kill them. She, yeah. I love you, and and I I think you're a lovely writer, but I don't like your story. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, but it's because you don't like. But it's the because genre. I don't like the genre. It, it's the same. You know, I I feel about Marauder era fix about the same way as fix that or about the same way as I feel about fix that don't involve Harry and Ginny as a couple. I just, I can't do it. Okay. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with it. And I keep saying that. I mean, I'm sure that a lot of people love the story and there's nothing wrong with it. Technically, there's nothing wrong with it. You know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the story. It's a good story. I just don't care for it. I, I will read whatever story you want to give me, but I cannot buy Harry with anybody else but Jenny. I just can't do it. Yeah, exactly. I'll read, I'll read Hermione with anybody. I'll read Ron with anybody. I'll read, I don't know. I, mean, I like you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think I'm a likable person. Well, here's the, here's the thing. I didn't mind it in Lavender Brown's thing because the way I saw it, everyone had, like, Harry dated, well, he kissed Cho and, Ginny dated Dean, and Ginny dated Michael Corman. I mean, I was fine with the fact that Harry dated Susan Bones because he he wound up with Ginny. So that was okay for me that he he tried it, didn't work too well, dated someone else. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. Melinda's breathing heavily Because we already did that. That's what show was for. So but, if you want to give Ron or Hermione another girlfriend to figure Ginny out how to... Ginny dated Michael, and then Dean came along. What's up with that, Melinda? I don't necessarily think it's true. I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing that there were more relationships in there because my mom mentions this all the time. You know, when she was 
in high school. It was nothing for her to go out on dates with different boys every week. And that's just what happened. And now if when I was in high school, if I did that, I would have a horrible reputation. Yeah. Because it's just a different kind of feel to it. But I don't necessarily think it was a bad thing the way they did it before. Because you didn't have people, you know, you didn't have these emo kids slitting their wrists because their girlfriend of five days broke up with them. You know, it wasn't like that. And, I mean, I'm sorry if that offended anybody by saying that. Oh, I had people with their heads in their ovens. Please carry on. (laughs) Yeah. But, I mean, it, it wasn't. Being young is supposed to be about finding out what you like, and it's not necessarily, you know, I'm going to find this person, I'm going to marry them, and I kind of like that, that they had a little bit more variety in there. I mean, I wish that the other characters had had more experience in relationships, because that would make the final pairing a little bit, you know, make it more important. But where we only, we had really seven years to, to, yeah, to do all that this. Is true. beginning their children. I, I cannot stand there's a ton of like i'm a huge harry jenny shipper but there are a ton of rewrite stories that that immediately put them together when they're 11 years old i can't stand that it drives me bonkers they're children but i also like harry's relationship with cho was showing him no this didn't work and i always see harry as the type of character that he kind of blunders along but once he figures something out he just yeah. goes for it straight ahead boom this is the way it's so, so to me that's where cho was this was the fumbling figuring out what it was that he didn't want then he was ready to make that next step from there so for me that's always it's like rehashing it's like all right we've already done this and it i, I, I just get fa- bored of it. just in fairness to one thing i'd add is the thing with cho was literally kissed him and Puddyfoots, and it obviously did not bode well and if you watch the movie, there's the whole subplot where she turns out to be a traitor, but not so much. And she stands up for, um, I can't think of her friend's name, but she stands, for Marietta. Yeah, she stands up for Marietta. I mean, when you also look at what happens in uh, Lavender Brown's thing, as I recall, the reason that Susan leaves Harry is because, this is right after I think they were um, kidnapped by Voldemort at the Riddle House, you know, she can't, she doesn't want that life. She doesn't want that dangerous life. She doesn't want, you know, wonder if he's going to be dead the next year. She doesn't want, that's not for her. And that's and, and such I'm, a, that's such a, just a flip to Jenny where Jenny doesn't care about that. Jenny just wants him. And I think that was even more of like water in your face. This is what you need. I actually kind of like that, that interaction where Susan was the one to push him away because we've seen that it's, that's what happens in canon is the other way around. And I think everybody from what we know of Harry's character, I, I, I know no one was surprised that that's what Harry turned out to do was to push her away for her own protection. Right. And I liked that in that story, we had the flip of it. It wasn't Harry pushing somebody away. It was, it was somebody walking away and, and highlighting that, you know, no, this is not just Harry's being noble thing. This is actually kind of a big deal. It made sense. If you went on a date with someone and you were kidnapped and you know, you almost died and you escaped, would you be like, um, I think we should see other people. I mean, it made perfect sense, and it just showed what an incredible person Ginny is. And... We're way off course. Gee, I love you. You're a wonderful writer, but <laughs> I'm sorry. She hug. I liked it, Chi. I'm not. I-, I will take Marauder ever era stuff over AU stuff any day. <laughs> and I like the, uh, the 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 way you've included Peter in with the group. That's always my one big beef with Marauder era stuff is that he's always so such an outcast, that, but I, I like very much the ways that he's been included in this one. Well done, Melinda. Jules? No, I agree. I guess, I mean, I know how hard it is to write 
a Marauder era and put Peter in there and keep him in character, you know. And so I think the thing that impresses me most is that she was 16 when she wrote it. That's the part that blows my mind. When I was 16, I think I was still making the S's going the wrong way. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> my God. Right. Well, I mean, I, you know, I can't even finish. God, I'm 40 and I can't finish it, you know, a, a novel length fic. I can't finish a three chapter fic. What's the and longest so for somebody ever to, What's the longest? Um, I'm, uh, I've, I've got a, Work in progress. It's like seven chapters that stalled, and I've got a work in progress that's three chapters that stalled. If it makes you feel better, I have a ten chapter work, or it's nine chapters. I have one chapter left on it, and I haven't like it's been up. The nine chapters have been up for probably three years. Is that the one where Ron, your mind, you go to the wedding? Yes. Can you finish that damn thing within a convenient? You took thirty-seven <laughs> weeks off from the podcast. I'm just saying. <laughs> now, honestly, what happened was I had most of the last chapter written, and it was really, really good. And then my laptop freaking died. Oh yeah. Uh. And so I've been waiting. Like, there's something wrong with it, and I need to send it off and have it fixed. And I don't know why I haven't. Oh, I, I know why I haven't had done it yet. I haven't had the freaking money. But I'm hoping that when I get the stuff in the fall, I'll be able to get it back because my chapter was really, really, really good. <laughs> like, really good. And so hopefully I'll be able to finish it soon. But okay, I promise it will be done. I promise it will be done before 2009. Aim high, Rena. Yes. Now, Jules, before we let you go tonight, I have one question. We made a lot Uh of comparisons between Peter Pettigrew and Neville Longbottom this evening. Yeah, you noticed I kept my mouth shut. Yes, as the president and founder of the Neville Longbottom Fan Society, do you have any comment? Um, I guess I can sort of see where that starts, you know? I mean, why people start with that. It drives me nuts. I, I, I hate, I mean, I really, I don't like that comparison, but that's because Neville is like, the awesomest, you know, thing ever. And um, I guess maybe just it's a an example of Dumbledore and his your choices define you mm-hmm. kind of thing. You could argue there are people who maybe come who are faced with the same choice and make drastically different decisions right. based on who they are. Well and I guess there's a difference too because with Peter you don't ever you don't ever see him grow magically, really. I mean he becomes the the anime just right but back and then you know, later in Half-Blood Prince or whatever, he's groveling to Snape. Yeah. And Neville, you see him progress, you know, over the the course of the series to where he can, you know, whack the snack, the head off that generous snake. And, well, it's one and, thing if you caught that scene, yeah. If you if you if you if you missed it, like if you were reading the book too fast, he actually, you know, they put the the sorting hat on him and it burns his head, and then he he destroys a Horcrux. And right. kicks the snot out of like 37 people. I'm not sure if you caught that. Oh, yeah, no, that yeah, I missed there. it, right? That was in there, yeah. No, I threw down the book and squeed. Okay, just double checking, just double checking. This has been a so, very interesting episode of the Perfect Weekly. We've had like rotating hosts, Jules' daughter stopped by. We discovered that we have fans in Arkansas. There you go. She's very quiet, Jules. Does she go to sleep? She's asleep, <laughs> yeah. Just, just now. We're going to come back, discuss the final chapters of With All My Love by Lady Chi. We're going to have Lady Chi on the podcast, which is very exciting. I, I often feel that we never talk to Lady Chi enough on this on this podcast. So With her beta, her, her dog, and her mom, right? Exactly. Her dog and her mom will show up. Her uh, kindergarten teacher will show up. And um, I believe we have her dentist booked, but the dentist is waffling. Uh, so we're going to finish um, with All My Love, and then we're moving on to the Paradigm of Uncertainty. Richard will be squeeing wherever he is. We're going to be doing that for several 
So we're going to do Paradigm of Uncertainty. Uh, we're going to do the full trilogy. And then we're going to be moving on to, oh, look at this, The Power of Emotion, Curse of the Damned by Melinda Leo. (laughs) Oh, if there's only a boat. Oh, there There, is a boat. There's several boats. (laughs) Yeah, I've already lined up my people for the boat episode. There's there's the boat episode, (laughs) and I seem to remember Aberforth smoking weed. Oh, this is going to be exciting, (laughs) Melinda Leo. I'm so excited. And have a good night, everybody. Bye. Bye. So hold on to the wonder that those books brought to our Keep each other safe. Keep faith. Good night. Last Friday, I get a phone call from my mum. They were turning into the driveway and the car stopped dead 74, so I can't exactly push it up. So I had to wait for my brother to get home to push it up there. My husband's addressing my son. He's half asleep and he's really cranky. If he doesn't get breakfast, he's really cranky. Your husband or your son? (laughs) (laughs) My son. (laughs) Well, actually, it does apply to both of them. I think my son gets it from his father. The kids got their half-year report cards yesterday. My yeah. children are very smart. Well, you know, she's an A and B student in everything else, but yeah. she doesn't get the Spanish. I don't know what to do. I always wanted a double piercing, and my mother always said no. So then when I was 16, I went to St. Louis with my dad, and he said, sure. <laughs> I came back with two more holes in my head than I left with. Oh. I go to see this tiny baby today. We okay. take the e-baby in there. I'm holding this little tiny baby in I'm getting all squee-fest over little tiny baby. Oh, little tiny baby. And the e-baby is shooting dagger glares at this baby. She was, she was jealous. She was looking at the baby. And she looked at my grandma. She was like, I'm the baby. She turned her back on that baby and she would not look at him until I gave him away. I remember when my brother was born, I got this uh, fish that's like this fake fish that was in a fake bowl, but it swam in circles. She walks in the room. I've had the baby, the second baby. She comes in and she's like, baby. And like, I got nothing. No second glances or anything. She was all about the baby. When the parents um, make it a positive thing, then the kids know it's a positive Speaking of good too. parenting. The fic is about a parent. It's about my favorite parent in the Harry Potter series. Really? Um Arthur Weasley, best dad ever. Yeah. I guess, yeah, you say that I think about that. I can't think of a better dad in the... Oh, good. You're agreeing with me. This is a first. (gasps) Write it down. Quick, all alert alert the media. There aren't that many fathers in Harry Potter, are there? It's on the record. Lucius, Vernon, Vernon, James, Lupin. James you don't really see, so I don't count him. Lupin's not a father, though. Hello, Teddy. But he's not a father. Like, I I don't count James and Teddy... Obviously, I mean, James died for his kid, but, you know, <laughs> that's pretty JK fatherly. Yeah, let, let's not overlook that. Arthur Weasley, you see the discipline, you see the love, you see... The- Your sons flew that enchanted car of yours to Surrey and back last night. Did you really? How'd it go? Oh, oh, no, I mean, that was very wrong indeed, boys. Very wrong of you. <laughs> and, you know, all that sort of stuff. You see all these little things and you see him taking Harry. Like a lot mm. of people focus on Molly, but I don't think we can underestimate Arthur's fatherliness. That's not a word. Yeah. No, <laughs> but you know I what I mean? Like a great role model for Harry. Arthur is the quietly present father.
Welcome back to Peoncast. I'm Keza. I'm Gentoo. Someone start talking. Julia. I'm Julia. <laughs> <laughs> Julia? Obviously, Julie couldn't Where hear us. Uh, <laughs> I'll start that again. <laughs> Welcome back to Peoncast. I'm Keza. I'm Gentoo. I'm Julia. I'm Tina. Mike. And today we are covering the fic Visiting Arth by Arnel. Yes, Arnel. This one was actually recommended to the Peon cast team by Jules. It's pretty much about the relationship between Arthur and Percy. I really love Arthur. You don't get a lot of fics that I think deal with this sort of relationship. No, there's not a lot of stuff out there about Arthur. And I really, really, really liked this. And actually, there's not a lot of stuff out there about Percy either. No, because everybody hates Percy. I, I do agree with you, Arthur's a good father. I don't think he treated Percy right in canon. Every family fight usually has two sides. I remember think it seemed a little bit too much one-sided with him just being the one apologizing. I disagree with you to a point about that, Mike. Um, mm-hmm. Shocker. Um <laughs> <laughs> In the sense that I don't see that it was all one-sided because, I mean, we only have scant evidence, but in canon, they did reach out to Percy. Yeah, you know, Mrs. Molly Weasley sent, sent him, him a jumper. His Weasley sweater at Christmas. And he Mrs. Weasley sent it reached back. out to him. You're definitely right. I definitely think Molly made a lot of effort. See, when I look at the Weasleys as parents of the children, I see them as two halves of a whole. When you say, oh, Molly sent that sweater, I don't think Molly sent that sweater. I think his parents sent him a sweater. Yeah. You don't get anything about what Arthur's thinking or feeling. Percy is the one who is avoiding his father. You see Mr. Weasley's reaction every time Percy's name comes up. Oh, uh, you know why? Like because that. it's hurt his mother. Right. Well, Percy, see, I, Percy's I, actions have hurt his mother and Arthur is fiercely protective of his wife. And that, and that is the spousal and dynamic. Percy has hurt his mother and effectively walked out on the family. Oh, I think Arthur's allowed to have a reaction to that. I did. Yeah. You know what the difference is between how we're looking at it? You're looking at it like he was angry because of how it hurt Molly. And to me, it was always more of a political thing. No. That this no, is, it's not, no this is a family. It's well, not about to me, politics. Yes, well, to me, it was kind of like the Civil War thing. Like, you know, this is the family being divided. This is politics. This is the perfect model family. I think Percy has always been... I think you'll have to look at both two to see how intensely loyal he feels to his family. He's the only one out of the whole, all, the, all the siblings, all the brothers, that care and, and it noticed something's wrong with Ginny in book two. Percy wanted to come back and live with his family without changing his views of Dumbledore and without changing his views of the ministry. I don't think Arthur and the family would have welcomed him open-heartedly. He thinks, are you on Dumbledore's side? Do you think Dumbledore's telling the truth? Or do you think the ministry's telling the truth? That's a political issue. That's not a family issue. But it issue. was a family issue. When he drew those lines, Mike, it start, that's it, how it started. But then he hurt his family. When most families argue about politics, it's not personal. But with the Weasleys, it is. The problem, Mike, is not that he disagreed. The problem is that he decided to belittle his family and hurt his family for the sake of of politics. I wanted to get to this, what he says when he comes back, because it's actually in the fic, at some point, the fic that we're actually talking about, when Percy <laughs> re- reunites with the family and he comes in, he says, I was a fool, Percy roared so loudly that Nit Lupin nearly dropped his photograph. I was an idiot. I was a pompous prat. I was a ministry-loving family disowning power-hungry moron, said Fred. Percy swallowed. Yes, I was. So he admits 
that he was in the wrong, which I think is very impressive of Percy. Percy's eyes are on his father. I'm sorry, Dad, Percy said. Mr. Weasley blinked rather rapidly, then he too hurried to hug his son. And I think it's really interesting that he apologised to his father because... I think that ultimately, you know, he knew that that's who he needed to apologise to. His mother, he can convey that apology with a hug. That's how Molly talks. And and it's, it's like this, the two half of the thing, he acts in a different way to his mother than he does his father. Yeah. I yeah. think that's yeah. interesting. None of them say they're sorry back. To what me, have they got to say sorry for? Right. How did they wrong Percy? Every family fight has two sides. Everyone thinks they're right. I think you're confusing the family dynamic with what drove Percy to leave the family. And I just look at their sibling treatment of Percy as a family dynamic. That wasn't what drove Percy to leave. I, I see what you're saying, but I, I just would have liked to have seen that after Percy makes the first They were supposed agree, to apologize because to they believed move. that they believed in Harry and that... Not not for what they believed in, but that this is what it came to. I don't you know, know what opportunity like, the rest of the family had Percy refused to start a career. We know Mr. Weasley basically forbidding mention of Percy. Where that is that? Is that? A Fred and George Everyone and looks- Ginny and Ron and Hermione, I can't remember exactly who said it, when Harry arrives at Grimmauld Place... In Order of the Phoenix, they warn him not to talk about Percy because it makes Molly cry. It makes Arthur break whatever he's holding. Arthur didn't forbid them to talk about Percy. These are the kids saying, hey, Percy's really hurt our parents, and if you talk about him, they're just going to get upset. I'm betting Percy's parents hurt Percy, too. Percy's parents believed in what they believed in, and unfortunately, they were right. I honestly feel Percy had the responsibility to make the first move. And like, whatever the did, fight is. they accepted him straight away, so I don't see where I, there's a I, problem. I don't know what they had did, to apologize for. I mean, Percy was really the one that did they, the they most damage. They had nothing damage. to apologize for. Yeah, if, if that's your argument, Mike, I'm just having a hard time seeing what the rest of the family had to apologize for. Percy's come back. He's asked their forgiveness. They've forgiven him, and they've welcomed him with open arms. But I I guess my problem is... I guess this will be the last thing I say on it, and I can't help but, I guess, judge it from any other family dispute I ever had. Yeah, but the Weasleys are not your family, so that's They're not my family, but I I see evidence that Percy loves his family. I see this evidence that he deeply cares about them. And it's in the fic. It's in the fic. The evidence that Percy loves his family is in the fic. We get an insight into what Percy's thinking. But I look at it... Because in the fic, he goes to visit his father when he's been bitten by the snake. His sense of duty and a guilty conscience were getting the best of him. So here he was in the dead of night trying to get up the nerve to at least talk to the healers about what was going on with his father. So this is this author's interpretation of how Percy might have been feeling. And I think it's a very valid thought that he might have been feeling regretful that he had no contact with them. But I think that if he'd heard his father had been hurt, he would have wanted to go and see him. And, um, and of course, in the fic, what happens is that he speaks to the healer. Um, I don't think, yeah. I, I got the well, impression that's... he sort of left it at, oh, I have to talk to the healer, and, and that was enough for him. He didn't know sort of how to face his father, perhaps. That's the impression yeah. I got. I like the fic because lets you see Percy's side, which doesn't often happen. And I like the way Arnell, like you said, this was her interpretation of how he may have reacted. I like it. Because I'd like to think as well that he knew he was hurting his parents. But, you know, 
Blood is thicker than water. And when Arthur yeah. was hurt, I would have liked to think that he did something like this to go and find well, out at the how very, he was doing. The very end of that first section, if he'd had the chance to see his father face to face, there were a few positive words they could say to each other. It leaves me with the impression that maybe, you know, when you have a fight with someone and it just gets longer and longer and then you just don't know what to say to them anymore. Right. And so you just stop talking. And that's probably what happened. You know, he didn't know how to fix it anymore. I love the fact that, you know, Percy thinks, you know, he's pulled the wool over the healer's eyes and that he's gone in and he's actually, he's actually fibbed. Percy fibbed. He broke the rules to get in <laughs> to see Arthur's file. And he thinks that he's totally pulled one over. And then two years later for Arthur to just casually say, I'm glad you came to see me, even though we couldn't talk. We don't see what happens in the lead up to Percy leaving the family because Arthur is, um, Harry is at the Dursleys with nothing. And we only see after the fact. So we don't know what Percy's been doing to push his father's buttons. And I imagine that he's actually, because he started work at the ministry, he's got this self-righteous attitude. He's going to work with his father every day and pushing Arthur's buttons day in, day out. My kids push my buttons. Your kids can push your buttons to the point where you just snap at them. Yeah, and actually so there is that evidence may have for that, happened. that that happened because I think, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when they're relaying what happened, don't they say that Percy said to Arthur that he's not going anywhere because of his job and that he should be trying to move up in the ministry and if we could see that in the beginning of book four how pompous he was about it and how he was interacting directly with the minister and barty crouch and <laughs> and he that made yeah. him feel important and because his father did not move in those circles therefore his father was not important then, i highlighted this so I, in the fic and because i thought it was a good example of maybe what percy was really thinking about the family and because we really didn't get that in the canon potter really was directly ranged as the Daily Prophet reported, telling outlandish lies about the mentors assaulting him in an all-muggle neighborhood. It also proved that the old wizard was just as unbalanced as people thought. Good thing Minister Fudge saw fit to bestow the High Inquisitor position on Dolores Umbridge. At least there is someone sensible up at the school. Yeah. Yeah, that's my favorite part of the whole thing. Why are they your favorite? Just because they provide the insight into into Percy's mind. Oh. I can sense you rolling your eyes. But see, that's that's where I actually realize how much Percy has really lost touch with reality, that he thinks Dolores Umbridge is going to help Hogwarts. And in his defense, this is the majority viewpoint. Percy's in the majority of the Wizarding World viewpoint at this point in time. So it's not like he's deranged, unless like the whole Wizarding World's deranged. Mainstream. I really never saw the Ministry as being the uh, the opinion of the majority of the Wizarding World. But would you disagree with me, that. though, that the majority of the Wizarding World thinks like Percy does I don't think five? the majority of the Wizarding World thinks like Percy does. I think the majority of the Wizarding World was somewhere in the middle. It's propaganda. If you look it back is. In people buy into propaganda. People who want to prove a point will say any disgusting, ghastly thing they like and try and make people believe it. In World War II, there was propaganda on both sides. And the propaganda about that was put out by the Allies was just as vile about the German public as what was being put out by Hitler. and Because what, what happens is you're trying to convince the public of your point of view. When it comes to war, people get a move. For good reason. I'm not talking about the regimes. I'm talking about the ordinary people. 
you know, that weren't doing anything that probably disagreed with everything that the Third Reich stood for. No, I see what you're saying. I agree with you. That's propaganda and gets twisted. What comes out to the general public to convince people why they need to fight and why they need to, to do it. I agree. I can't think Percy, who genuinely believes saying those two things to Arthur without Arthur saying deeply offensive things back to him. And maybe that's where we differ. You think Negative Arthur words. would say deeply offensive things? Yeah, I do. Because even in good families, you know, these sorts of things happen. I See, mean, I never saw know. Arthur as the kind of father that would lash out at his children like that. I would have seen him as just the kind of father that would say, okay, Percy, if that's the way you feel, I'm sorry. I would agree if it were normal yeah. politics. But I guess this feels stronger to me because there's so much war. I mean, they just got out of a war. They're clearly heading into another war. It's not like us debating, you know, Republicans and Democrats around the family I know, table. but that was just it's a lot. Arthur's style. And, it, and maybe, maybe that's where we Arthur, I mean, Arthur is tolerant, but only to a certain point. I mean, once you're insulting him, his family, and everything he stands for... You know, son or not, I mean, he's going to well, lash no, out a little bit. no, I'm not saying that he least. wouldn't at That's all. How I yeah, I, I think just, he... I don't see him becoming truly, truly hot-headed. It comes down to uh, interpretation, I guess. And I see that he can get hot-headed. I can't imagine someone saying those things about Dumbledore to him without him lashing back and trying to say something hurtful back. And that's but see, Arthur's not a lasher-outer. He never really has been. He has, though. Book, when? Well, I'm thinking book two. I'm thinking that if you put in seven books, things, he, in seven books, he's such a good guy. He lashed out once at Lucius Malfoy. He insulted him. He called him a, um, a mudblood lover. I guess it comes down to I can't imagine him not lashing back if someone who mattered to him was saying those sorts of things about Dumbledore and Harry Potter. I can't imagine him just saying or just I think the fact that way. Percy matters to him would make him less likely to lash out. See, I, think it, really, I think it would make him more likely to lash yeah. out. I just personally would have liked to have seen it been a mutual, I'm sorry. Kind yeah, of, again, I think I just, yeah. I'm looking at it from a parental point of view. I, I would expect my child to scream at me. I don't necessarily expect myself to scream back at my child. The thing that you not would in go this for as a parent is to be aiming to not screaming back at them. You know, Mike, I just think you're totally off base in expecting that the rest of the Weasley should apologize to Percy because there's just nothing for them to apologize for, I think. <laughs> the entire podcast, I just wanted to scream at you, stop being such a slither and not everything's about politics. That's, that's what I was thinking in my head is like, I feel like I'm the only Slytherin here. Like, but this is not about being Slytherin. <laughs> but I think... I think... I think what... No, let me say Slytherin. something. Shut it's my turn. I think, no, I think one of the things that's coming out for me, the people who were pretty much arguing mostly, Tina, Jen, Tu and I, have been looking at it from a parental perspective, and I don't think you can escape the fact that when you become a parent, your viewpoint about a lot of things change. And so it may be that as parents we side more with Arthur because we know how we would feel if our child turned around and screamed at us. We know how we would feel if our buttons had been being pushed for nearly 18 months about issues that were really important to us because it's really important to the Weasleys that their honour and integrity and loyalty is more important than money and things like that. Like that we're probably going to side with Arthur because even even Mike's been saying Percy was more in the wrong. You know, we're, we're going to have sympathy for the parent who's been effectively abused here verbally. I thought that might. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. What I'm saying. I think I associate. Well, with I I agree with you. Like, I'm not a parent, but you know, I agree, and I, I for sure I think yeah. you're right. It's, I mean, it's saying. not just about parenting, but I don't I don't think it's about Slytherins or 
Ravenclaws or Gryffindors or Hufflepuffs or whatever. In this instance here, we're talking about a family dynamic, not so much a Harry Potter dynamic. I mean, we're talking about the Weasleys as a as a family, as a character sort of study, and how they're presented. And I think so. I think we so, have we have wrapped up the fic visiting Arthur for tonight. I didn't do a final thought. Well, I want to just my fic. I can do what I like. Oh, okay. <laughs> No, I just, I want, one of the reasons I just wanted to go to say one of the reasons I chose this was because I think it does look at something very different that we probably here at PNCast haven't really investigated, but I think it really explores a character that I think in canon didn't get very much time because he was out of the picture for a while. And it's nice to have a look at how he might have reacted. And I think it would be good to see a fic, I've never read one, about what it was like at home during Goblet of Fire for the Weasleys and for that summer leading up to Order of the Phoenix and what caused the fire. It would be interesting to see an um, interpretation of what happened for Percy to be on the outs with his family. Never seen it. So if anyone's seen one, yeah. <laughs> let me. us know. Well, all right then. Liked it a lot. I enjoyed it. It was nice to see Percy's side of the story for a change. Oh, what are we Bye. doing next week? I have no idea. We'll let you know. All right. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye, everyone. Who are we talking about? Rina, you all right? Oh, God, are you okay? <gasps> what did you do? Tell me what you're talking about, then I'll tell you my saga. Blah, 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 blah. What's your story? My mother-in-law is evil. Did she Uh-oh. Did she cut your vocal cords? She got a cat. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> She knows this, and she got a damn cat. (laughs) I have a question. Is she trying to kill you? I think so. Oh, I I I really think she's trying to kill me. All right, I have. There's only. I have only one thing to say to this. And welcome back to Potterfic Weekly. This is Ryan. starting. I was just joking. I know. <laughs> it's okay. I took a bunch of medicine. My voice should be coming back. I hope so. I do too, because I'm sure I sound really creepy. <laughs> you sound like you're mugging me. Should we all talk like this for the rest of the podcast? We should. Alright, I'm totally in. <laughs> you guys are evil. On that note, and welcome back to Politic <laughs> Weekly. <laughs> This is going very well. Start this before her voice comes back. And welcome back to Perfect Weekly. This is Ryan. And this is Rena. <laughs> Can we do this again? Hold on, hold on, hold on. And welcome back. And welcome back to Par. And welcome back to Par. Oh, will there ever be again a podcast quite like this? One brought us together and started its own forum list Where the hosts are all our friends All the stories told by Jen Will it drive Ryan round the bend? Part of it weekly 
where the story never ends. Mm-hmm. And welcome back to Perfect Weekly. This is Ryan. I'm Jen. This is Rena. I'm Julia. <laughs> Okay, we have to explain something here, because Rena sounds literally like she's the guy on the other end of the phone who's in, like, your upstairs attic in the Scream movie who's about to come down and kill you. First, you were a Dalek. And now you sound like a mass murderer. Wait, what's a Dalek? Uh, Oh, Jen, just listen to the podcast sometime. Okay, Rena. Wait, what's a Dalek? Oh, for the love of Thank God. Thank you! Thanks, Julia! <laughs> I, I, I don't know. There no problem, Jen. Doctor oh. Who. It's, it's, <laughs> no, it's... Apparently, I had some technical malfunctions that made me sound like that. As for today, <laughs> today what happened was that I visited my mother-in-law, and she got a cat, and I'm very, very, very allergic to cats. And not only did she get a cat, she didn't tell me that she got the cat. So I didn't take any medicine with me when I went there. And, I mean, I don't think you understand exactly how allergic to cats I am. Like, I have to carry an EpiPen in case I run into a cat. I'm dead serious. I'm, I'm literally deathly allergic. Well, she's podcasting. She must I know. Did you, did you jab yourself with the EpiPen? Well, I I was in the house, and all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, my God, I can't breathe. What the hell is going on? And, like, my eyes started, like, my face started swelling, and I broke out in hives all over my body, and I couldn't breathe. And I'm, like, reaching for my inhaler, and I took, like, a couple of hits on my inhaler, and it wasn't helping. And I'm like, what the hell is wrong with me? Oh, my God, what's going on? And then my mother-in-law was like, oh, yeah, I got a kitten. (laughs) It's like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I had to go to the emergency room and get a shot because I didn't have my EpiPen with me. And like, I, I will, I will set off a full-blown allergic reaction if I run into somebody that has a cat and has cat hair on their clothes. All right, let me ask you a question. Do you think your mother-in-law was trying to kill you? You know, I, 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 the nice, hopeful part of me says no. <laughs> Jim, what the hell are you saying? I was saying I'm melting like the Wicked Witch of the Past. <laughs> and then, I, then I went meow. You have to love the fact that Jen has been through so much shit in her life. That as other people are like, I almost died today. Jen is mocking them. <laughs> I am not. Didn't I just say that the Wicked Witch of the West scares the ever-living crap out of me? I'll get you, my pretty, and your little dog, too. (laughs) I'm 22 years old and still cannot watch The Wizard of Oz. (laughs) So, Rena, Rena, other than that, I would like to give you the um, Host of the Week Award for coming to work, even though you're, you know, you quite possibly... Jen, be nice! Every time you've almost died, we all shed tears. Now you're like, ha death, meow! Actually, I, I probably didn't cry the last time. What was the last time? I can't remember. Thank you. I don't know. But the time before that, I probably did cry. I well, don't the, know either. Was the last time the big one? I hope not, because I'm pretty sure I cried for that. When was the last time you almost died, Jen? <laughs> I'm sorry, I just think it's hilarious that that's, like, a legitimate question. It is. No, can I tell you... Now, Jen, are you familiar with the Witch Weekly Awards on Pyrific Weekly? Yeah. Jen? 
Um, no. All right. No, she really is trying to kill me. <laughs> you think yes, she... I am. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, yes, I do know right. of them because I won one. Well, Jen, now they are, they just had, um, what the, the way the Witch Weekly Awards work is everyone votes, you know, the, like several categories are thrown up on the big board and everyone votes for the one, you know, they want to have that week and then whatever award they have up, then they vote for who wins that award and so forth. These were the, um, competitors for the last round. Can, can you read Dying them for us? Dying is not a word. Dying is not a word. And, whoa, five people voted for that. <laughs> and it didn't win. Thank God. One of the competitors, for those of you who can't read this, is one of the options, you know, for, you know, award category was, you know, it's the most memorable PFW event is the category. <laughs> Hey, yes. Bernard's death did not make this list. I know. <gasps> well, Bernard's very sad. That have. actually should have made it there. Well, no. Can I just say this? Who put together this list? Uh, I don't know. Dying is spelled wrong. Dying is spelled incorrectly. Jen almost oh, dying geez. is the category, but the fact <laughs> it's not the fact that Jen almost any. dying was the category. It's that in parentheses it says any next to it. Like any time <laughs> Jen almost died is up for grabs. I no, the best day. No. Mine, I, I voted Return of Mac, but the reason I voted Return of Mac is the Return because of you make fun of me enough as it is. No, Return oh. of Mac Day doubled as Clusterfuck Friday because what happened was, <laughs> yeah, I played the joke. I made a joke about Jen, and then I. Oh God, no! Can we not talk about? We're it just gonna ever. talk briefly. What happened ever. was. You know, Jen was working two jobs and supporting her family, and I think she had a hump at the time. It was this awful period in Jen's life. I'm like, Jen, you need to take time. You need to put yourself first. And she said, no, Ryan, I must do more. So I said, Jen, you're a Hufflepuff, and you're fired. So I put on the forum that Jen was fired as deputy headmistress, and I made her into a Hufflepuff as a joke. As a joke. I then left my computer, got in my car, drove three hours to New York, to, to Connecticut, near Julia's house. I got on a train, and I'm riding a train into New York City. All this time, Jen is pretending that she's really been fired, and she's drumming up the sympathy vote about how that bastard Ryan fired me. All the foreign people are crying. They're, t- they're never going to come back. This is awful. And then Mike. We all know Mike. Oh dear. We all know Mike. Mike decided to play along. Now, he knew it was a joke, but he decided to play along. And he tells everybody, guys, this isn't a joke. This is like the time Jen had cancer. This is deathly serious. And everyone's like, (laughs) So then all, all, all I remember is walking through Grand Central Terminal, screaming into my cell phone, Fix this! And then Jen's making him into an even bigger joke, and then she, I came on the forum a day later, and everyone was a Star Wars character drunk off their ass. I have no idea what happened, but poor Mac returned that night. He, he was completely overshadowed because Mike told everyone that Jen's cancer had returned as a haha fun. No, he didn't. I went and talked to him for like three days. He's like, hi, Ryan. I'm like, girl. Oh. I missed the whole thing. Like I came, I just came back after Shabbos, and all of a sudden, Mac was back, and Jen is a Hufflepuff, and I was like, "What just happened?" Uh, I missed the whole thing. Renner, are you Let's still alive? Happier things. I'm still here. <laughs> you Renner, do you need to do you need to lay <laughs> down or something? It's getting better, believe it or not. Really? 
that's the one. <laughs> the hell was that? <laughs> so when I was in high school, I had to dissect a cat in AP Bio, and my lab partner gave me for Hanukkah. She gave me this little stuffed cat, and you squeeze it, and it goes. <laughs> Can we leave poor Rinna alone? She's near death. Oh, Actually, yeah. you know what was really awesome was the year I did this, I dissected this my junior year, and then my senior year, on the very first day that she was going to dissect the cats with her class, I went in there with my little cat noisemaker thing, and right as they were like about to start making the first cut, I squeezed it, and it went, and everybody went, and jumped like a mile. It was really funny. Oh my gosh. No, you really want to know how close I was to being in a lot of trouble today. How close were you? Like, they almost had to put a tube down my throat. Oh, Yikes. no. Like, breathe. Yeah. And because what the I, hell are you doing here? I, because I'm bored. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> now, Believe me, if I had anything else to occupy my time, I would have elected not to, to be here this week. That's like your motto for Bother Pick Weekly. If I had anything else going on, I swear to God I wouldn't be here. Anything better to do. <laughs> well, it's not necessarily anything better to do. It's more like, you know, I'm kind of stuck laying in bed anyway. <laughs> I might as well be a part of it. <laughs> well, Rena, let's That's talk about Rena. better times. How was your night last night? Last night was okay. How about the night before? Ryan, do you know something we don't? Yes. Yeah, so my dog ran away. No. Oh, no. Oh, he came back. It's okay. Oh, shit. But, like, it was, like, seriously, this absolute clusterfuck of a night. It was, I'd been driving home, and they decided that they were going to put all new road signs up along the interstate all throughout Arkansas. And they decided to do this at, like, 7 o'clock at night so that nobody would be inconvenienced. Because they had these gigantic semis full of road signs driving like three miles an hour. And then the people would like jump out of the back of the truck and go pull up the old road signs and put in the new ones. It was not and a pleasant they, evening. And they thought that 7 o'clock was a convenient time to do this because no one is on the road at 7 p.m.? Apparently. But does everybody eat yeah. dinner all at the same time in the entire state of Arkansas? <laughs> yes. The entire state sits down for dinner at 7 p.m. <laughs> on the nose. Barefoot pregnant in the kitchen. What are hey, you making fun of Arkansas for? You're the pregnant one. I was born in Fort Smith. I have every right to be barefoot and pregnant. Leave me alone. Very true. <laughs> Jen got pregnant on a boat. You're going to need a bigger boat. Really? Yeah. Uh, no, I didn't even oh, Oh, because I mean that would just be too good. Why has made this up and has told everyone? I have. You know how hard it would be to impregnate yourself on a boat. Well, you came for the. <laughs> Thank you for that line for the second season intro. <laughs> how difficult? Be the most I mean, difficult thing. Okay, I mean, well, I mean, why were you impregnating yourself? James <laughs> would help. <laughs> I mean, I think that this is definitely really, a two-person operation. Oh, please. Everyone knows when you're trying to get pregnant, it's all up to the girl. Well, okay, yes, but the way you said minute. that... Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Honestly, I'm picturing you sitting on a boat with a damn turkey baster. <laughs> you're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God she's the author for this fic. We, I have to write a letter of apology. <laughs> all right, hold on. Hold on. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, come here. I'm so sorry. Come here. 
I just, I just kicked my dog in the head. <laughs> this is the biggest clusterfuck ever. Clusterfuck. Is your dog oh okay? Is your dog Does okay? Anybody- yeah, he's fine. Hold on, we're gonna break every rule of Potterfic Weekly to the core. We're this is our night to discuss the final chapters of With All My Love and have a dignified discussion with Lady Chi, her beta, and her dog. <laughs> you know what? Screw it. We're bringing her in now, and we're just gonna see how this goes because I think we've passed a line. Now, no one talk. Let me introduce Chi to the situation. <laughs> This is going to be really hard for me. Hi, Chi. Hello. Chi, where the hell are you? <laughs> um, Kansas. <laughs> you sound like you're podcasting from an aquarium. <laughs> like I'm podcasting from an aquarium? I think you're po- are Is there like a mic in your computer that you're using and not your headset? I don't think so. Hold on, let me make sure. Microphone. Are you on your regular computer? Yeah, how about now? Uh, no, you're actually in the dryer right now. And the... <laughs> Chi, welcome to my dryer. Um, hmm... Well, crap. Because we can hear everything going on around you. Chi! Chi! Hello? Hey, keep talking. <laughs> um, there once was a man from Nantucket. Oh, Chi, you're back. <laughs> You're in the author seat tonight. It's a little bit different. So you're like over there and we're over here. It's like a little job interview. So we would just like to, you know, welcome you to the podcast as we do our other authors. Um, welcome to Parfic Weekly. I'm Ryan. Thank you. Hi, Ryan. Oh, I'm here. We already, um, Rena was like, I'm Rena. you here? Yes, I'm here. <laughs> no. Are you sick? I'm half dead. <laughs> I am so sorry to hear that. Tell her why. Because my mother-in-law is evil and tried to kill me. Wow! But she She's was got a cat. Your woman almost died. Stop laughing. Julia, you are evil and you must be destroyed. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Are you, like, allergic to fake meowing over the internet? <laughs> nope. I'm sorry. That's a line from Steel Magnolias. Oh, <laughs> Steel Magnolias. All right. I was in that play, and so I, I, I pretty much know all of it. Who anyway, were you? take a wild guess. You were Shirley MacLaine? No. <laughs> I was Clary. <laughs> I'm so confused. I've never right, seen Steel Magnolia. All right, let me, let, let me, hold on. a 65-year-old woman. Wait, hold on. You sound like a 65-year-old Brenna, can you do me a favor? Can you please just say, hello, Clarice? Hello, Clarice. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
Clary was Olympia Dukakis. I'm sorry, but if you oh, ever, okay. Rena, yeah. if you smoke her for the years, I think this is what you're going to sound like in your 60s. I swear I'm to God. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, she just to bring she up to speed. Uh, Rena is allergic to cats. Her mother-in-law bought a cat as a as a fun surprise, and then invited Rena over. Rena went to the hospital. They gave her a shot. She's feeling oh. much better now. Her dog ran away the other night, but her dog is home now, and she just kicked him in the head. <laughs> that's that's it in a nutshell. Wow, you poor thing. That well, sounds terrible. Welcome to Potterfic Weekly, Lady Chi. Ryan, how are you? I was in a car accident yesterday. Oh, I'm fine. The pizza driver at Gumby's was parked illegally, like a doofus. Wasn't so he parked like a doofus? So you drove into his car? Yes, gee, having no. been there, I can assure you that he was, in fact, parked like a doofus. No, I was talking to my roommate. And oh, my roommate's driving, okay? And so he backs up into us and, like, took all the paint off of the passenger side of my car and put two massive dents in my car. I've been dealing with insurance people all day, and that just makes me really twitchy. But other than that, I'm fine. Twitchy and fine. <laughs> Pizza sounds really good. Jen, how's the pregnancy? Hungry. What? <laughs> She's hungry. <laughs> thank, thank you, Chase. Rin is doing all of our public service announcements for the rest of the evening. All right, so, Chi, you wrote something called With All My Love. Now, I, did. I, I read it cover to cover. <laughs> And, I'm I'm glad. And um, glad. I noticed at the end, it was left in a little bit of a cliff. Yes. Bit of a cliffhanger. Now, we're going to merge our chapter discussion with the interview portion of tonight's podcast on account of the fact that Rena may only have several hours to live, and we want to make sure we get everything <laughs> in. Um, now, I noticed at the end, it, it ends on a very happy note until, well, basically, uh, uh, you know... Until it doesn't. Uh, yes, until... <laughs> thank you, Rena. <laughs> until a woman um she was actually thinking to herself she was literally thinking to herself happy days are here again uh-huh. everything's gonna be wonderful oh my gosh the barbara streisand jake garland version of that song is the best ever <laughs> thank you jen thank you jen this is for you Jeez, i'm telling you and i love it happy time happy That's nice. Oh, look, we lost Jen. Um, <laughs> Jen's like, hello. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Jen. So hello, please. I couldn't help but notice that after she said happy days are here again, she was like bound, gagged, and executed and like dumped <laughs> on the steps of the ministry That's with like, good. you know, like a note stapled to her. And um, it said, you know, like to be continued next week in March yes. of 2007. <laughs> well there was this little podcast (laughs) well i'm gonna read to you from chi's explanation when i wrote to her i wrote to her on this very topic she got back to me let me just read to you here what we got are here again the skies above are blue you used some excuse about a slave driving bastard who was keeping you working seven days a week without nights off and I just f- think you're very much full of it if you expect me to believe something like that, which obviously has no semblance to reality whatsoever. I give you every second Monday off sometimes. <laughs> I 
go on vacation. He calls me every day. No, I'm, I'm like, gee, how are you? It's three in the morning. Just wanted to see how you like it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All yeah. right. Okay. I will not deny that it ends in kind of an abrupt place. Yes. I, I will deny that. Because yeah, I will okay. state that it actually said, I'll post more next week. In yeah, March of 2007. Yeah. <laughs> yep. At least she finished. All right. I, I know I, many, many authors who did not finish. And are like, oh, post more next week. And then they didn't. I know, but she's right here. Right. I have a question. Did they give you any, like, pain medication when you were in there? Yes. What did they give you? I don't know. They sprayed it in my face. <laughs> <laughs> That's really not as funny as it is. No, not really. Reno, you know we love you, right? Of course. <laughs> it smelled good? <laughs> actually, actually it, that? it did smell rather good. It smelled like strawberries. Oh, my God. All right. So, I'm sorry. The only way that could possibly be funnier is if it were Jen. <laughs> well, Jen. Oh. No. Jen's retired. All right. I'm retired from being the village idiot. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Can I just say, I stumbled across, like, seriously, this happened. I was at my mother-in-law's house at like nine o'clock this morning. So I was home and like in bed and passed out by like noon. And so when I get bored, I'll, I'll look for really bad fan fiction to make fun of. <laughs> yes. And I swear to God, I found a story today where... The Weasleys had been drugging Harry and Hermione because Albus Albus Dumbledore decided that Harry, the savior of the wizarding world, couldn't be with a muggle-born girl. He had to be with a pure-blood girl. So they drugged Harry and Hermione so that they would fall in love with Ron and Ginny instead of with each other. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> and it was done with a potion that tasted like strawberries. <laughs> Wait, let me find this let me find this thing. I wanna I'll share with you all one of the many, many reasons that I love Lady Chi. So a couple of weeks ago I sent a Skype message to Lady Chi that said the following. So, I'm reading a fic in which the Ministry is forcing everyone to get married. It's Snape Hermione and it involves three unknown Snape sisters, a pygmy puff and Uber Bitch Fleur. And Chi's response was, dot, 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 and yet you have not committed suicide. <laughs> I, I, I think yeah. I've actually seen that one. <laughs> I have. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I have actually seen that. There's like a huge collection of these marriage law fix out there. Mm-hmm. I'm actually really starting to get into Saper Money marriage law fix. You know, actually, some of them, I, Yay, this is what I told marriage law. <laughs> This is what I told Ryan that I have actually read a couple of Snape Hermione stories. Can I just point out real fast? I, I said, Rena says to me, don't tell Jen, but I'm reading Snape Hermione. I said, Jen has enough problems. Rena said, oh my God, Jen's dying. And that's how I had to tell her you were pregnant because. <laughs> no, I started reading. I mean, I've, Go on. I don't mind them as long as, as long as Hermione is out of school. Yeah, that's yeah. okay with me. Right. If if she's still in school, then I have a problem with it. But like I said, you know, I can I could take Hermione paired up with just about anybody. It's just Harry Ginny that I that has to be there. That's Ray, that's my new favorite person. I totally Doesn't it sound like she's like literally like trapped in the closet trying to like plan a surprise party? I have to talk really softly because if they come in, I need to let you go. Ryan, you suck. 
me help you out there, Ryan. For now on on the podcast, whenever I'm here and anybody's getting a little testy, I'm just going to squeeze my cat. (laughs) Will you do that? Rena, keep your feet away from the dog. All right. With All My Love by Lady Chi. Right. Not to be confused with its sequel. James is so hot. (laughs) James is Good Lord, can I have him? All right. Now, as we go, let's do this. Before we get to the end chapters tonight, I'm not sure if you recall the ending. Someone is murdered in the last paragraph, and it's to be continued. Um, Prior to that, my first question for Chi. Now, Chi, I don't know if you recall, but at the beginning of the story, there was a train ride to school. Yes. Yes, and the train came under heavy enemy attack. Yeah. All right. Now, there was a conductor of the train who was in charge right. of this entire operation. He was, like, the leader. He was the head honcho. Uh-huh. And yeah. he was apparently also the village idiot. Yeah. Did you model Not him after part- anyone in particular? <laughs> <laughs> um, no. Say Ryan. No. Say Ryan. <laughs> he's, he, he was kind of just there for... He's a uh, he's a cardboard cutout character. He doesn't have a personality. He doesn't even really have a name. He's just kind of there to serve a purpose, really. Uh, apparently, he cannot cast a, a, a warding charm without Dumbledore. I don't know why, but the story worked better that way. I just That's... wanted to double check. I just had some questions on that one. Well, are, are okay. warding charms really hard to cast? Because you made it sound like this was not something easy and that, you know, the head girl had to go off and handle it all by herself. Because it's hard. Um, yeah, they're they're supposed to be really hard. Um, Emmett Power and all that, dude. Yeah. They, yeah, you'll you'll notice she's really rather tired for the next few chapters, and that that would be why because the warding charm took a lot of power and concentration. I just want to point out when I was her <laughs> age, I could not parallel park. So you know what? <laughs> I still can't. I still can't park. parallel park. Rena, can you parallel park? <laughs> Actually, I can. I I can parallel park. Yay, Rena! I successfully parallel parked once, and unfortunately, I was alone in my car. There was nobody there to bear witness to the actions <laughs> of the parallel parking. I parallel parked once and hit the other car, but at least I'm not allergic to cats. Well, I can parallel oh, park, but it takes me like my one butt. minute. It takes me like forty minutes because I scoot <laughs> back and forth. And- <laughs> Awkward. Right, Jen, I'm actually very impressed with myself because my parallel parking experience was in um, Cambridge, Massachusetts, which is not an easy place to parallel park, and yes. I did it. Woo. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. All right, Jen, your turn. Chi, yes. I have a question for you about this story. I have an answer. What made you decide to go with James at the end of the story? Because <laughs> I really got into Remus. He was super hot. And the whole <laughs> I'm a werewolf. I mean mm. I'm a werewolf and I'm angsty and look and at me. And, and, he, and, and he was in bigger. love with her and she was in love with him but not as in love. That was like it's like in Twilight where Bella's like I love you Jacob but I love Edward Moore. Like ugh. <laughs> Thanks for um, spoiling that for me Jen. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, I have not yet read Twilight, so I don't know. Um, but I I went with it because that's canon, and also because I think James is, is a better fit for Lily. He challenges her in, in, in different ways. He kind of helps her see the lighter side of life after the death of her mother. For you Lily. do fight very good moments with him. Very, very he's, good moments. Thank you. He can be a little bit of an idiot, but he's a good guy when it comes down to the wire. But Remus so. alone. 
<laughs> yeah, Ramus is alone, and uh, that's that's kind of the tragedy of Ramus's life, really. You could even make him gay, <laughs> Ramus, if you ever want to catch up with someone. No, she can't because she made Sirius so ungay that it would just never work. <laughs> it could be unrequited love. Oh, fair point. Speaking, oh, speaking, ah, speaking. We know that Dumbledore is gay too, so perhaps we can ship Remus oh, Dumbledore. That's <laughs> oh, wait, that's just weird. Speaking, that's just, <laughs> just weird. All right, speaking. He's old. Well, there's can that. I just, can I just old say how love? Can, can I just point out the irony of the fact that like the three weirdest people I know just called me weird? <laughs> nice. <laughs> Give us time. Hey, I am not weird. I am a geek, but I am not weird. Rina is. Oh yeah, we, sure, we, little Miss no, uh, we Louise. Took, we're drugging Hermione and Harry. That's not weird. We took a poll on the forum, and Rina ranked like ta- like geekiest person alive. I just want to point that out. Like she broke I, the ceiling yes, of the test. I am. She has a shirt with the periodic tables on them, and only some of them glow. It's. Hey, it's the radioactive elements. All right, all right, that's all right. awesome. Now, speaking speaking of unrequited love, she. How are you? Yes. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. Okay. I'm fabulous. Okay. Now, Chi, I can't help but notice here that you that you wrote a story about the Marauders. I did. Now, the Marauders, you know, they tend to be written in a particular way. Usually, um, Lily is kind of the Vanna White character who everyone just kind mm-hmm. of follows around because she's really good at turning the leathers. Okay, and Peter Pettigrew is usually always in the bathroom for the entire fic. Like, they keep mm-hmm. rolling the toilet paper under the door for him because he can never come out because he, he's he's busy in there. And, um, busy being evil, yes. Yes, he's being evil in the bathroom and he comes out evil. Now, when you sat down, and how, and how old were you when you wrote this fic? You were 16 years old. Yeah, when I began. Mm-hmm. Yes, now, when I read this fic, swear to God, I would have never guessed a 16-year-old. Like, no offense to 16-year-olds, I remember me at 16 years old. You put the commas in the right places. I did. And there were periods there. There were periods everywhere. I, All throughout yeah. it. And commas. Perhaps it's even a semicolon? There was a semicolon. I remember the semicolon. I remember... I called Julia when there was the semicolon. It was four in the morning. She was pissed. Now, <laughs> I was curious. L- now, let me ask you something. Actually, no, that's not true. I was awake. Uh, well, she never sleeps. Okay, so call her at two in the afternoon. It's hilarious. What, when you sat down to write this, where were you, like, in your life that you decided, I'm going to sit down and write a novel-length fan fiction, and, why, and what was your motivation for the characters? What did you want to accomplish with these characters? It was my junior year of high school. I had written, at this point, this was my third novel. I had finished Tested in Fire and its sequel, Double Trouble. And I hadn't written in a little bit. It had been a couple months, and, and at the time... um. I was really involved with the breakdown of Gryffindor Tower, and so I was not in any place to write um, a Harry Jenny story. I just wasn't interested, but I still wanted to... And those two stories um, that you had already written were Harry Jenny stories? Right, okay. right. They're Harry Jenny fics. Okay. Um, and they're really bad. And, uh, <laughs> Go read them now! <laughs> how hilarious it is, because I read them, and I liked them. I remember <laughs> reading them and going, wow, very impressive. I wonder if I'll yeah. ever get to meet this person. Yeah, I was 14. So, okay. I was 14 when I wrote Tested in Fire, 15 for Double Trouble, and still. 16 for With All My Love. And I was just, there was a lot going on, like, politically I was interested in. And I wanted to kind of explore um, a generation where I could kind of play with some of the issues 
as they were becoming relevant. The whole muggle-born, pure-blood issue was really interesting for me, and I wanted to kind of play with that. And I also wanted to to spend a lot of time writing Ramus because I've been in love with him for a very long time. That was my motivation for it. I was young and stupid and um, needed something to do. (laughs) What did you want these characters to come across as? What traits did you think either other fics weren't putting in them, or what... What what difference do you think? Like, if you read like you know the the, the most generic Marauder fic, and then you read something that you wrote, what do you think? Hope people will come across with after reading yours. Like, what slant do you hope you add to the characters that other authors don't? Um, I, I think a sense of humanism, a, a sense of being complicated, of there being more than there is on the surface. Like with Peter Pettigrew, for instance, he you'll notice he's he's very much a part of the group. Um, and he helps make decisions, and at the same time, he's dealing with a very kind of harsh and uh, overbearing mother, and um, kind of want to explore his motivations for betraying James and Lily. And you'll remember there's that scene where Peter is presented for the first time the philosophy of the Dark Lord and the superiority of the pure bloods, and and he's told there's no good and there's no evil and there's only power in those who wield it. At that point in time, Peter makes the right choice. Peter stands up for what he and James and Sirius and Ramus all believe in. And, um, but he does so from a weak place. And, uh, uh, he makes that decision more out of fear of what his friends would think of him versus really thinking it all the way through. And I kind of wanted to show that I think part of the reason that Peter got into so much trouble in his life was that he never, he didn't think things for himself. He was always trying, he making decisions based on how others around him would react. Um, so that's one thing. Um, the other uh, thing was I'm very concerned about Lily. Um, and how she's portrayed, because I think a lot of times she comes across as a Hermione-like character. And um, I think that you can take Lily in a different and much more interesting direction, you know, and kind of give her... She's she's kind of a Hermione archetype because, you know, she is a muggle-born in Hogwarts. She's kind of in the same situation, but that doesn't mean that they're the same person. And how did she handle that differently than Hermione did and that sort of thing? A lot of times in fix, I noticed that Lily is almost an exact merging of Hermione and Ginny. She's the, she's, yeah. she has Hermione's study habits, but Ginny's bravery and outgoingness. Now, I'll say this for every fic I've read. over I think the last three or four fics we've read for the podcast, I had the preconception going into them. You're someone I've known for two years, and you're you know, obviously someone who has told me I was 16 when I wrote this. You know, I'm a really harsh critic. I don't think it was very good. that the, like you, you, just, you didn't seem very proud of your work when you, when you discussed it with me. So I'm like, hmm, okay. So and I didn't know if you were just being, you know, just being humble about your work and so forth. So I sat down to read it, and you know, we got to Hogwarts, and in in, in the early chapters, it was it was just it was it seemed to be standard Marauder fic stuff. And then there was a moment where uh, James and Lily, I believe, were in the common room, and Lily makes a comment that she hasn't even started studying for her newts yet, and she really should do that, but she's just been putting it off, putting it off. I'm like, huh, that's not because every fic I've ever read about Lily, she's Hermione. And she's, yeah. you know, I'm like, okay, that's kind of different. And the one thing which I really liked about your Peter Pettigrew was that, um, like, if you take Shoebox and you look at the, you know, that's a really, you know, popular, very, you know, it's, it's the centerpiece probably of the Marauder fix, if you want 
look at it that way. Uh, if you look at Shoebox, Peter Pettigrew there is, you know, a character who essentially, if you want to look at it this way, becomes evil because Lily and James go off in one direction and Sirius and Remus go off in another, and there was only five of them, so he becomes a Death Eater because there's no place left for him in the world. Right. And I really thought that when reading yours, your Pettigrew chose to walk in the direction. It was his choice. And I think that's one of the things that, even with the canon, Peter is portrayed as someone who got stuck in the situation and was too weak to get out of it, whereas you have him literally walk down the road saying, this is my choice. I just thought that was a very different way to go, and it's a very interesting way to go. I think it's definitely a, a little bit more interesting than there was no other way for me to go, so I walked this path versus this is a conscious or unconscious choice that I made because of the way that it was presented to me. It's really like, it's more of a question of like, this is going to sound really bad, but are we going to hold the Nazi stormtroopers personally responsible for the choices that they made? And I think how you answer that question also kind of colors how you view Death Eaters, Peter Pettigrew in particular, because, you know, you can say, oh, I was just doing my job or I was brainwashed into doing this. And to a certain extent, yes, but you always have a conscious choice you always have a decision, and that's one of the themes of the story, is that you always have a decision, and the decision that you make will impact everybody else. Yeah, I, I agree with Rena. If you're still alive, go for it. Yes, I'm still alive. Okay, hi, Chi. Hi, Rena. I'm just not a fan of Marauder Era fix. I never really have been. Um, She's like, karma! <laughs> it's just, you know, I mean, I think it's very well written. I just, I have never really been able to pull myself into those kind of stories but having said that i have a question about one thing it's like that old acting question what's your motivation uh -huh. no um i you know there's a lot of stories where i mean and, and i know we've done this on the podcast and if you say any of this in front of jules she'll kick your ass <laughs> there's a lot of room for comparison between specifically between peter pettigrew and neville yeah, and I noticed that in your fic, and and this just kind of struck me because because of the comparisons that we do see between those two characters. Was it you just intentionally gave Peter a talent for herbology, or was that an accident? No, that was on purpose. I wanted people to draw comparisons between Peter and Neville because I That's think there it's not an original idea necessarily. Right. It was original to me when I had it, <laughs> and then I realized everybody else had had this thought process, too. But I wanted people to see, again, that Neville and Peter kind of started in the same place in life. And that's right. why Peter has the overbearing mother and, you know, kind of the same situation in life. And he chooses to go a different direction than Neville does. Because Neville in the first year stands up to... Harry and Ron and Hermione and says, no, you guys are breaking the rule and I'm going to stand up for, uh, for what I believe in. And that, I think, is the beginning of his personal journey towards something, towards a stronger person. Um, and Peter never does. Peter is always too afraid of what James and Sirius and Ramus would think if he were to stand up to them or make an opinion um, known. And, and so he kind of goes the opposite direction. But yeah, it was very purposeful. It was very purposeful. Yeah, because Jules and I had words about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. It was because she hates to think anybody would be bad-mouthing her precious Neville. I think it's a dark versus light comparison. It's not a... Well, I, I agree with what you did there because, I mean, I think... I don't even remember which story it was that we were talking about. 
but I drew a parallel between Draco and Sirius mm-hmm. for yeah. that same reason, because it's it's the same thing. You know, you have these two characters that have the similar backgrounds, and I think that gives it a little bit more humanity. I mean, I like the way you did that. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of one of the major themes of the story, quote-unquote themes, I guess, is choice. Yeah. And what, how our choices form us and that kind of thing. Um, I think one of the more um, like obvious stick versions of that uh, theme is probably Meg at the end of the book and the choices that she makes. And kind of the, the way that she makes the right decisions but a little too late right. in life. For it to really matter. Would that be on the count of the fact that within the last paragraph she was kidnapped, killed, and left in front of the ministry with a note, like, stapled to her? Yeah, well, I mean, she was in a terrible situation. I don't mean to joke. I'm just like, where's the next chapter? She was in an awful, awful situation with with really no way out. Yeah. And, uh... Talk about that for a little bit. Oh, sorry, Renee, you're just breathing through your thing, and I feel... Well, you know what? You're breathing. You can breathe wherever the hell you want. Um... (laughs) Okay, the awful situation that she's in. Now, in everything from the canon on, there's jokes made about the fact that, you know, we've even done it on the podcast. Like, Jen said that she was surprised when they cast the purebloods in the Harry Potter films that they didn't have mentally retarded people do it. Because, okay, I should probably not say that, but, you know, you know what, what the hell? Because, seriously. It's okay, we're explicit now. We're explicit now. Because, you know, Lucius Malvoy is incredibly inbred. And it's, like, his eye should be drifting. I mean, yeah. that's... It's a joke. It's funny. Oh, look, that must be a pure blood, and he's walking in circles. And and that and that. Honestly, honestly, that is one of the reasons why I cannot buy all the stories that are like Draco Malfoy, the Slytherin sex god. Like, Do you realize how inbred he is? Oh. I'm sure he's got like twelve toes. Come on. <laughs> well, perhaps after generations of being inbred, the more toes you have, the sexier and more appealing you are. <laughs> He doesn't have more than five toes. He's perfect. Total. But, uh, <laughs> no, total. he's got five total toes. No. no. You don't want to know where the last toe is. But, Actually, I'm kind of interested in where the last toe is. Write a thick about it. What do you want from me? But, okay, <laughs> when you write about the differences between the purebloods and the muggleborns, like, I know you said this before, people keep drawing parallels. It's really, is comparable to, you know, civil rights. It's comparable, you know, to racism. It's, a par- it's comparable to sexism. You know, you have these people who are literally there's two different cultures there's the culture where you marry for love and there's the culture where you marry for power and it's aristocracy and it's something that's existed for so long but it's literally it's on bloodlines in this and i don't think that anyone's ever really at least that i've read shown so clearly this is what happens if you're you know a pureblood going to hogwarts and your roommate is a muggle-born these are the two different lives that you're going to have like, mm-hmm. how deeply did you, like, just talk about that, how you put that into the story. Because I thought that really, it, it really showed this is almost as like a cultural difference when later on, it's, when elsewhere, it's just the joke about, you know, the inbred guy. It, it, I just thought yeah. you did a really good job at that. Well, I mean, it was something I was thinking a lot about personally. Towards the end of the story, um, it took me, let's see, I published, I started writing it in 2005, and I finished it in 2007, which is about a chapter every two months. Um, and around this time, I was meeting a lot of, like, international people and a lot of different cultures. But even before then, I guess, I was thinking more about the problems that we encounter when people don't understand where the other person is coming from because you don't have a frame of reference for it. 
You know, um, like, okay, my subculture, being a Catholic American, kind of gets misunderstood a lot because you don't have a frame of reference for the traditions and that sort of thing in my family. No kidding. But, yeah. I mean, it, it's kind of like I had a really – if I can go off on a side path and I'll come back. You're the author. Um, you can do whatever you want. I had a real – thanks. I had a real kind of defining moment in my life when um, a classmate of mine, the whole school was kind of mourning him. He was Catholic, of course. So at the service, they had the rosary and the wake and the viewing and then the funeral. Just a lot of people were kind of really insensitive about – what the rosary meant and what the symbols on the coffin meant and what the symbols of, you know, him holding the Virgin Mary meant. They were all kind of very dismissive and rude about it. I thought they were rude about it because they didn't understand. So that has always kind of influenced the way that I think about other people and their cultures and that sort of thing. And I really wanted to figure out how the wizarding world kind of arrived at this tradition, I guess. And I wanted to explore what it would be like to be someone living in that culture who didn't necessarily agree with everything that was going on. Meg is there to show the dark side of what was kind of treated lightly in the books. Kind of there to show the dark side of adolescence in one way, in, in rebellion, and the dark side of marriages that aren't entered in willingly by both parties. She's based on a couple of friends of mine that were kind of dealing with some issues, not necessarily being forced into marriages that they didn't like, but being asked to make cultural decisions that they weren't comfortable with because the world around them was changing and their culture wasn't. You're in the story too, aren't you? Yeah. I can't recall. What's your character's name? Starts with a K, right? I wouldn't say that I personally have a character based on me, but um, there's a little bit of me in everybody in the story, I think. There's a little bit of me in Meg and a little bit of me in... The way that you Meg kind of should look, listen to the first episode about about this story, then. <laughs> oh, really? Because right, you, that you're the moody one. <laughs> well, no, because no, because all I knew is that you were supposed to insert yourself as a character, and is the character with Lily's snarky roommate, and I'm like, okay. it's Jay, and then <laughs> and then Meg's in the story, like Meg's first appearance. I'm like, well, maybe it's Meg, and everyone's like, oh, you gotta finish the story before you say that. <laughs> And I'm getting to, like, the second paragraph from the end. I'm like, those lying bastards. And I'm like, oh, never mind. Oh, oh crap. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm like, I feel so awful because I just assumed it was the moody one. And then you're like, well, it's either the moody one or the one who gets killed. I'm like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably more like Kathleen than I'm like Meg. Jen, how are you doing? Really good. I'm <laughs> just waiting for us to talk about the romance. <laughs> Jen, take over the podcast. Okay, so my favorite scene in the whole world, well, one of my favorite scenes. I want everyone to understand here that Remus is my favorite character of the story. But so between James and Lily here, I think we haven't really talked about your use of dialogue. And I I really like the way that you write the dialogue because it's so easy to read and you feel like it's naturally what people are saying. Like it doesn't feel like just words, you know, it really feels like you're watching a conversation. And I really like the the scene, I think it's in chapter 19, where Lily and James are talking about Sirius, and he, you know, he says, well, I should write to mom, and she suddenly thinks of her own mom, 
Annie pulls her close. And I went, oh, and it's sad, but it's really good. And, like, it's romantic because he's finally, like, he has so many moments where he's a man. You know what I mean? And so yeah. many moments where he's a kid. But I love the man moments. And you write them really well. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'll just fangirl Chi for a minute. <laughs> it's bound to happen. It's bound to happen. <laughs> I think that's my favorite part of writing um, adolescent people. Because it's such a confusing age. That 16, 17, 18 year old range where you're not quite an adult. You don't want to be treated like a child at the same time. You don't need the responsibilities of adulthood, but you kind of are slowly becoming the person that you are going to be for the rest of your life. And I think those little glimpses into the people that they, you know, would have been had they been given the chance to live. I think, are really fun to write, really fun to see. Let me ask you this. A lot of us did reading for the last chapters tonight, which we're going to kind of merge in with this. One thing I noticed in the final chapters going forward is you did this amazing job with uh, Peter Pettigrew and showing that it was going to be his choices that set him up. And I, I felt like reading it that Peter almost dropped off the radar a little bit. There was a lot of focus on Peter, and then he became very much a background character near the end, I thought. Like, obviously, he had, you know, his moment at the end when you kind of summed up each character and what they were thinking as they graduated. He, he, he was center stage, and he was there. But Peter's journey, you know, to the dark side, it seemed like he dropped off the radar, um, you know, almost until the very end. I was wondering if that was a conscious choice, more like you showed the direction he was heading in and then kind of pulled him back into the shadows and, and didn't you know, show us every step of his journey or not. I I was just kind of curious about that because that's what I felt reading through the end. It was a conscious choice on my part because I knew when I was writing the sequel that I was going to have to spend a lot of time with Peter. At this point, you know, I didn't want to spend any time with Peter because it's hard for me to go to that place and then leave. I made a conscious choice not to spend as much time with Peter because I knew that the audience, for one, knew where the character was going. I knew where he was going. We could pick up later, but right now you needed to see parts of the story that you wouldn't be able to infer. You know, you needed to see the breakdown and buildup of Ramus and Sirius's relationship and how Lily and James were kind of developing into a couple. Is the story ever going to be finished? Yes. Promise? Yeah, I promise. I promise. I keep rewriting the first chapter. I have about 27 different versions of the first chapter of this story. Good lord, she just pick one. Yeah, get on with it. (laughs) Get on with it. I'm willing to give you every second Wednesday afternoon off. (laughs) I can beat it for you, Chi. What? Hold on, Rena, what? I said, that's very generous. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Oh, poor Rena. Rena, you sound much better, I have to tell you. I, I've been eating ice cream. Well, that makes good. me feel good. What kind? Ice cream. I, well, I had a chocolate milkshake. Ooh, good girl. My favorite. Yeah. Now, can you give us any type of um, preview of the sequel? What specifically, like, will it cover from, like, one point to one point? Will it? Does Lily get together with Remus? Lily does not get together with Remus. Okay, let um, me ask the question Jen's hopeful for. Does she at least sleep with Remus? No. <laughs> All right, Jen, I tried for you. Does Remus get laid? Yes. Boba chicka bow wow. Do we find out why the Marauders distrusted Remus in regards? Really? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think when I sat down to write the timeline for the whole universe, the With All My Love universe, I broke it into two parts, the 
beginning of the seventh year to the end of seventh year. And then the second part was going to be kind of more about 25 chapters, just like the last one was, um, but covering from the probably about of October of that year. So after Meg has been buried, October f- covering about two or three years right up until the night that James and Lily died. So it was going to be the whole story. I haven't read Discovering Lily yet, but is that the same universe? The, the same Lily, the same James? Discovering Lily kind of, yes. It could fit in. I mean, it's kind of, it's one of those things where, um, just like nothing in canon ever happened to make With All My Love not a canon fic, there's been nothing in Discovering Lily makes it not fit in with this universe. In your mind, is it, are they the same characters? Yeah. Okay. I really only have one Harry and one Jenny and one Lily and one James running around inside of my head. And they just get to play different, play with different universes. That explains a great deal about you. That there's literally little Harrys and little Jennies running around in your head, banging off against the sides. And uh, oh, Julia will tell you they get sent to time out sometimes. Yeah, it's true. Usually no, when it's, they, it's, usually when they are when they're behaving like Harlequin romance characters and not actual people, <laughs> sends them yeah. to time out. Is your Jenny? Uh, always pregnant? Is my Jenny always pregnant? You know, I Is she like the wife from Family Guy who's been pregnant for like six years? <laughs> I get that question a lot. I don't know. I've <laughs> Really? Yeah, the thing of it is, is I've written three stories where Jenny's pregnant. Just Us Girls, Discovering Lily, and... She was pregnant in the end of Double Trouble, wasn't she? Yeah, she was. Okay, so Double Trouble, Just Us Girls, and Discovering Lily she's pregnant in. I don't know. I just have a thing. I find pregnancy so fascinating, really. It's gross. I've taken, I've taken classes <laughs> on it and stuff, and I think it's interesting. Jen, anyway, do you have anything yeah. you want to share with the group? <laughs> this is going to be a one-time thing. <laughs> We're adopting from now on. <laughs> the first trimester sucks, Jen, but after that it gets better, I promise. Right. <laughs> then you get to think about the impending horror of labor. Oh, it just well, keeps getting better. <laughs> it's okay. When the thing pops out, I'll be happier. Can we not refer to your unborn child as the thing, please? Let's, let's, call, let's call it Elven Dork. It's unisex. Lord that over that child for the rest of their lives. I'm you may be mom dead. <laughs> I'm calling it Thumper. No, I'm calling it Elven Dork. <laughs> no, we can't name my unborn child Elven Dork or Thumper. Well, I, you, you can name it something different when it's born. Yes, like just when I was in, is is a in the in the embryonic state. You refer to it as Paynet or Thumper or Embo or whatever else. And then you, I'm just saying <laughs> names I've heard before from other people. Hey, listen, when I when my mom was pregnant with me, I was referred to as Flakowitz. My sister was referred to as Zimmerman. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I was named. I was in. I was referred to after the bakery where my grandmother worked. My sister, who is younger than I am, she was referred after this guy, Mister Zimmerman, who once went up to my father shortly after my grandfather died and said to him, "Terrible sorry to hear about your father." And so he goes, oh, oh who told you that? Well, she goes, was speaking wait. English all that time. I didn't know. I'm like, oh, she's so speaking goes, Wait, who told you about my father? Oh, it was uh, 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 the little one. I can't remember. What is his name? And my dad goes, Mr. Zimmerman? And he goes, oh, no, no. It was was the little one. Uh, Zimmerman. Yes, that's him. <laughs> and so my sister, the little one, was referred to as Zimmerman before she was born. After she was born, we called her Sarah. Before that. <laughs> 
She was Zimmerman. I just want to point out the fact that Julia was just speaking English the whole time, and I thought she switched to Hebrew. I'm like, all right, I'm taking the five. <laughs> uh, my friend Joel often accuses me of behaving like a 90-year-old Jewish man. <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> like, every now and then, like, I work at a place where I have to stand for seven and a half hours at a time. And it's so, like every now and then I'll come home and I'll just be like, I'm in Bic. <laughs> like my mother just looks at me and goes, um, okay. Does he sound like a 90-year-old Jewish man? All right, Jen, you up. Jen. Silence from Jen's Jen. Bueller. Jen. Bueller. Jen. Niffer. <laughs> Actually, I had a sorority sister who said to call her Niffer because there were too many Jens. <laughs> Jen, it's your turn. Okay, fine. We'll wait. How about while we wait? Can it be my turn? I think, you know, I think we should wait for Jen. Okay. We'll wait, no. and we're leaving this all in. <laughs> Jen! Jen! It'd be funny if she's in the middle of a question and she's on mute for two minutes. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. Oh, my papa's reminded me, Chi, I have to send you... Um, there's this new Remus Lupin song called Lullaby. You'll love it. Good. It's very. Oh, it made me cry in public the other day. Oh no, I can't. I don't want to cry in public. But okay, well, I'll send it to you so you can cry in private. It's really. It's okay. it's it's Remus singing to Teddy. It's really sad. Aww. But it's such a good song. It's really sweet. I'm just kidding. You go ahead with the question. Oh really? Yeah. Woohoo! This is exciting. Um. Suchi, hi. Hi. How are you? Pretty good. That's good. How's your toilet? Fine. Functioning perfectly well. Good. Good. So I noticed recently that you have written a fic. Uh-huh. And um, in, in this fic, you featured a young, serious black. Yes. And um, I kind of wanted to talk about Sirius for a little while, just because I don't think I've ever seen him portrayed quite in the way that you did it. And I think you actually chose a really interesting way to do it, because Sirius is, I mean, you made him pretty reckless, like a lot Uh more so than I've ever seen. And I just thought that that was really interesting, because I don't really read too many Marauder era, era fics. But, like, in a lot of the fics that I do read, I see Sirius as, like, grown up and still acting, not exactly like a teenager, but as though, you know, he for sure had arrested development. But I just, I don't really think that I've seen such, like, an extreme recklessness in him. And I just think it's really interesting that you chose to take him in that direction. Why did you do this? It seemed logical to me. Leaving your house at 16 is kind of dangerously reckless. You know, I mean, he just kind of seemed to always be, in the books, he was always kind of on this borderline between sanity and insanity. And you can say that uh, it could have had something to do with um, his time in Azkaban, and I'm sure it did, but I also think Sirius kind of always felt like he had something to prove. So that was kind of the way that he chose, or I chose for him to exhibit that need 
was through that recklessness. Interesting. Very interesting. Jen just needs to jump in, guys, to say goodnight. I'm sorry, guys. Like, I don't know. I'm, like, sitting here, like, drifting off. So I'm going to go to bed. But I wanted to... um, Chi, I love this story. You know I do. Oh, thank you. And if you haven't read it, go read it. Or you suck. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night, Good night, night, Elvin Dork. (laughs) It's not Elvin Dork. (laughs) (laughs) That's not going to stop me from calling him slasher Elvin Dork. (laughs) (laughs) All right, night, Jen. All right, let's talk about the final chapters of the story. Let's talk about James's parents. Now, you made the conscious choice to add into your With All My Love canon the fact that Lily's mother died and Lily's father had died years earlier and she was now an orphan and Petunia was her only family. And on James's end, he had perfectly wonderful parents who were practical clones of the Weasleys. They were just that, you know, lovingly married, perfect for each other couple who stood against the darkness single-handedly in a house that was tilting. Yep. Yeah. I wrote. I wrote in my notes. By the way, for chapter sixteen, I wrote down Amelia Potter, like Molly Weasley, only better. <laughs> and this is what I thought, and I've said this on the podcast. Now you made them the most charming, wonderful, sweet people that you could ever hope to be around. And then I realized you had to kill them. Yes, I did. And all I could think of was that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I came to care for them. I got weepy. I went, ah, the Potters. Then I'm like, who don't adopt Harry in four short years because they're dead. Dead. (laughs) Yeah, if it don't make you feel any better, Ryan, when I got to that chapter, she was immediately sent a Skype message going, what the hell? How could you do that? (laughs) And then, then then I continue to read. And I'm like, ah. You know, they're getting, they have a letter from James, and, and, and Mr. Potter goes, Harold, to some, goes, and he gets his coffee, and he, he's all happy, and he's got his coffee in one hand, and he's sitting down, and his wife is, you know, June Cleaver over there, and, and they're having this perfectly wonderful moment, and I was waiting for the scene until it was interrupted, because the Death Eaters apparated in and attacked. <laughs> that never happened, did it? It never happened. So this then you kill them off one at a time. That was I lovely, G. Like, do you <laughs> want, are you- Wait. Yes. Wait, back up. Yes. Mrs. Amelia dies in this story? I don't know. No, think so. but she has just a few short years left. We know this. I mean, where else would she be? She's not going to raise Harry. No, I, I know she dies, but I'm just saying. Well, I, but, unless, unless I was pulling a mic, I don't think I missed it. But, but we know she dies, and we know he already dies. Hence, ergo, they die one at a time. Yes, this is true. Okay. Now, is it possible she's going to be killed in a freak grilling accident? No. Would you rather Sorry. I stop asking you how she's going to be killed so you don't have to, you know... Do I don't... I haven't decided yet. Oh, really? Well, then she could honest. actually die in a freak I, killing she, accident. She could die in a freak grilling accident, for all I know. I said grilling, but I, not killing. <laughs> killing I, I, said, grilling. I said... Um, I, I do know I like both characters... I loved Harold and I, I love Amelia and I think um, I'm not real sure how they're gonna go to be uh, how he uh, she's gonna go to be quite honest with you probably I'll try to make it as nice as I possibly can <laughs> as nice and as swift as I possibly can so okay oh my God this is so uplifting I have to tell you I'm feeling weak all right so jumping to another scene. One of the best lines in the story, and I don't have it in front of me, so it's it's one of the best lines of a par- it's one of the best paraphrase lines I've encountered in the story for some time. 
how James and Lily almost consummated their relationship in the middle of the lawn. <laughs> I remember reading that and thinking it was funny. What? I don't remember this scene. Where is it? All right, Sheep. James and it. Lily are... Yeah, can you read the line, Julia? Rena, how are you doing? I'm sorry. I was having a bit of a coughing fit. Are you doing any better? <laughs> uh, there it is. Sorry. <laughs> no problem. Anyway, the line is, blinking, she looked up at him and became instantly aware of what they'd just been doing. She inwardly cursed her sense of decorum and self-consciousness. She became keenly aware that she had been about to consummate her relationship with James Potter on the Hogwarts lawn. They broke eye contact, and in that moment, as James rolled off her and lay on his back, panting and trying to get himself under control. Now, you said there was a little bit of you in every character. Anything you want to talk about? No, nothing I want to talk about. A lot I want to forget. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. All right. No. no, you haven't almost consummated a relationship with James Potter on the Hogwarts lawn? That's we- never happened to you? Oh, I think she'd like to. I definitely think she'd like to, but I just don't see that happening because he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, you know, like I wrote, like I was even listening to a, to a radio host tonight in Boston, and I even sent her a letter saying, you're an effing moron if you think, and I, 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 I like, ripped this person apart, and she sent me back a message, thanks for emailing me, have a great day, by the way, you're wrong. I'm like, well, that was rather, you know, not sharp or pointed. Like, I was waiting for, you know, hate mail to be returned, and, you know, unfortunately not so much. And, you know, so I sent... Now, I never emailed the authors with with their... Like, I'll I'll put up, you know, comments saying, loved your story, thanks for writing. Like, I'll... like, But I never send, like, the long, gushing gen leathers. It's just not me. Except if you're Arabella and Genia. And so... Or or Melinda Leo, or HMZ, or, you know, well, basically anyone else, but... So, what ended up happening... What ended up happening was I sent you a message and said, um, you know, I read your story and I'm very eager to read more. And she wrote back several minutes later, James and Lily die in the end. (laughs) (laughs) And I can't help but feel that was just a little cold. I love you, Chief. Seriously. That's awful. (laughs) Well, he's like, what happens next? And I'm like, James and Lily die. Like, what do you think happens next? <laughs> oh, no, that's, um, yeah, I don't, I, that's part of the reason why I don't want to write Sacrifice of Love. I don't want to write the big depressing build up to the end. <sighs> Uh, Julia, what else do you have in your notes for these chapters? Chapter 16, Amelia Potter, like Molly Weasley, only better. Don't wait around. Good advice. I wish Avi would get his head out of his ass and take said advice. <laughs> chapter 17 mrs pettigrew is a bitch seriously (laughs) poor james if if my father died god forbid the last thing i would want is people telling me how awesome he was way to rub salt in the wound guys (laughs) i do want to say one thing i think the way that you wrote losing a parent yeah i've lost a parent so when i read this you know like if you didn't do a good job i would have been the first to know this i thought you just did an amazing job at demonstrating loss because it's not something where, I said this on one of the recent podcasts, it's not like, you know, as you go through loss, you instantly, you know, you, you slump the rest of your life and, you know, like like a physical part of you is removed. It's not like that. It's just, it's emptiness and it's confusion because the place you used to have as a home isn't the same anymore. Maybe it's not there anymore. And it's just, you know, like literally being thrown into a pool of cold water is exactly what it's like. And I think both on, you know, Lily's part and James's part, you saw it was really portrayed very well 
And I really felt for Lily. You know, she all she has left is Petunia. She has no home. She has Hogwarts, and she doesn't fit into the cool group, and she doesn't fit into the geek group, and she's she has to carve out the place for herself, which I thought was a really interesting way to write it. And then you have James, who is essentially is the privileged kid who's always had everything, who's had you know the, you know the wonderful home and the wonderful parents and all the love he's ever needed, and he's got the looks, and he's got you know the, he's a star athlete, and you know great group of friends, you know, aside for the one who ends up getting him killed. And, you know, just going down the line, and then he, he loses his dad. And I just thought that was just so well done. I just want to say that. And just really good job. Thank you. Well, that means a lot to me. It kind of, loss is kind of a hard thing to do writing-wise. And I, it's hard because it's so, it's kind of, it's a progression, you know. People go through loss in stages. And it's hard to do that humanely. So thank it was, those were hard chapters for me to write, but I'm glad they turned out well. Yeah. I just thought that was a very well done. And even the parts of the other characters that it brought out, it brought out Peter saying, I'm going to Godric's hollow and this is something I'm going to do. And as even though as Peter's taking this path, towards the darkness. He still he knows he needs to be there for his friend. And when he hears his mother insulting Lily and insulting James and insulting Amelia, he even, even as he defends them, he doesn't mm-hmm. defend them. And I just thought the whole thing was very organic. And I just, it, it, it came across very well. There, there's scenes in here I know came from your life because they ring so true and it can only you can't make this stuff up. You know what I mean? I mean, it has to be a personal experience. Um, like the scene where, you know, I know you don't know any werewolves, but the scene where Remus is breaking down in front of Lily and just tells her everything. And he, he she's, it's coming out and she's there and he, he, he hasn't been exceptionally close to her before, but this is just something where, he, where he knows this is right. And he tells her everything and he breaks down and he just trusts her. I mean, that was a true moment. Everyone does that from time to time. They just implicitly trust a person and with no direct reason to, even though it may not be the wisest course of action because you just have that gut instinct. I mean, there's so many scenes throughout the story that I really feel like were just part of your life at the time because mm-hmm. it's not true. They yeah. Feel. Yeah. There's a lot in here that's very... If you, wanted to, if you want to know what my life was like in high school, you just have to read this story. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's a lot of moments in here that are that are very much come from places that I've been. Gang fighting, death, murder. Yeah, gang fighting, death, murder. I grew up on the in the rough side of Kansas City. No. <laughs> I'm saying, you know, standing on the roof of the school bus returning fire against Turkish rebels. Yes. Yeah, that was that was me. I was I was always doing that. Yeah, the more emotional parts definitely came very close to losing my grandmother um during this time. And it was so hard on my mom. It was hard to watch my mom go through that. It's one of those moments when you're growing up where you want to be the adult for your mom. Mm -hmm. I really desperately wanted to help my mother. And I couldn't because I had no... What do you say to somebody who's come so close to losing their mother? Yeah. It was really hard um, for me and and my mom. She left for a good month and lived with my grandmother six hours away. It was um, my sister and I running the house for about a month. So yeah, that's in here, and that's where those chapters come from. Yeah, it's just I thought it was just an amazing job of showing human emotion because I think the characters rang so true to me this time through. I mean, even when you see, 
it, it's a perfect story because there's so many characters who don't have homes. And they come to Hogwarts, and then when Hogwarts ends, their homes go away, so all they have is each other. It's the same story as, as when Harry and, and the tree over there. I mean, it's, what is your definition of home with his family? And, you know, Sirius, at the end of the story, knows he's going back to the Pothers, and then he is joining the Order and moving on with his life. And, you know, James knows that he's going to be there with Lily, and they're going to start a life together. And Lily is, you know, is, you know, just packing up her bag and looking around and remembering all the memories. And you have, you know, Remus be optimistic and you have Peter, you know, just not know where he's going with his life. And he just, you know, he, he's, it, well, it's almost like with Peter that he, he almost wants to make the other Marauders proud of him. It's, it's weird. It's this type of situation where he's almost trying to make them proud of him by being strong, by being the exact opposite of what they would be. And he so badly misjudges magical strength with human strength and emotional strength and the strength of bravery and the strength of, of, of one's own will. The whole thing just comes together very well, especially, you know, when you say you wrote this at 16 and it was an earlier story for you and you weren't, you kind of did the whole, you know, just repeat to yourself. I was 16 when I wrote this. I just, I just thought you did just, you know, just across the board, just an amazing job. With the, you know, the characters are so alive and just really, really good job. I think that if I read Marauder Fix in the future, I'm going to have a much stronger base from which to go because just really good job. I'm very, I really like the story. Thank you. I'm glad. I like the story too. I just read it again a couple of days ago in pre- preparation for the interview. I'm proud of my younger self <laughs> for finishing that thought process. So yeah. yeah, you should be. You did a really good job with it. Thank you. You're welcome. I just want to say like a little bit of what Ryan was talking about. Um, I kind of sort of identify with parts of Peter in this, like at the end of this fit. Um, as you all know, I have been out of college for a year in, in the real world with no actual direction. And I have to tell you, my graduation day was among the scariest days of my life because I mean, for four years I had a home, I knew where I was and what I was doing. And then all of a sudden that was ripped out from under me. I was like, well, what am I going to do tomorrow? What am I going to do next year? I have no idea. And that's a really, really scary feeling. And though, I mean, I would not, and I thank God did not necessarily decide to become a death eater in order to make my friends proud of me. I mean, I can understand the idea of, of wanting to make your friends proud. And I can understand the idea of wanting to, you know, wanting to do something really impressive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, just saying. Never, ever, ever underestimate the power of an uncertain future. It is really freaking scary. And never go to the dark side, Julia, just to do something impressive. I just, I have to feel that won't work out well for you in the end. <laughs> no, I think not. Because, see, my problem is that I'm, as a typical Gryffindor, I am, I'm really self-righteous. Like, this is like a motto we have in Gryffindor. It just saves so much time if you just know that you're right. The problem is trying to convince other people. So rather than trying to convince other people, we're just like, no, I'm right. Boom. And we just like, you know, get angry. So yeah, it definitely wouldn't work out for me because like knowing me, I would like mouth off to Voldemort and die. Yeah, probably. (laughs) Yeah, it wouldn't really end so well. Well, look what happened to Rena. Rena was the last one to go to the dark side and she's doing just very wonderfully. So you never know, right, Rena? (laughs) Best present I ever got. I should Facebook the person who gave it to me and thank her for Hold it. Hold on, Rena. I think Rena is trying to communicate with us. Rena? You guys all suck. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, we're down 40% capacity right now, and I, I think this is a really good moment to to 
end with all my love and to say that I, now I have one of the scariest admissions here for Lady Chi. All right. No, Lady Chi, I'm not madly in love with you. Get over yourself. All right. Okay. Now, here at Puthwa, I know we seem like we have it all together, but, but we're like, oh, literally, Rinna was almost killed by a cat tonight. I mean, we don't <laughs> have it all together. I mean, like, Jen is collapsing, and, and Julia's running around with a stuffed cat chasing Rinna, who's beating her off the head with a stick, and it's, it's like, I don't know, it's like a hate crime, and then you got, you got Chi over here, and there's dishes banging everywhere, and Perfect Weekly is oftentimes a mess. Now, I, I was thinking... I was thinking that perhaps after, you know, 100 episodes of Pyrific Weekly, which is what we're scheduled out for, and, you know, 12 hours a week of editing times, you know, 104 weeks, you know, plus reading fan fiction, plus going to school, plus getting married, plus having a life. Okay, I made the last part up. You know, perhaps, 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 perhaps soon we would um, hang up our hat and we would move on from Puffwap. <laughs> and then I read with all my love, and I'm like, "Ooh, I never thought of that before." And in in the character of, of Peter really intrigued me, and there was so much, you know, human, you know, there's there so much humanity in the characters that really kind of made me think, you know what? Because sometimes in, in my position, reading fan fiction is work because I have to get ready for the next podcast, and I can't sit down and read a story I love because I, I don't have time because I have to get the episode out. And there was a two-day period I had some free time, so I said, "Gee, this is wonderful! I can read a fic for fun. What do you recommend?" She's like, "Ryan, read this one," and I and I read the first five five chapters and. Within moments of, of of the second paragraph, you know, Ron and Hermione were having very graphic sex right there in front of me, and I and I was like, "Oh my god!" And it was, and and I ran away. And I'm what like, fake is this? I have to read it. She will send you the she will send you the link. Oh my god! And Please like, and thank you. And, and like and seriously, no one has an orgasm like that. It was it was just it was it was. It was <laughs> I have to tell you, it it, it it was very graphic, and it was very. And I'm thinking to myself, I can't do this for another year. I'm going to be like, uh, like I'm literally, it's like Danielle's going to be reading her vows, and I'm going to be reading like a fic in like the corner. Like, I have to finish this chapter because Jen needs the week off because of the baby's teeth. And like, I'm like, you know what? We need to end Puffwa. And I read this fic, and it just got me so excited for just it was just so fun to read i just had such a good time reading it that when it was done you know we're, go, we're moving on to, to paradigm of uncertainty next week and i'm very excited about that and I, I think because of reading this fic it just it, there was something about it that just got me excited about the fandom again and just everything the people and the place and the and just what the characters mean to each other and just how it's, it's something like there's like an oomph to it and i'm so excited now i think we're going to keep going with the podcast so all i can say to you is i hope you had no plans to to do anything in 2009, early 2010. I didn't have any plans. I'm really excited. I'm glad. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Hold on. Rena, it was worth your time. You're very welcome. Rena is attempting to make a statement. Rena? What? What? I wasn't trying to say anything. No. <laughs> 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 this is the most effed up episode we've ever had. This is really, really funny. <laughs> Thank God she works here. Could you imagine bringing an outsider in for this? Oh my God, they're horrific. Oh, good oh my God, my. And can I just can I just say, Ryan, that you just described how I feel every time I get home from a Wizard Rock show? Oh really? Because yeah, like I know that like a lot of you are not. Um, involved in the Wizard Rock corner of the fandom, but I really am. And like every time I get home from a Wizard Rock show, it's just like, oh my god, 
I, that was amazing. I love you guys. I like, it's, it's really hard to describe, but it's just like, I have never met a not awesome person in Wizard Rock and really in all of fandom, but specifically in the Wizard Rock section. And it's just so cool because like you come home and you're just like so jazzed and so excited about, about rock and, and Harry Potter and, and everything. And it's, it's really awesome. And it's one of those few, I mean, Puff was one and like Wizard Rock is the other, but it's one of those really like few places where you just like, you just immediately fall in love with everyone. It's really cool. As Chi can tell you, because yeah. I took Chi to her first Wizard Rock concert and um, she fell in love with a few people within five just minutes. A few. Just a yeah. few. It was great. Yay. I mean, the piece for me is that like we all do this every week and people always ask, why, this, why is there so much off-topicness in the episodes? This is terrible. Awful. Must come out. You know, I'm, I'm here to talk about fan fiction. I don't care about Chi's toilet, to which I say, <laughs> and, and it's when you look at it, I mean, we're a group of people who believe in Harry Potter and believe in the, in the spirit of the books and, what, and, and you know, the, the choices do matter and responsibility matters. And sometimes life isn't always fair. And sometimes in awful situations, you can find great things. And, you know, I've even noticed over the past year or so on our forum, so many of the people have begun to just, it's become less of a community talking about fan fiction and it's become more of a community where people get together and talk about their day. And, um, you know, when you, it's becoming a place where people who love Harry Potter love being around each other, not always talking about Harry Potter, which I think is a very organic thing to happen. And I'm really hoping we can get the community, you know, obviously focused on whatever it wants to be focused on, but I really want to try and reconnect to, to the fandom because I feel like this is a time in our lives where we're going to look back in 10 or 20 years and say that was just a really fun time and we did a really fun thing and it really, you know, we made great contacts and it, and it just really brightened you know our day and brightened a lot of people's week. I really want to live this now for as long as we can because, you know, 10 years from now I'm going to be filing income taxes. At like three, you know what I mean? It's like, the, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to be doing something else and it's, you know, I'm going to have screaming kids and I'm going to be doing algebra problems and it's like, you know what, I really enjoyed those times where I did Perfect Weekly. So Okay, um, if you have a kid in 10 years Years that's doing algebra. That's like okay, Rena. Rena, I have a question. <laughs> How is it possible you're getting so limited oxygen to your brain, and yet you're you're just hanging on my every mistake? How is that even possible? <laughs> Rena's just because good like that. That's my job. <laughs> Rena, Rena, I love yes. you. Come here. I love you too. Come here. <laughs> so with that. Ah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just I just think that's really cool, Ryan, because, like, I know that I'm really looking forward to one day telling my kids, like, hey, guys, guess what mommy was part of? Puff like, one. I'll be like, what the hell is Puff one? How do you oh, spell wait. that? <laughs> I just want to, like, back up for a second, because my friend Russ, who is in a band, Creepy Crisis, wrote something the other day, and it was really eloquent, and so I want to share just this one little part. And it says... Um, what happens is I get a huge smile on my face and enjoy the company of people who love rock, love reading, love music, and love talking about all of the above, and most importantly, love each other. Whether or not it's talking at a show, or I on IM, or on Facebook, or Skype, whatever, I enjoy each moment. And I think that's a really a really accurate description of, of Puffwa and of yeah. fandom in general. And I don't mean, make, mean to make this like a, a Puffwa telethon or anything here because, you know, we're basically we're here to just talk about she, but mm-hmm. I think that this story just you know for whatever reason I think just the themes in it and just the characterization and the fact that she did it when she was learning to parallel park just it, it brought out something in me and I'm gonna be here for like five years so she see at work on Monday. <laughs> I'm really excited. I'm glad you enjoyed it, and it's kind you of you were it scared was... like hell. 
I yeah, I was very scared. I didn't I didn't remember. I was curious, but I was also very scared because I was afraid that you would just see all the weaknesses and you wouldn't get to see the fun parts of it for me. So uh, I'm she, glad you enjoyed it. Now, Chi, <laughs> maybe this isn't a good question to end on, but I shall ask it anyway. Now, Chi, you're you are uh-huh. you are the queen of snark. Yes. And you are often often a tough critic. Yes. And my question for you is looking at your own story. What do you uh-huh. think? It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Better um, than Tested in Fire? Better than Tested in Fire. I think about With All My Love is I learned so much from it that it's kind of, it would be hard for me to say one way or the other. I learned how to write dialogue well, which is terrible in Tested in Fire. And I learned a lot about developing a plot. That wasn't a mystery. Telling a dramatic story. One that... This is kind of my quote-unquote goodwill hunting. It's, I mean, it's okay. I mean, it's got some weak points. It's got some chapters where there's not much going on. But it's also got some good points. I am proud of the Ramus and Lily interaction. And the bits about Lily and James dealing with their parents. Their parents' deaths I'm really proud of. So, it's got high points and low points. I'm, like, waiting for them to be like, and we've adopted a cute small baby, and all she does is laugh. And I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) Well, they weren't that, they weren't that Weasley-esque, were they? They weren't Cleavers. They they weren't Cleavers, but they were so damn cute, and they've got, like, the countdown in the background. It's like, I'm waiting for the middle of the scene with, like, honey, there's something I always meant to tell you. And with a big smile on her face, and the doorbell rings, hold on, dear, I'll be right back. And it's like, oh, God, they're going to die. So, I don't know. Why are we ending on this? This is a wonderful story. We had a great time reading it. And next week, we're going to read about Harry and Hermione. Yay! <laughs> I am, I'm just going to run for the hills now, next no, week. No, 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 Julia. We're, we're, we're going to have only happiness here, because this is my thought. I want to give everyone a brief, you know, pivot to next week. Chi, other side of the table. Okay. We're going. To, we're looking toward ne- next week. We are going to cover The Paradigm of Uncertainty by Lori. We're going to cover... Um, is, it, is it a trilogy? Or are we just doing the first one? We're, do, or we're doing the trilogy. And we're going to do it in four episodes. Obviously, the last one is a chapter or two from being completed. I want to just give an advanced statement on on Paradigm of Uncertainty. Now, I have never read Harry Hermione. In about a year and a half, two years ago, I decided I want... Two years ago, I decided I wanted to read a Harry Hermione fic. So I, I did some searches... And I found, you know, so I got some summaries of some Harry Hermione fix, and my preference at the time was was novel length. And I decided, you know, I, I found one and I sat down with it. And I started reading it, and like any fic, you know, it had some, it, you know, there was there was some plot issues, there was some pacing issues. It, it obviously was a fan fiction, and the author was obviously growing, but there were some, there was just some, you know, there there were some plot points, and so there were some plot points to it, and there were some things that the author invested into the characters that I'll always remember. So I just thought it was really cool. It was really fun for me to read. I'm like, this is wonderful. I'm a Harmonian. And then I realized it was really a Harry Ginny. Oh. So, <laughs> oh, like, so I felt like such a fool. But you know, so I'm like, okay. So while I've never read a Harry Hermione fic, I have read fics where. You know, I thought it was a Harry Hermione fic, and it was written like a Harry Hermione fic, and I was enjoying it very much until I realized it wasn't a Harry Hermione fic. But I guess my statement is this. Obviously, as she and Julia will tell us, and Rinna too, if she had any ability to speak on a podcast, Harry Hermione fandom wanks, locusts, there, there, there was some issues... 
there were some issues in the fandom with, 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 with some people who leaned in that direction. And this is my take on it. I, I, I wasn't in the fandom then. I've never met. Really? I was not in the fandom then. I was like, I came into the fandom a week and a half later. Like, I literally passed the, the mob. And I've never met a militant Harmonian. I have no desire to meet a militant Harmonian. I have no desire to meet anyone who's militant. I'm Huggles, <laughs> and I want to be your friend. I don't think Harry and Hermione in, in sixth year at Hogwarts can all of a sudden realize successfully that they are meant to be together. But I think any fic that has a plot that that alters the, you know the landscape of the series and, and the characters sufficiently that maybe they're all that's left or maybe something's happened and maybe it's not going to work out but maybe they try it and maybe I'll picture Dan and Emma in my head and they have tremendous chem- like everyone who's ever seen the movie thinks they work wonderfully together and you know what it's something that Joe Rowling never would have written so for me that's why I read fan fiction I want to read things that are different so I'm really looking forward to POU and if you are someone who just thinks the characters work together and you mean no one else any harm and you don't have a musket and you don't live in the woods <laughs> and you just want to say hi to people, come out of the woods. We want to hug you. <laughs> we do. <laughs> and if you sure. are if you are anyone who's if and if, if you think you're if you think that your ship is the best one and everyone else can die, please stay home. <laughs> so that's that I was once friends with a Harry Hermione shipper, and I ended up not being friends with her anymore. Well, for several reasons. First of all, she was really stupid and an idiot and irresponsible. But second, because she once told me that she thought that she was smarter than J.K. Rowling because she was she clearly saw all of the Harry Hermione um, evidence in canon that Joe herself was clearly just missing. <laughs> yeah. At this so, point, I was just like, I don't think so, I need to be present with you so anymore. So that's the problem I see here. So the fandom is obviously very divided, and there's a lot of bad feelings. My take is, I want to read Harry Hermione. I want to read Draco Hermione. You read Snape Hermione. You know, I do. Re- you read Snape Hermione. You do, don't you? I do. Mm-hmm. You do. Yes. Oh, I thought you were I can't asking. wait. I thought I you were asking wait. me. You know, Rina no, over there reads Snape Hermione. I cannot Hermione. wait until we a Snape Hermione fic Rina, if you enjoy, If you enjoy Snape Hermione, Rina, hum. Go on. I do enjoy Snape Hermione, as long as Hermione is out of school. Right. So as long as Harry and Hermione continue to be the exact same age they've always been, you know, in relation to each other, you mm-hmm. know, as long as they are about, you know, within the, you know, that three-year group there, I think that I have a very good chance of liking Harry and Hermione. We're not going to have wank. We're not going to have wars. We're not going to throw bombs. There will be no Molotov cocktails. And we are going to have a lovely podcast. And it's going to be wonderful. Say it with me, everyone. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be wonderful. wonderful. Here's the thing. Yeah. Ray of sunshine that is my Rena. Blah, 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 blah. I'm looking forward to something different. We do a lot of Harry Jenny. I'm really excited. Yeah. So... And everyone else has told me I'm going to hate the last five. I'm in there. I'm like, oh, this is actually pretty good. You never know. And with that, have a wonderful evening, everyone. Drive safe. Good night. So hold on to the wonder that those books brought to our lives. Keep each other safe. Keep faith. Good night. This is Sue at Ducksfoot. I had a very poofwa experience when I first tried to read With All My Love by Lady Chi. I went to the Potterfic Weekly schedule and clicked on the link and read the story. 
It wasn't until much later that I found out the link was wrong, and I'd read Living with Danger, not with all my love. I reported the bad link to the Pufwa management and was able to read Lady Chi's story. I really liked her portrayal of Peter and her Lily. I enjoyed reading this story very much. The cliffhanger at the end really got to me. Thanks for a great story, Chi. And I just want to add my two cents to the POU fic that is next on the Pufwa lineup. It is my first Harry Hermione fic, and I am loving every minute of it. For those of you who are hesitating, give it a chance. And I have a feeling the first podcast about it is going to be one of the best. What else can you expect from Three Hufflepuffs and Jen? Warning, this episode will have you laughing until your sides ache.